Welcome to the Grand Theft World podcast, hosted and sponsored by GrandTheftWorld.com. Tonight, we're going to get into a lot of news stories. Lots happened in the past week. We had uh, the state of disunion speech by former Vice President Joseph Biden. We had uh, Russia getting canceled. Putin got canceled in the past week. That's got to hurt. Uh, Adidas pulled their contract, and now people needing Russian tracksuits over there are just in want and you know, having to go to secondhand markets to get them and black markets to get their stripes. And uh, we got a couple other things. We had a Pfizer document dump. This past week it was pretty sizable. There's some other news on the Pfizer front, things people are finding out now that they wish they would have known maybe back then when they were making important life-changing decisions about their genetics. And then uh, we've also got um, this clip that's been going around. Burn pits became real popular at the State of the Union, aforementioned. Uh, there was a part where the, the Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, I believe she is, she got up and she was cheering real hard for some burn pits. So I was confused about that, but that was going around. And then um, we've got a lot of psychological warfare going out there in the past couple of weeks about this whole Russia, Ukraine conflict. Uh, We've got new world next week's James Corbett and James Evan Plato breaking that down several, I think seven different news stories that they break down. And then uh, Psy war, the Psy war continues that FISA data uh, dump will, we'll get into But uh, yeah, there's been a lot of misinformation, malinformation, disinformation on the landscape the past week. A lot of censorship. Uh, RT got banned in Europe, uh, might be banned in the United States. I think they're disbanding over here. So uh, there's a lot of changing Internet information dynamics that we're going to look into, as well as the world events and the other things we usually cover. Uh, To kick it off tonight, we're going to go to Luke Rudowski, right, Tony? Yeah, you got it. All right, let's go to Luke. Uh, Wearechange.org, bestpoliticalt-shirts.com. He's going to give us a little summary. And from there, we're going to dig into the past week's news, dissect it, do some deep dives, get some context around the actual evidence. We'll be right back. Here's my first thought is I'm not going nowhere to fight none of these wars for these politicians. I'm staying at home. And when the war comes to Arkansas, I will dig my boots in the ground and I will die for everything I love. And I will fight for the people that I love, for the land that I love and the way of life that I love. There's been so much political corruption in that area. You got Biden and his son making a ton of money off of uh, and using our tax dollars to bribe their people. That's treasonous, in my opinion. Uh, so you got Hunter Biden and his son using our tax dollars. Hey, if if Ukrainian government, if you don't do this, we're taking your tax dollars. He shouldn't be giving our tax dollars to that country anyway. We got veterans out here sleeping on the street, and you're going to give our freaking tax dollars to these Ukrainians and all. I brother, I don't know what's going on over there, but I'm not going over there and fighting. And God bless anybody that's over there fighting. And I hope that it just gets solved. And man, I don't like war. You know what I mean? I don't want people dying. I think it's fair to say that what he is saying, a lot of people are thinking. That, of course, is Bryce Mitchell, who now is 15-0 and after a spectacular performance in yesterday's UFC pay-per-view event. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human beings. This is Luke Radowski here of WeAreChange.org, and we have a lot of very complicated, serious situations to break down to you, as, of course, the situation in Ukraine is escalating and becoming that much worse off for the poor people caught up in this insanity and madness, which is bound to get a lot worse before it gets any better. This, as people are seeing the true reality of what has been described as a failure of civilization, and as a lot of people are hoping for de-escalation, 
We're only getting escalation. And this is why I think uh, Bryce's words in the beginning of this broadcast spoke to so many people, as of course many people don't want war and just want it to end. I think it's also fair to say that the UFC is one of the few sporting leagues that allows their athletes to express whatever political opinion they want without the fear of being punished for it. This fighter also made some very interesting comments about the U.S. Federal Reserve detailing how 13 board members have voting power on the value of the dollar. And with Bryce's career becoming more bright in the UFC, it's going to be interesting to see what else he has to say to the world. Now, if you remember not so long ago, last year in July, we did specific videos about Cyber Polygon, a program by the World Economic Forum that was drilling, practicing, and doing cyber virtual war games in order to practice for an alleged worldwide cyber attack. They did this drill with Russia. And as many people have said, the World Economic Forum definitely has a knack for predicting the major problems facing the world. We told you to keep an eye on this specific war game, on this Event 301-like scenario, as of course it could potentially be a key indicator of things to come. As today, we are having articles like this from Fox News that read, U.S. doesn't stand a fighting chance if Russia and China combine cyber tech. Allegedly, according to Nicholas Callen, a former Pentagon official, this says, of course, right now, we are dealing with a major significant proxy conflict between the United States and Russia that's unfolding now in Ukraine, and it would be foolish to think that this kind of warfare wouldn't expand and grow to other platforms and key areas of infrastructure, which of course are mainly maintained through the digital online space. Now, according to this former U.S. Pentagon official who most likely is working at a military-industrial complex firm right now, he describes U.S. infrastructure cyber defense as quote kindergarten level which he says stands no chance against china and russia now whether this is an accurate assessment or a plea for a bigger budget we have to understand as the world economic forum is saber rattling about this major problem which could become a reality at the same time the world economic forum is offering solutions to this problem as they're trying to push a new digital id system that of course is akin to the chinese social credit score system that would track trace and database all of your online activity monitor your political opinions your every movement, and even potentially your thoughts, which according to the World Economic Forum will make life easier for everyone. So essentially what the World Economic Forum is saying is, hey, there's going to be major cyber attacks that are going to disrupt life and make things miserable for everyone. But hey, also upload all of your information and trust us and put more of your life into the digital realm since, you know, it's going to be so convenient to depend on centralized, highly political institutions that of course are controlled by special interests and punish people for simply being born in the wrong country as the people of Russia are learning today as Visa along with MasterCard and other major financial institutions have fully pulled out of Russia, suspended their operations. Any visa cards issued in Russia are no longer able to work outside of their country. Any card issued outside of Russia will no longer work inside of that country. This as many individuals have just had their lives uprooted to punish them for the horrible decisions of their government. And uh, a lot of this seems like rich people in the United States wanting to punish rich people in Russia by only punishing poor people as of course over Overwhelmingly, these actions will affect predominantly just the average person living in Russia, like this person who just wrote today that her PayPal has stopped working in Russia. 
that Twitch decided no longer to pay Russian streamers, with this person specifically saying, quote, Thank you very much for cutting my only source of income. I am sure this will solve all of the world's problems. And it's not just Twitch and PayPal. It's also CNN, Disney, Facebook, Pepsi, and other adult websites that have fully pulled out of Russia, which uh, is leaving some people questioning if this is actually a punishment. This as Russian banks are now just switching over to the Chinese banking system and their card system, UnionPay, which is the second largest and growing fastest global credit card network, which is only going to grow and get more of a market away from the US dollar because of these actions made by the United States. It's also important to note that a few years ago, we were reporting to you about how Putin was buying a large sum of gold. It looks like he was doing this in preparation for this very situation that he has put himself in right now. And throughout all of this, it's also important to know that a lot of people are just buying VPNs, virtual private networks, spoofing their locations to not be in Russia in order to still be able to consume all the products and services that are bound in Russia. As right now, VPN applications are now the top downloaded and used applications in the Russian Apple App Store. Gee. I think it's very fair to say that the coverage from the U.S. corporate media during this conflict in Ukraine is a lot different than their coverage of the conflict in, in Syria, in, in Libya, in Somalia, and, and a lot of other places around the world where there are ongoing conflicts. But one thing that is true, whenever you have conflicts, whenever you have war, you have atrocities, you have war crimes, you have civilian casualties, you have the lives of innocents being lost. And this is why, again, we are always strictly anti-war. Those people didn't deserve to get hurt or punished or have their lives ended over, of course, the political ambitions of bureaucrats that want to use this situation in order to get more power. And it's important to note here that some people within the U.S. government specifically the Secretary of State are using the fact of civilian casualties as a way to push for an escalation of this conflict. As Anthony Blinken, the U.S. Secretary of State, says that, quote, there's very credible intelligence that shows Russia is engaged in war crimes, specifically targeting civilians. And if this is the case, it would be good that the Secretary of State released this information for the world to see and understand. The U.S. government saying there's very credible reports here from intelligence agencies that are known to lie doesn't really help the situation, as of course a lot of people normally think about the weapons of mass destruction, which was also brought to us by the intelligence agencies under, quote, very credible reports. It's important to question everything here. I'm not saying that these accusations didn't happen, but if they did, we need a lot more than just the word in order to believe that they happened. But the U.S. Secretary of State is saying that this is a justification for other countries to get involved in this conflict and to send in warplanes from countries like Poland. This, of course, would involve a U.S. NATO ally country getting involved in this conflict, getting NATO involved, and, of course, expanding the field of conflict, endangering the lives of more people here. A major escalation. This, as just moments ago, the Secretary of State just announced that NATO countries have the, quote, green light to send fighter jets to Ukraine in order to, of course, attack the Russians. Now, how will some NATO countries respond? Will they be sending in their troops? Well, if they do, expect this situation to get more out of hand than it already is. As already, a lot of foreign individuals are getting involved in this conflict as we're getting reports from the Ukrainians that allegedly 16,000 
foreign nationals have volunteered to come into Ukraine and joined their international legion to fight against Russia. There's also accusations against this legion being specifically mercenaries from private military contractors. It wouldn't surprise me if this was the case, but we have yet to see any evidence suggesting this to be true. Now again, with war, there's going to be atrocities all around as we are also getting the latest reports of a Ukrainian peace negotiator being accused of being a Russian spy and then soon executed by the Ukrainian state without a judge, jury, or trial. There was no prison sentence, just the extermination of an individual who was suspected of treason. This is the man pictured here with negotiations that were still ongoing with the Russians. And again, these reports are still just initially coming in and in the fog of war should also be questioned just like everything that's happening there. The latest reports that we're also hearing is that Putin is, quote, raining bombs on a green corridor, which according to the Ukrainians have led to the loss of life of civilians who specifically were fleeing during a ceasefire, which was again, allegedly violated by the Russians. Now, is there loss of civilian life in Ukraine? I would say absolutely. There always is loss of life of civilians during wartime. There's always innocence being caught in the middle, as of course, these are the people paying the ultimate price for the political ambitions of some individuals. Now, Putin, in response to a lot of this, is saying publicly that the Ukrainians are using, quote, civilians as human shields. We usually see this kind of excuse used by, of course, aggressors, but it also wouldn't surprise me if this was a tactic employed, since, of course, war is dirty, and who knows what in the world is going on here, as, of course, there's been a lot of disinformation, a lot of propaganda, as even the New York Times writes about how unverified stories Stories like the ghost of Kiev, which came from footage from a video game that was propagated all over social media, is, quote, a key part of Ukrainians' war plan as they, quote, try to keep morale high. The New York Times also led a report saying that Russians were launching a full-scale assault on civilians and people specifically protesting them, with later one of their reporters saying that the Russian soldiers were not just shooting them as they previously reported they were, but shooting in the air in order to disperse the protests so their military vehicles could walk through. There's a big difference with this reporter saying that Russian soldiers are shooting protesters and civilians to, of course, shooting in the air in order to disperse them. And again, facts matter here, and this type of lazy reporting, this type of lazy journalism doesn't help anyone, especially the people of Ukraine that are caught in the middle of this and are having people question their courage because of this lazy reporting. There's also a lot of corporate media reports of Russians attacking nuclear reactors inside of Ukraine. This as Reuters just released an article talking about how there is no evidence of Russians attacking a nuclear reactor in Ukraine, even though there's a lot of news reports purporting it to happen. Reuters is saying it didn't happen. Now, it's also important to note here that one of Putin's key allies, a Chechen leader, came out and publicly addressed the president of Russia asking him to quote shut your eyes to everything and let military commanders unleash a blitzkrieg of savagery in Ukraine and quote finish it all in a day or two now with Chechen leaders coming out and publicly declaring this it really puts into question the media reports that we've been seeing along of course with Putin's strategy in starting this war now, of course the president of Ukraine is still urging a no-fly zone which is again akin to a full all-out war 
between the West and the East. Will he get it? Will NATO send in more fighter jets? Well, if one thing is clear, is that on the corporate media... We are seeing a huge push for this, a huge push for escalation. As Caitlin Johnston writes, quote, the Overton window is being shoved towards warmongering extremism. And I would have to agree with her, especially with some of the content that I've been seeing on the national media, especially by individuals like Sean Hannity, which are sociopathic, crazy demands that will lead to more loss of human life. Again, NATO forces have just been activated for the first time. The Secretary of State is saying you have the green light to shoot down Russian aircraft inside of Ukraine. The corporate media is cheering this on as we're dealing with the situation with some very serious consequences. Now, again, Again, clearly, Putin still here is the aggressor. He still is invading a country that is a significant underdog here, but that underdog is being used as a proxy state by Western interests that have led to a huge loss of life of innocent people inside of Ukraine. And even the Washington Post admits through its sources that have been corroborated with the sources from the New York Times that Washington, D.C. is considering a successor to Zelensky if he is captured or killed by the Russians, as they are also, quote, preparing for a government in exile and a long insurgency. And again, there's a lot of people being affected by this, losing loved ones, losing their homes, losing their lives that wish this conflict to be over. But from everything that we're seeing from the escalations, it looks like that is not going to happen anytime soon. And again, I think we're dealing with an absolutely crazy situation that we should take a step back from in order to fully understand what's really going on, the larger ramifications. And I think what we should be trying to focus on and trying to bring is peace rather than, of course, more war. And again, that's just my perspective on it. I, I, I could be wrong. If you think I'm wrong, let me know why in the comment section below. But, but truly, this has been a very difficult situation in order to, to report on, to, to, to examine, to even fact check. I might have gotten some things wrong. And, and this is the nature of the situation with how fast moving it is and how much disinformation and propaganda it, there is surrounding it. But if you thought I did an okay job navigating this crazy minefield, share this video with your friends and family members because you do I'm, I'm able to be here i did another video we did just share it with friends and a whole bunch of people all right good so there's a lot to unpack there <clears throat> the warmongering that uh caitlin johnstone points out yeah people are getting more and more extreme and what did solomon de rothschild say back in 1861 in his letters that that people in the middle got taken to the extreme because of more and more drum beating on each side and that it divides people. So we see a pattern in history that has happened before, repeating, and uh, those governments in exile and long insurgency. I mean, Taiwan's a government in exile. That's been going on a long time. So if they're preparing for this to be a longer term thing, and then one China does play a card, there's going to be some interesting, you know, weeks ahead in this. I don't think it's anywhere uh, near being over. But back at the beginning of Luke's report, he's talking about. Uh, basically the digital new world order and uh, track trace database type of things. <clears throat> I think that the digital new world order is the metaverse and that's what they're trying to get everybody into. And that part where they can just turn off your MasterCard and turn off your PayPal because you live in a country that's no, no longer popular with the people who own banks. I mean, that's a thing that everyone should now be concerned with because you just saw it. I didn't know they turned off all that. I mean, I knew they turned off Swift. But I didn't know they like revoked everyone's MasterCard and Visa and stuff over there. 
So, uh, yeah, interesting times that we're living in when groups will just seize. I mean, we, we've seen it over the past couple of weeks with the Canadian truckers, money being seized, that sort of thing. In fact, one of the ladies involved was the deputy prime minister and minister of finance, Canada, Christia Freeland. I got her book here, Plutocrats. We're going to break into it tonight. It's one of the worst books I've ever had to, to go through. And if you go through the index on your own, you'll see. Big fan of the Bolsheviks and Lenin. They're, they're very popular in that book. It's mentioned a lot of times. And uh, the, the nuggets of knowledge, very few. But we'll mine a couple just to put it on the record later. Uh, Tony, before we go to this, uh, <laughs> I have trouble saying it with a, st- a straight face. <clears throat> the guy from Taken, that dude, uh, mm-hmm. you know, from, uh, what was he? He's Qui-Gon Jinn, bro. He's Rob, Qui-Gon Rob Roy. He's Rob Roy from back in the day. Qui-Gon Jinn. You might have known Qui-Gon Jinn, yeah. Yeah, they did the Taken series. like Taken 1, Taken 2, Taken 3, Taken Too Far. Liam Neeson. You might know him. Liam Uh, Neeson. He offered to call and negotiate with Putin. And (laughs) I was like, is this a real news story? But apparently, it is a real news story. And should we go to the guy, the funny guy in his garage to cover it? Because I think that's probably how this story should be covered. Hell yeah. Funny guy in the garage. Let's check it out. Hey, this is Jimmy. Who is this? Seamus. <laughs> Hello. This is Liam Neeson. How are you, my old friend? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. How are you doing? Jimmy, I'm heartbroken. Why, well, why is that? <laughs> I'm heartbroken over the state of affairs in our world. Once again, the dark specter of war has descended onto our fragile sphere. Yeah, Liam, there have been wars waging constantly over the past decade that no one pays a lick attention to. Sadly, this may be true. Such is the nature of man. But this war is now all over the news. So I, like so many other concerned citizens of Earth, am forced to contemplate it. Right, okay. I stand with the brave, beleaguered people of Ukraine. (laughs) as well as those citizens of Russia who do not want this unspeakable violence committed in their name. The people of both nations have a special place in my heart. Why? Because you have, you film movies there? No, because they look like me. (laughs) So the Yemeni people don't have a special place in your heart then? The who now? (laughs) Ah! (laughs) Ah! The citizens of Yemen, there have been a brutal and destructive proxy war going on there for years now. I'm not familiar with that place. Sounds like one of those countries that if I were depicted, if it were depicted in one of my films, it would be made to look like a dangerous hellhole. Stay away, Western man. Steer clear. Here be dragons. Yes, exactly. That's the place. Well, I'm sure the world is glad for your concern, Liam. Thank you, Jimmy. That means a great deal. But I'm not here to offer mere concern. Oh, really? What else? I'm here to offer my service. Service as what? As an actor? As an international symbol of celebrity. Mm -hmm. A bringer of (laughs) peace. An informal diplomat. And yes, if the situation so requires, a thespian. I I see. Well, how do you see this working out exactly? Well, perhaps I could get involved in peace talks personally. I got a very imposing figure in real life, I assure you. <laughs> I'm not to be trifled with. Do you have any background in that sort of thing, though, Liam? Not officially, no, but how hard could it be? 
Besides, how does my status as actor disqualify me exactly? The Ukrainian president himself started out in entertainment. Mm -hmm. A comedian, Jimmy, like you. I saw the most delightful clip of him the other day, where he and three of his comrades in laughter were all playing Hava Nagila on the piano with, get this, their flaccid members. Which, like all good comedies, distasteful on many levels. Ah. <laughs> well, I'm certainly offended by that as a comedian. Precisely. So I'm already swimming in familiar waters. All right. Say you were involved in the peace talks, Liam. What would you say to the Russian delegation? I speak to Putin and Putin alone. Really? How do you figure? I'm Liam Neeson, for Christ's sakes. I'm not going to spend my time with some underling. It would be beneath me. Bring me Putin. All right, then. What would you say to him? Listen to me very carefully, Putin. <laughs> this madness has gone on long enough. Diplomacy must take over at this point. You and this phallic jester Zelensky must work out the situation like gentlemen for the good of both you and your nations. Yeah, and what if Putin asks what you, Liam Neeson, have to offer in return? By even agreeing to this good faith gesture, you have won yourself and your citizens the following boon. I, actor Liam Neeson, will perform pro bono my one-man play for seven nights at the Mariinsky Theater in St. Petersburg. No other <laughs> menu. It's entitled Tuskbreaker 2, Rise of the Mastodons, which is a dramatization of an action film that is a sequel to a movie that does not exist, but I like to pretend it did. And, and do you think that would work? Only a madman, a megalomaniac, would turn down such a deal. I have to imagine that even Vladimir Putin has enough sense and humanity to see the wisdom in this move. Well, it sounds great. I say you send you, we should send you over there. I'm way ahead of you, Jimmy. <laughs> I've arranged for a private mercenary firm to smuggle me across the border where I will emerge somewhere in the Donetsk province, Cologne, with enough provisions and tactical gear to survive on my own for a week. In that amount of time, my various movie roles have provided me enough training to reach the proper parties and make contact. Well, good luck and Godspeed, Liam, and look out for the Nazis in the area. You know, they don't mess around. Nazis? <laughs> Nobody told me the Krauts were involved. I'll make short shrift of them as well along the way. No, actually, Liam, you know what? Never mind. Good luck, Liam. Slancha, Jimmy. Did I mention I was drunk as a skunk? Okay. <laughs> That really happened. All right. So <clears throat> the next is we have a, a contest of sorts. We're going to have you uh, vote for which of these two videos is the better video that takes the fact that in war, truth is the first casualty. So, Tony, which one do we want to roll first? We're going to mix uh, let's play the mystery. Paul Joseph Watson clip first, and then we'll play Gregory's right after. And then in chat, if you like Paul Joseph Watson, you put one. And if you like the Gregory's, you put two. And then uh, there's no prize, but we're going to figure out which one's better. Let's go to it. The first casualty of war is truth. And boy, is that old adage proven correct in the past few days. Russia deploys mobile crematoriums to hide evidence of battlefield casualties. Stench of death. Chilling pics reveal Russia's mobile crematoriums used to incinerate dead soldiers and hide true scale of Ukraine war. Turns out the pictures are from a 2013 YouTube video posted by a Russian incinerator construction company and they're incinerating a trash bag. Whoops! Ukrainian soldier on Snake Island tells Russian officer to go expletive yourself before being killed. Russian warship, go fuck yourself. These guards on a Ukrainian island refuse to surrender before being killed by Putin troops. Ukraine soldiers told Russian officer, go fuck yourself before they died on island. Uh, 
They weren't killed, and here's a video of them peacefully surrendering. Ukraine island defenders who told Russian Navy, go fuck yourself, may still be alive. Whoops. Ukraine president fighting on the front lines, 24th of February, 2022. Ukraine president inspecting border, 9th of April, 2021. Hmm. Whoops. The ghost of Kiev has a name, and he has absolutely owned the Russian Air Force. Godspeed and more kills, Samuel. Who wants to tell him? That's a meme featuring the comedian Sam Hyde. Same guy who bills himself as a slayer of conspiracy theories. Posting more old images as if they're new. Whoops. Russian tanks running over innocent drivers. Turns out the tank is Ukrainian. Whoops. You'd think the fact checkers would be in their element. The past week should have been an absolute bonanza for them. And yet they're strangely AWOL. Yeah, funny that, isn't it? Almost like fact checkers are just a vanguard of biased partisan political interests. Surely not. When the fog of war becomes a regional sandstorm. You don't have to be a Russian stooge or a conspiracy theorist to see the blindingly obvious. Why should we trust a legacy media and a political class that has lied about the circumstances behind every conflict in modern history? Almost certainly lied about the origin of the pandemic and has just spent the last two years dangerously misleading the public about lockdowns and silencing anyone who challenged their narrative. Oh, don't worry, they may have done all that, but when it comes to this, you can trust them. Honest, really. I don't trust anyone. I don't trust the Russians, and I don't trust them. Retaining a sense of nuance, a shred of incredulity, and an ounce of critical thinking doesn't make you a Russian stooge or a Kremlin asset. It makes you a normal human being. first casualty of war is the truth. And if the American people knew the truth about U.S. interference in Ukraine, they might not be so eager to start World War III. During World War II, Western Ukraine sided with the Nazis. After the war, the CIA helped Ukrainian Nazis evade the Nuremberg trials and began operating with them within the Ukraine. After decades of CIA infiltration, the Ukrainian People's Movement emerged in 1989 and gave birth to extremist groups Svoboda, Trident, and Right Sector. Neo-Nazi groups pushing for the ethnic cleansing of Ukraine. Extremist groups cultivated by the CIA, supported by the U.S. State Department, and used by the IMF to bring Ukraine to heal. When Yanukovych beat NATO-backed Yushchenko in the 2010 elections, his government was being pressured into signing an EU association agreement by the International Monetary Fund in their typical conquer-by-debt offer that would financially ruin the Ukraine and place them at the mercy of the World Bank. Yanukovych declined their offer. And in today's corrupt world, you're not allowed to say no to the IMF. Funded by Western NGOs associated with George Soros and the CIA, a highly organized color revolution was immediately deployed against Yanukovych. Organizations such as the National Endowment for Democracy trained activist journalists to utilize Facebook along with three brand new television networks created within weeks to recruit people for the protests. 
This Western-run media campaign was a huge success. The turnout was massive. The CIA has been orchestrating revolutions their entire career, and the first step to their simple formula is to convince people to take to the streets in peaceful protest. They then use agitators to goad the police into violence and state-run media to ignite the crowd with emotionally charged reports of sacred victims. On November 30th, 2013, the Ukrainian chief of staff, associated closely with the U.S. State Department, ordered the streets to be cleared of protesters for the erection of the annual Christmas tree. When the police arrived, they were met by a highly aggressive and well-organized faction of Ukraine's right sector, who provoked the police into a violent reaction against peaceful protesters, which is all the Western intelligence media reported on. Predictably, this resulted in more unrest and violence, which was further fueled by U.S. Senator John McCain's support of the protests. Leaked phone calls reveal that the U.S. State Department was orchestrating this coup d'etat from within the U.S. Embassy with support from Vice President Joe Biden. On February 20th, unidentified snipers firing from government buildings occupied by the protesters began firing into the crowd, killing people on all sides. Yunyakovic's home and offices were taken by armed mobs, and a new government was put into place with a neo-Nazi element that went on to accept the IMF's spurious loan offer and began murdering the Russian-speaking population of Ukraine in Donbass. As a result of this Western-created quagmire, 96% of the people in Crimea voted in favor of joining Russia. And while the nation celebrated, Western media reported that they were invaded by Russia. Their proof? A Russian military presence which has existed there since 1804. Supporting a criminal war against Russia does not make you a patriot. It makes you a useful idiot of the globalist banking cartel. The very same entities waging war on all of humanity with vaccine passports and experimental jabs. A righteous patriot would call out his government for war crimes. And through fraud and deceit, the United States government has been the world's biggest purveyor of war crimes for decades. All in the name of spreading McDonald's, genetically modified foods, and sexual perversions worldwide. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. two solid entries those are both good you know greg reese he knows how to edit and bring in audio and b-roll i'm sure I'm sure pjw needs you know he doesn't need to do that he just talks and that's his video uh i like them both i got a couple corrections updates let's see in the greg v- reese video he's like <clears throat> cia did all that stuff okay yeah they did with the help and aid and tutelage of mi6 otherwise they wouldn't be up to all this uh, international no good but you, so you got to include their older, dirtier cousins that are playing along in those dirty tricks games. Sure. It wouldn't surprise me. Mossad has a connection. In there, sure. So, yeah. They were all trained by the same people that funded the Nazis after they, afterward, they brought all those best mm-hmm. commandos together and kind of homogenized the system. So you had, you know, German special forces guys from the Nazis that were training the Mossad like a couple decades later. And it's all MI6, yeah, CIA, in that, Mossad in, in that network. But I also irony, wanted actually. to. Yeah. He's talking about those Nazis in the West, the neo-Nazis, the ones who never left. 
this was where the CIA and MI6 kept a whole bunch of Nazis that they didn't want to uh, bring to the United States. So this book's about the ones they brought to the United States. Okay. But that element that's over there, that's what Operation Gladio was about, keeping that kind of fascist Nazi element alive in case they needed to fight during the Cold War. No reason that they should be still getting military equipment, aid and support, all these sort of things from United States, Canada, Five Eyes countries. You know, it's like, does anyone does anyone in Ukraine wonder why it's any of Canada, or United States or UK's business? What's going on there? Why do they have such interest over there? Because they're using Ukraine as a proxy to fight with Russia and a reason I, yeah. to conduct all this financial warfare. And I got another thing. It's like, who just pulled, like, who pulled, who flipped the switch? They just turned all the money off over there. Credit, SWIFT, all this stuff. It seems like the bankers are fighting with Russia. I don't know. Is that what's going on? Now, on the other hand, I don't think Putin's strategy is very well thought out. I think he emotionally reacted. Now, here's how I think it works. His argument is that he's got to do this because NATO is trying to encroach on his country. And they have. NATO expansion definitely has expanded right up to the borders, right? So his argument is he needs to do this so NATO doesn't expand to be bordered with his country. So he's going to expand so he can be bordered with NATO country. <laughs> Either way, that's happening. That's his outward-facing outward argument. Yeah, yeah, you're but right. There's another poker that's not close to the vest. Right. His because... real, real reason, yeah. You know, the issue with the oil pipeline and the uh, natural gas, you know, so he does, he has no more leverage insofar as one of their major exports. And now he's being pressured by the West exporting um, potentially to the EU. While at the same but hey, time, look, I think, China just or, got all those new customers for their new, right. like, you know, credit card. For their types, credit system, social, which social is probably tied system. to a social credit system. It's like yeah, a new world order, digital new world order type of thing that they're doing. Yeah. So implicitly, the argument is, well, he doesn't have one of his major industries. He can't necessarily have control over the export of that and the revenue that would be generated from it. The the extrinsic version of it is, well, there's NATO insurgency and encroachment on Russia. And so that gives me the sort of Casas belly, the sort of justified cause to go to war even though he's violating various UN charters, not that that really matters ultimately because of the facade that the UN uh, charter system actually is. But nonetheless, you know, that to your point, that's, it's not well thought out, but that one thing that Greg Reese pointed out, Rich, and maybe we could talk a little bit about this. So Putin was buying gold for quite some time. Does that mean he's going to introduce some sort of like government sponsored currency system and the bankers finally finish him off? Is that uh, like so many in history have done <laughs> backed by his own gold reserves? I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. It just sounds a little crazy. I know, but Abraham Lincoln had a similar I situation. Know. I know. And the irony of the civil war was that Russia came in on both coasts to prevent the British from coming in on the side of the Confederacy. Otherwise we would be living a different history right now. And I'll have like Dukes of Hazard stuff around, you know, so Russia was good back then. And even back then, I'm pretty sure the Russian monarchy was related to queen victoria if not the next generation was because she's the grandmother of europe and then they went from having empires through a great reset called world war one and they came out as countries and they redrew the map and a whole bunch of interesting things happened so they do this every now and then and they're getting better and more prolific at how they do it so don't think that they're done just because they like you don't have to wear a mask right now yeah, yeah. They still want digital IDs. They still want you 
mutated, updated, brought into the technocratic fourth industrial revolution uh, that Klaus Schwab's talking about. Interesting. You keep saying digital ID. Do you notice the, the euphemistic terminology you're using? Because like that's something they updated like a week or two ago. First, it was vaccine passport. Now it's called digital ID. We'll get into more of that later. We actually went into this in depth in the town hall last uh, this last Tuesday. So people should look up look up the Commons Pass and then look up the Commons Project, and you'll see the common thing is it's the Ford Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, all these organizations that are there for regime change. That's where they aim at. Oh, the other thing is all week. Anytime I see something on YouTube, it throws me an ad. It's black and yellow. It's for the IRF, I believe, and that's Soros's Open Society Foundation's element over in Ukraine. That's the organization that overthrew it in 2014, along with NATO and Newland and Pyatt and these other people that were in on democracy over there, right? So that's interesting that they're approaching American audiences who are emotionally tied because they've seen translators cry. And they're like, here's an offer for help. Looks professional. It's on YouTube. They should send money. And they're just sending money to Soros. It's not like a Red Cross type of thing that they're doing. It's a psychological warfare operation that has been used in coups in 2004 in the color revolution and in 2014. So, yeah, there's that. Yeah. Well, in the CIA along with MI6 and Mossad are essentially backing these far-right proxy groups and setting them up for, they may not use them for a decade, two decades, five decades, but they're going to make sure that these elements exist. So when they need to use them, they can to destabilize the region, then give the justification to go in and correct the situation, whether that means regime change or whether it needs uh, means um, getting sort of multi, using the IMF, and economic warfare. I mean, they'll use all different means for it. Well, I brought this up a minute ago. And now that you Mm -hmm. mentioned IMF again, I recalled that I had brought this up. If you look at the history of the IMF, it's created by the people that were in charge of handling Nazis and communists. There's a lot of interesting British communist spies that were around with IMF and Frank. Laoshin Curry, Harry Dexter White. There's a whole bunch of fellow travelers that were involved uh, in IMF, but then um, IMF has been used as a gangster organization. I mean, this is like John yeah, Perkins, Chile, you know, Confessions of an Opera of uh, Economic Hitman. Yeah. They've used these organizations like World Bank, IMF, and that's what they're trying to do right now. Hey, Ukraine, take a whole bunch of money from the gangsters who will never let you pay it off, and Jekyll Island can be a happy, merry place. I mean, not anymore. That's not where they meet, but that's the idea. That was like the first place that they started meeting before there was Bilderberg or the Pilgrim Society or any of that stuff. They had Jekyll Island meetings starting in like 1886. I was pleased um, to see, I saw part three of Aaron and Melissa Dykes's uh, The Trust Game. And then part three, there's a lot about Jekyll Island. I didn't know that Jekyll Island was like the second to last receiver of slaves in right before it like there was no more slavery in america the second to last not the last slave ship but the second to last one was there and that you know within a couple years it's this big playground for international robber barons of the anglo-american establishment interesting history that jekyll island where the creature came i wonder what his jurisdiction was like in regards to law and how it was being well they showed in the film that they laid an extra 1,100 miles of cable to have Jekyll Island be on the phone call when the first transatlantic phone call <laughs> was done to the White House. Oh, if that doesn't the excuse show you the was the guy okay. from AT&T like broke his leg 
And he's like, hey, sure. I'm not going to be able to make it to the White House. So lay an extra 1,100 miles of cable. So the Jekyll Island Club, where Rockefeller and Vanderbilt and all these dudes, Carnegie, they're all hanging out there back in the day. The Anglo-American Robber Barons. It was like their private club. It was like the most elite club on the planet. So anyway, their uh, part three of their series <clears throat> gave really good voice to that. And the other thing I discovered real quick about th- uh, American history through that episode was right before the Civil War, there was this banking crisis here. And how they put it in the movie was that the the Rothschilds and the other bankers to whom American states had financed and taken debt, uh, they felt that the American citizens should uphold those states' debts. And they kind of were like remarking on how over there in Europe, everyone has that collective responsibility to pay off national and state you know, equivalent debts that they have an ownership in that. And then American citizens were like, oh, we didn't spend that. We didn't sign up for that. That's not us. We're not paying it. And that brought a need for the Prussian education system to be brought over to America, which a financial need that are the bankers were like, we're not going to get paid consistently. We're going to continue to have this unless we have uh, some sort of indoctrination system to get people wholly bought into and indentured into that system. So I thought that was interesting too, because you know, more people need to understand how and why all these things kind of bring it full circle, bring it to the modern situation where the one debt that cannot be forgiven in any right you cannot file bankruptcy for is student loan debt so not only to become indoctrinated but through schooling and everyone it's a it's a societal and cultural right to go to university and take on massive amounts of debt and then you can never get out of it i wonder if that's all connected not only do they dumb you down but then they get you in debt and while you get to that you know level you they're going to have those uh card tables set up with the t-shirts and the free here's a get a credit card you get a free t-shirt oh and yeah like, and sure. it's like hsbc it's just the hong kong shanghai bank corporation that made their money from the opium monopoly for 100 years and still drug trade money laundering out there but let let yourself get indentured with that stuff that you don't know you don't know the history and evolution of those institutions when they're offering you that at that right. young age that's predatory but that's how their system runs and we should act as if and not hope for them to be like good people and change it we should be like, yeah, the whole field is disinformation and misinformation out there right now. Act as if. Pick up each thing and inspect it and observe it and ask the questions and find your own choices or judgments or conclusions or decisions based on that. But don't trust that, oh, Reuters said today, oh, look at this. Yeah, I tweeted something that Reuters put out. It was promoted to me. And they're like, in case you missed it, Algerian <laughs> female kite surfers are facing adversity and trying to break i'm like this like it's a slow news week i guess Reuters, right so reuters started back in the 1850s with the rothschild partnership and they've never gone far from serving that agenda to the point where the guy from reuters is on the board of pfizer like the guy from pfizer is on the board of reuters either way well James and reuters Reuters and the Reuters and the Associated Press. I mean, they they stand at the drugs top. and like, a mouthpiece. That's what like, it is. Reuters is the mouthpiece. Pfizer's the drugs. Hasn't changed from East India Company monopoly very much. No, and um, as an analogy, it's sort of akin to Vanguard and BlackRock insofar as like they stand at the top, and then all other news sources or news outlets seem to take the the talking points that Reuters or the AP pump out, and that's essentially what your local news station is going to be commenting on. Or other, or it starts. Usually at the collective voice of the economist. If you ever read the economist, well, there's not a single see. author. There's no singular author in any. I mean, this has gone on for like 200 years. This economist is, how they is an run interesting it. publication. It's run as a collective voice. It's a front end for the financial dynasty of the Rothschilds, and it's a London school of economics, which they mm-hmm. also fund type operation. 
actually in my international uh, business so when i have lady plutocrat lady she talks about the london school of economics in here a little bit about some guy who got busted there it's not interesting enough to show you the economist is an interesting i always looked at it as like the economic branch of the foreign affairs magazine we had the that was the, the economic sole, branch of the british empire what did you say yeah essentially pretty much you it's got the it, counter so. to the round table the round mm-hmm. table was like the control the, of the economic media. sort of like the arm economist of the round and lse table. control economics you got it yeah that's exactly because like that was the sole resource we used in one of my most in, influential uh, international business courses i took i took a minor in international business when i was in geopolitics when i was in college and we used exclusively the economists and they tell you a lot of very interesting like you know compare that to like the wall street journal bloomberg or something it's nothing that's much more it reads much more like intelligence like a propaganda from an intelligence agency rather than like the commentary on the propaganda on the intelligence agency which would be like a wall street journal bloomberg or something like that so it was very interesting to use only you're right like it's just a shifting or revolving door of authors of sort of amorphous or nebulous sort of backgrounds and associations it's a way to give voice to their agenda without tying it to a particular author yeah exactly it's the approved they tell you a lot of truth it's a lot of sophistry because they tell you a lot of truth and they they tell you they leave out it's a fallacy by omission as we like to call it i remember in the 2016 election the the economist had an article and they had a tweet to this effect and it's like we don't have a vote in your election but if we did (laughs) we'd vote for hillary clinton and you know another article is like we predict hillary clinton's going to win by 97 percent or whatever it was and it's just like that's because hillary clinton and lynn forrester to rothschild who her and her husband, Sir Evelyn de Rothschild, are the people I'm speaking of that are involved with the London School of Economics and the, the Economist and these sort of things. Yeah. Uh, they're very good friends. They are. Lynn, yes. Lynn Forrester de Rothschild and Hillary Clinton. That was a Hillary Clinton. We had week. that on the show like six yeah. weeks ago or something. Yeah, XOXO. Yeah, yeah, the XOX. <laughs> you know, it's not like the Rothschilds have relinquished their power in any capacity. They just well, hide they behind more sophisticated smoke screens through the through the diversification. I mean, um, I did a presentation for Foster Gamble's audience yesterday, and the way I explain it is, it's pretty simple. The British Empire had some the problem is like um, they're they're seeking a result they have they they want and don't have, and the Zionists had one of those too. They had a problem. They're they're seeking a result they didn't have. They wanted Palestine for a future state. I mean, Britain had that. um, Britain wanted America in the war. And according to the Rothschild timeline on the Rothschild family archive, the situation was Great Britain was seeking to get America into the war. And they thought the Zionists could persuade financially to get America into the war. And I thought that's interesting because that also corresponds to testimony of um, Benjamin. Uh, Oh, um, from the factor uh, fact yeah factor factor facts facts, yeah his name benjamin freeman from the i don't think it's it's, the soap company yeah the soap company yeah and he was at the versailles treaty and he was with the people i should know i was there yeah yeah Yeah. it's a classic yeah it's his name freeman yeah in fact let me just put that on the record let me show you uh let me go to that slide let's listen to that uh lecture so many different times it's fantastic because he he well i won't get into some of the details because it's a little bit too right, even for this show it's a little bit too go here they're in insurance they get the intense. Prussian loan the pigeon post gold supply wellington well i think the point that benjamin freeman points out is the large semitic influence in the press and the financial sector in america that could actually uh oh we're looking for out and promulgate it's forward in the timeline get america into the war 
It's also to point out, like the British were also so that was one thing they were doing, but they also did the Sykes Pico agreement. Here's Jekyll Island, summer. just real quick. Here's Jekyll Island Club, 1886. Nice guys, I'm sure. They're getting into Russian oil. Let me get up to uh, 1917 here. I may slide into this for 45. It was 100. It was 150 for a 45 minute gig. <laughs> <laughs> I went. I went. I don't know how long I went. I think I went like ninety minutes or something. Okay. Uh, right here. Right here. Right here. Beginning in nineteen sixteen. Now, what's the source for this? With the Rothschild Archive, you can go to the RothschildArchive.org. Go up there to uh, uh, what's it say? It's like uh, exhibits, and it'll have the timeline. You go into the timeline. Just read the timeline. Origins of the First World War on the Rothschild Archive. Beginning in 1916, the British hoped that in exchange for their support of Zionism, quote, the Jews, end quote, would help to finance the growing expenses of the First World War, which was becoming increasingly burdensome. More importantly, policymakers in the Foreign Office believed that the Jews could be prevailed upon to persuade the United States to join the war. At this time, there were very strong pro-Zionist feelings by many of the political elite in the establishment. Many of Britain's leaders, including Prime Minister David Lloyd George and Balfour himself, felt for the Jews and their history. These men were deeply religious Christian Zionists. They had grown up on the Bible. The Holy Land was their spiritual home. They believed that modern Zionism would fulfill a divine premise or prop promise and resettle the Jews in the land of their ancient fathers. Now, this is 1916-1917. So, you could call that the British Israel World Federation, that because the monarchy draws its power from the Old Testament and King David, and that's how their monarchs, these sort of things, the agenda aligned. And because the Lusitania is sunk, America gets into World War I. Not that Colonel House and Lord Grey and the king conspired in any way to do that, according to their documents and private papers. But uh, that's the origins of First World War. America enters the war in April 20... And April and one of the largest loans from the Federal Reserve, one of the initial first oh, loans. Huge, so that was from Federal... Eustace Mullins. But, yeah, it got started but, with that. Yeah. And it, then that was the receipt. The main... So <clears throat> America gets into war April 1917. By November, you've got the Balfour Declaration, which is the receipt for the transaction. There's uh, Balfour in their timeline, but I brought in to the audience. I'm like, here's the five drafts of it. And I'm going to show you four of them because one of them is just uh, a minor change. The first draft of it yeah, is yeah. Lord Rothschild's draft. He wrote it up and then sent it to the British government, which is Arthur Balfour, who's with him and in the same roundtable. And then it goes to Milner, who runs the roundtable. And then Balfour delivers it back on. The, this is the final wording from the British government. So the Lord Rothschild letter, the, the letter to him started with a letter from him saying, here's what you guys should figure out your wording for. So it's a fascinating type of situation. That, by the way, comes from the Balfour100.com site, the 100th anniversary of the Balfour Declaration. So you can also see World War I Conspiracy by James Corbett or read Lord Milner's Second War. There we go. Yeah. That. So, Hang I mean, there's context. also the whole, you know, just real quick, because you brought up something with... Um, then from the Rothschild archive about 1916 in regards to trying to get using Israel influ or uh, Zionist influence to get America into the war, rehashing these sort of Christian sentiments, considering that the, you know, the Christian Bible uh, is a callback both to the old Testament and the new Testament. Right. And this old Testament book of Kings idea that Israel has the, a, a right to their 
original homeland is ordained by God in the covenant from the Exodus, so forth and so on. Uh, there was a documentary that you and I watched. I don't even think you might remember this, but I, th- I feel like they were critiquing the ADL or other such like uh, Jewish lobbyist organization in America. And they basically said in the 70s and 80s, they redid that same thing for the Christian sort of right movement of the Reagan types, sort of galvanizing that sent that that Christian sentiment because there wasn't even that sort of died down yeah, it was a- through the 50s, 60s and 70s until about the early 80s. They sort of re- sort of reprising that theme, if you will. They and, did under the Reagan yes, administration. Yes, 100%. they did. Yeah. Yep. Very well marketed. By Jimmy Swagger and company, late night televangelists. Yes, you got it. That's it. A lot of people on board with it. Okay, so let me just cut to the chase. Um, the instead of referring back to that old documentary, let me Mm -hmm. refer to John Mearsheimer, who was in the news this past week because his perspectives on Ukraine from a couple years ago, like he explained exactly what was going to happen, and no one heard it because he co-authored a book called The Israel Lobby. And uh, that right. shot down his political career, like being in, being on TV and saying stuff that people can hear anymore. These sort of things, right? Oh, talking about. So the there's a Jimmy Door clip. I think he he watches the Mearsheimer clip, and uh, they're like, "Why haven't we heard of this?" And and then uh, <laughs> the other dude is like, "Well, because he wrote this book, and then that got him blacklisted." Basically, I got it right here. I got the. Uh, there's some sort of situation. I was talking with a friend of mine. There you uh, go. In New York's. He wrote. He have, wrote. This yeah, book. yeah. I remember yeah. that. Here. but uh let me see if i can find this but apparently to do business in new york city you have to sign agreements with the fact that you are not allowed to speak badly against the jewish lobby or design estate something to that effect let me see if i can find the reference which i couldn't believe actually existed until i looked it up which i will maybe we'll go to a clip and i'll try to find that um because it's quite <laughs> all you got to know is who controls a lot of what's going on. Um, that's that's to do business in New York City. Well, so. the, my point of all that was, I don't think um, it wasn't the Rothschild plan. Oh, here it is. Uh, it was, I got it. It wasn't the Rothschild family who came up with a plan to take over the world. They were climbing the ladder in British society from like 1805 or 1806 all the way up through the late 1800s where they're getting peerage and stuff, right? They had bought and saved the Bank of England and bought the Royal Mint and all these sort of things, right? That... Finance and Napoleon convenient board. to the British already having an English speaking idea, wanting to dominate the whole planet, having the East India Company that had a military twice the size of Great Britain itself, having this huge GDP, right, associated with the opium trade and stuff like that. Like the Rothschilds were financing and insuring ships in that trade. And then they went over and took over Ceylon, started growing tea over there. And they did finance a lot of silver trades and this sort of stuff. But the British Empire and the East India Company, the, that group, already had that class system that they were trying to get into that class class system is the one that has the institutionalized racism had the plan for world domination that is the new world order and then they just found bankers that facilitated that whole thing exactly they've grown together it was a symbiotic relationship they they both need each other they were both there at the right time there was the perfect sort of vendor customer relationship between the two you could look at it that way yeah zionists wanted israel and they've had Mm -hmm. it since 1947 the, the British have wanted the whole world and they still right. don't have it. And that's what's driving World Economic Forum agendas okay. from Prince Charles and all these fruit loops on down. Through through the emerging scientism that began in the 19th century in regards to like the X Club the Royal and, Society. and the Royal Society. You got it. You know. Yes. So, and the continuation of this idea of eugenics and genetic destiny and manifest destiny 
which is sort of, I'm appropriating that concept a little bit, but you get the point, um, within a genetic destiny of the, the British people and the, the, the white-speaking, English-speaking races. So yes, there's a confluence of interest between the two. Um, essentially, that's going to come to a head at some point. Um, if they look at it through the lens of ethnicity. How's the queen doing? She had COVID a while back. She's still kicking. Or is and maybe King even Charles a little a bit of that, that ivermectin. No, we can't verify that. One day on Twitter, I'm going to see King Charles. I'm like, oh, geez. Now we're going to have to keep drinking that baby's blood to keep himself young. Real quick to get that. Uh, Actually, get interestingly enough, in the story of Dracula, they go from <laughs> Transylvania to London, right? Yes, they do. Rom Stoker is such a prescient writer. <laughs> Well, you know, I think the themes are probably pretty, uh, the obviousness or conspicuousness, the situation is a little bit more overt for anyone who had eyes to see and ears to hear. I so think that Mary Wollstonecraft's daughter, Mary Bish Shelley, is that, that's her name, right? Who wrote Frankenstein? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Mary Shelley. Yeah, Percy Bish Shelley's wife, right? And her mom was Wollstonecraft and her husband was like, her dad was Goodwin, maybe? Anyway, it's been a long really time. Really, Goodwin. Since. That's that's interesting. I have to go over that. And, that, and Goodwin and, and Bish oh, Shelley yeah. also corresponded. Anyway, the point was the story of Frankenstein's monster being the Illuminati from Ingolstadt and the people that she was around actually knew and sometimes participated in such things. That's also there with Dracula. So it's not about the monsters themselves. It's about maybe the metaphor of what these stories might carry. Yeah, it's like an allegory. Well, and, and thing going be- forward. It can be viewed multidimensionally. Like that was one element. It could also be viewed as sort of the emerging sort of like nascent state hegemony and treaty. I mean, there's a lot of different ways in which to view that. And there are a lot scenario. of Renfields in the world right now. They're out so there. So here, just real quick, the anti-Semitism state anti-VDS legislation. Mm. Uh, check this out. So Tennessee, April 21st, 2015, the Tennessee General Assembly formally condemned the BDS movement in a 123. 123- 123 one vote. So anyways, there's a bunch of South Carolina, Illinois, Alabama, Colorado, Indiana, Florida, Virginia, Arizona, Georgia, Iowa, New York. Uh, let's just go over this one. Anti-BDS resolution was passed. So this is all legislation and resolutions that have been passed in regards to um, what, how, when you conduct a business within like, for example, in New York or New York City, what you can or cannot say or do in regards to um, I guess, discrimination of Jewish people. Not that discrimination is right for any types of people. Well, it certainly didn't work when they were beating down the Orthodox because of the masks and social distancing, right? No, I guess they suspended it specifically for that. Oh, I see. But that was for a a greater, greater good. A greater, greater good. Did it work when Operation Paperclips bringing Nazis back in New Jersey and they're sending them into New York every day to go work for the government? Uh, ironically, Didn't really you know, wasn't it the same Nazis that trained yeah, Assad well, and like a lot of those products? It's okay if Rockefeller funds the Nazis. Eastern Europe. It's okay. It's just when Hitler funds the Nazis, they're bad. When Rockefeller funds them, they're good. That's what you gotta, you know. See, when, any, when Justin Trudeau sends uh, war machines over there to Ukraine for Nazis, that's good, Tony. Those are the good Nazis. That's good. I see. So we can we have to disqualify between good and bad Nazis. I get it. It exists on a sort of a spectrum. So Nazism exists on a sort of spectrum then law. So anyways, there's all this anti-BDS resolution legislation. New York, Rhode Island, New Jersey, California, even Pennsylvania. Tom Wolf law. HB 2107 in the law on November 4th, 2016. The bill is sponsored by Representative Matthew Baker. Prohibits the government of the state of Pennsylvania from contracting with any entity that engages with BDS Act. Anyways, any entity... Any person, any corporate, it doesn't matter. Like if you do business with them, you are, 
I guess. So that was like cancel culture before it was cancel culture for everybody. But specifically, so it was like specifically, specifically for the Jew, for you know, the or anti-Semitism, oh. anti-Semitic situations. Maybe they so should that's... look at the people who fund Nazis. Yeah. Or look at the State Department for Christ's sakes. They've been fostering the, they've been fostering these proxy Nazi armies. They got Arab Nazi armies, they got Nazi oh, Nazi yeah. armies, they got oh, Ukrainian yeah. Nazi armies. They got a whole bunch of armies around the world that they've trained over the past 70 years. That's yeah. what Operation Gladio was. That's what I was they saying. They weren't earlier. training communists. They weren't training communists. They were training training fascist Nazi elements all over the world. But there's they a reason why they... Argentina, I'm sorry, Chile, September 11, yeah. 1973, right. with that same in the same playbook they're still using today, only they didn't have they Gene Sharp's techniques back then. Yeah, was it uh, Matumbo? Uh, they did it with Mozadek. They did it with uh, in Chile, obviously. You also, um, oh, there's a whole another there, a whole host of different uh, regimes that have been overthrown, obviously in the Ukraine as well. The point is, when they fund these like far right or left, the far right and left are really two sides of the same coin. Groups, these sort of like far right extremist, identitarian type of groups. It's to make sure that at any point they want, they need to destabilize a specific region. They already have the groups there to do it, and so that's the important aspect. Like they already have the the players and actors in place to foment what needs to be done in order to get done their larger geopolitical objectives. Ukraine has been they've been doing that for a long time. It's not like that all of a sudden just emerged in a vacuum out of nowhere, uh, randomly. Um, these things take decades in order to sort of build up. You know, the Ukraine being former uh, territory of the USSR and uh, obviously during its separation, the sorry, go ahead. Did you catch um, that Ukraine on fire documentary in full that Greg Reese sampled in that video? I, so, I didn't get to go through all so of it. I went through some of it because I had like, there's yeah, a time one else going through. Sorry, go after the 2014 yeah. coup. It's a good one. He, a bunch of people I, send it to me. He's it's really good to give you yeah. context on how things were going right before all this kicked off and the history of that area mm-hmm. that you're not seeing on the mainstream media. For some reason, they don't want to like balance out the situation. So you can be like, well, it's not good on either side. And I feel bad for the people in between, but those people in between have a leader who has hoard them out to the globalists yeah, and is now it. getting his moment on stage. Cause like he wanted to be like Trump basically you got it. only yeah. their version, NATO's version of Trump handpicked by nato and the united states to go in there in the coup and regime change yeah so and culturally gotta- it's a mess because the ottoman ottoman empire controlled it for a very long time and so like it, it's sort of like has allusions to the it's orthodox a melting pot of people the, the melting pot you got various it. places right yes and their identity you know? is more with like european kingship and european ideas on religion whereas russia was more related to you know elements of the khanate and uh you know ukraine's like the land version of the spice islands back in the day of the east (laughs) india company when you got everybody in the world all these different cultures trying to get in there and get themselves nutmeg yeah yeah that's a great analogy nutmegs now like natural resources and gas and stuff like that yeah Mexico. yeah (laughs) all right let's go to this jimmy door clip on the uh, increased censorship around the ukraine topic and uh then i want to hear what tim pool might say about it because uh We'll go to that clip afterwards, but let's go to this rumble. Was it uh, Rumble? Jimmy Dore. Yeah, Ukraine war driving feature. rampant censorship here at home. Why is it affecting us at home? Why are we getting censored? What's going on out there? Let's figure it out. 
Jamie, open the garage I'm door. I'm here with Max Blumenthal. We're talking about the censorship that's uh, surrounding uh, Ukraine and Russia, which is crazy that this is happening, but it's happening, right? Now, remember, if you watch our other videos, you know that this is a situation that was instigated very much largely by NATO and the United States and Joe Biden. And uh, there was a coup, and no one ever talks about that. Uh, there's been less. So there's a lot of stuff. And so now, so go watch our other videos so you get up to speed. It's nothing what the establishment news is telling you. So get up to speed. And so now, and then while you're doing that, also go make a reservation for our shows in Houston and Dallas and Tampa and Orlando, West Palm, Miami, also Des Moines and Omaha, everywhere. We're going everywhere. So go to jimmydorkami.com for a link for those tickets. But here is, here is the censorship that's happening social media companies ban russian news rt in europe remember it's only censorship if it's done through the government so when a corporation the size of a small government does it i like to call it freedom ship that's what i <laughs> you know it's kind of like how it's not torture if we outsource it to a country that allows torture or as i call it freedom therapy okay <laughs> twitter is labeling links to russian state media so that's happening. Uh, hey, how do they determine who is linked to Russia? I hope they consult with experts like, you know, Rachel Maddow and Keith Oberman, stuff like that. Here's another one. Visa and MasterCard have banned Russian banks as more Western sanctions roll out. So what is the, what is the result of that? Well, the result of that is people's lives are turned into misery in Russia. Regular people. They can't get on the train now. So the headline here is Apple Pay and Google Pay no longer work on Moscow's metro system, leading to long lines as people fumble about for cash. Uh, Munich Philharmonic sacks their conductor, Valerie Gergiev, over failure to denounce Putin. The move leaves classical star isolated after he was dropped by his management over his refusal to end support for a criminal regime. You know, I think Dennis Rodman got less shit for hanging out with Kim Jong-un than this guy does. <laughs> right? Isn't that wild? Uh, do you want to comment on any of this so far, Max, about this crazy censorship that's happening? Well, the uh, there's a Russian restaurant here in Washington, D.C. that I believe had its windows smashed during a pro-Ukraine rally. And the Russian embassy was defaced. Uh, I talked on, I spoke on another segment earlier about, uh, you know, what I'm hearing about across the country where uh, the, the Texas restaurant industry has yes. banned all Russian products. Uh, you know, public schools are doing Ukraine solidarity events for students and, uh, you know, sport at Russian athletes are under attack if they refuse to denounce Putin. It's just an all out, campaign blaming all Russians. Eric Swalwell, the militaristic Democratic congressman, has doubled down on his call to expel all Russian students from universities. It just shows kind of the, the repressed racism of liberals. Of course, Russians are not considered people of color in the United States. Maybe we, say, we could say the repressed xenophobia but they, you know, they attacked Donald Trump for putting children, Mexican and Honduran children in cages, rightly so. They are, are you know, pro-immigrant. 
they are so tolerant. They have these signs on their lawns about how uh, love is love. We believe in science and Black Lives Matter. But they have to express some kind of fascistic denigration of an outgroup in order for them to maintain their political and national identity. And the Russians play a convenient role there. And so all Russians are being targeted, regardless of whether they have any affiliation with the government or not. This also includes, I mean, I, I don't know if you're, you're planning to mention this, correspondents who, for RT or RT America, they're having their personal accounts labeled as a form of blacklisting. Their personal Twitter accounts, which have nothing to do with Jesus. RT, are being labeled Russian state media. So Caleb Mollin, uh, Rachel Blevins, Ashin Ratanzi, who's at RT UK, all of them are having their personal accounts labeled. And the point is to intimidate them and, sm and make them feel so castigated that they quit their jobs, which were probably the only jobs they could get in media because corporate US media is closed off to anyone who doesn't want regime change in Russia and China and every other country that's an official enemy. They're trying to cause a staffing crisis at RT. And what do we see here? You're seeing Russia removed from the SWIFT system. So it's basically removed from the financial transfer system of the world economy because the world economy is based around the dollar. You're seeing Russian citizens unable to use their Apple Pay. You're seeing, and so they can't get on the subway. You're seeing Visa and all these other, um, you know, and tech companies ban, uh, you know, castigate Russia ban Russian shows from Netflix. Netflix is, you know, getting rid of Russian shows. It means that the U.S., this is the essence of U.S. empire. U.S. empire is not just military bases abroad. It is control over the international financial system and the major corporations. And the Pentagon and the U.S. government can come in and tell them what to do and has command. And that means that even people in Russia are subjected to the commands of Washington. And anyone should take that as a lesson, actually. I mean, you know, you talked before, Jimmy, about um, central bank digital currency and the danger of that. If you are relying entirely on a digital payment system, then you're under the control of the empire. And those Russians are going to have to actually go get their paper money out again to pay for their subway fare. Uh, actually, China is doing its own digital payment systems, creating its own infrastructure independent of the US. So it won't be easily punished that way. But this is, the, this is what the fourth industrial revolution means if AI and digital currency is still controlled by the one country that rules the world financial system, the United States and its empire. And it means that people will be more easily controlled around the world if they are entirely dependent on digital currency. So that guy got sacked as the a Philharmonic's conductor, not for something he said, but for something he didn't say. Yeah, well, you have to. It's, it's this is loyalty oaths time. This yes. is about loyalty oaths. This is that's what this was. He wouldn't give I a mean, loyalty oath. I'm surprised people aren't wearing you know uh, yellow and blue Ukrainian armbands in Congress now. Jesus Christ! I bet they will. They got their pendants. And I mean, it's and that happened in Germany, which is shocking, huh? Anyway, uh, <laughs> without explanation or notice, Spotify has removed 
bam necessary from their platform but we're not going by, anywhere by any means necessary is that what that is it's well that their handle is bam necessary yeah so that's called by by any means necessary on radio sputnik so yeah, it's one of the only um i would say radical left-wing black american shows broadcasting on u.s radio really all right and so there's there was, it was by the way so they removed it uh without without explanation it's almost like joe rogan wasn't the end of corporate censorship is it it's almost like once you start with censorship that shit just keeps going here we are. Italy's main university in Milan just banned teaching Fyodor Dostoevsky because he's a Russian writer. What? Dostoevsky was sent to Siberian labor camp for reading banned books in Tsarist Russia. We are reaching levels of hatred and stupidity that I thought were never possible. But uh, Dostoevsky, I mean, come on, that sounds a little too Russian doesn't it? <laughs> I call him Freedom Donnelly. That's what I call him. <laughs> and here's this. Do you remember when this happened? Do you know what this is? You, the United States and the Ukraine, the only two countries in a world that voted against a UN resolu resolution that condemned Nazism. That's real. So the U.S. voted against that, and they said it was because it would inhibit free speech, while Ukraine voted against it because it had pro-Russian bias. So I'm all, I'm all for free speech, and the, the argument's just weird that the government takes a stand internationally for free speech, even for Nazis, and meanwhile wants Joe Rogan silenced. I think Nazis killed more people than horse paste. Historically, I could be wrong, but... There you are. Did you do you, you remember this, Max? This happens every year. I mean, every year there's a UN vote to condemn Nazism. Russia introduces the resolution, and the U.S. and Ukraine vote against it. It's like an annual festival of Nazi apologia. <laughs> uh, remember, before the EU banned RT, the Biden administration openly supported Zelensky banning opposition media outlets that criticized the Maidan regime. This was never about democracy. It was a NATO-directed campaign for dominance by any means. So, so Zelensky in Ukraine, people don't know this because they never talk about it, he shut down the oppos opposition or critical media in, the, in his country and jailed, imprisoned the leader of the opposition party. And that's who we're on the side of. And the State Department cheered him on and encouraged him to do it, pushed him to do it. That was what they wanted. That was the outcome that the U.S. State Department wanted. They don't want Ukraine to be a democracy. That's right. So that's the, that's the crazy idea that people are like Saturday Night Live and everybody, I stand with Ukraine, I stand with the Ukrainian people. Well, yeah, Ukrainian people we all feel sorry for, but their government is 100% corrupt. Uh, Facebook allows praise of neo-Nazis Ukrainian battalion if it fights Russian invasion. This is real. So before you couldn't ever praise neo-Nazis, you'd get your page taken down, but now you can because of Ukraine. 
So the reversal raises questions about Facebook's blacklist-based content moderation, which critics say lacks nuance and context. You think? Wow. So basically, we have we have to protect free speech only if you are a Ukrainian Nazi. Is that the policy? Yeah, you can buy uh, neo-Nazi gear on Amazon. They're Azov Battalion sweatshirts on Amazon right now. Uh, but it's worse than that. I mean, you have the U.S. and European countries encouraging military veterans to go over there and fight. And presumably they would be fighting alongside the Azov Battalion, which is one of the main fighting forces in the field right now. Here's Garland Nixon, friend of the show. He says, I'm in restrict restricted from using Facebook for 30 days for sharing pictures of Ukrainians holding a Nazi flag. So it looks like they're getting they're getting caught. You know what I mean? It's like here. This is a uh, funny, but also ridiculously sad. So this is from the Federation of International Feline. This is a statement regarding the situation in Ukraine. You, you wait till you hear this, Max. It says the board of the Federation International Feline feels it cannot just witness these atrocities and do nothing. So it has decided that as of January or March 1st, 2022, no cat, no cat bred in Russia may be imported and registered in any Fife pedigree book outside Russia, regardless of which organization issued its pedigree. Also, no cat belonging to exhibitors living in Russia may be entered at any Fife show outside Russia, regardless of which organization these exhibitors hold their membership in. So isn't that nice? They're discriminating against cat owners in Russia. If you're a Russian cat owner, your cat is now a non-cat. This is really happening. Go ahead, Max. Are, are the Russian dog owners still able to kind of participate in international federations? I mean, this is the real pussy riot. If you know what I'm talking about, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, it's a lot like pussy riot, which was sponsored by U.S. and British intelligence and wound up went to meet with Hillary Clinton. I mean, they're like the favorite punk band of every NATO yeah. minister. Yeah, I know. I know. I, 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 I know <laughs> this is this is like an extension of Pussy Riot. I interviewed the woman from Pussy Riot and it was a disappointment. Well, I mean, let's say uh, let, let, they're they're Russian. So on, under this McCarthyite campaign targeting every Russian, even Pussy Riot. Yeah. For all their service to U.S. Empire, they should be even Pussy Riot would be targeted just because they're Slavic people, just because they're Russian. I mean, this is just pure xenophobia. And 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 um, I don't know what it feline xenophobia as well. I mean, how could you be proud of this? How could you be a Westerner and be proud of this? I, this it's like, oh yeah, we become the thing we claim to hate whenever we're scared a little. <laughs> it's just amazing. Yeah, like I, you know, I remember like the Christian right was pushing their whole anti-gay marriage campaign, and they would say like, we. We hate. We only hate the sin. We don't yeah. hate the sinner. Like even they would try to separate gay people from the thing that they, the policy right. they were against, even though whatever they were wrecking their lives. The 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 liberal, Russophobic McCarthyites don't even try. They're just showing. It's it's another mask lifting moment. Yeah, I don't hate that. What, but 
I don't, yeah, they, yeah, they don't hate the gays. They just hate the disgusting gay habits, right? <laughs> I think they just liked saying pussy riot a lot. And from what I heard, it was mostly peaceful. It wasn't really a riot. But um, yeah, uh, the censorship's been ramped up. And even if you're just an innocent, like orchestra type dude, and you don't say something like that's pretty Kafka-esque. You're not in trouble because of what you did say. You're in trouble because of what you didn't say. And yeah. I think that's a sad sign of the times. And that starts with people in a post-fact era having fact checkers, outsourcing their ability to cognize what's going on, and that inability to think and you know distribute uh, that intelligence on your own not taking it from a central authority is getting people into a situation where they're going to lose a lot of freedoms if they're not careful. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, well, it goes to show you, you know, boy, there's a lot of elements here. First, well, NATO's, wanna... using, NATO's wearing the Ukraine like a prophylactic and trying to fuck with Russia. That's like a condensed version. Correct. <laughs> Correct. I mean, it's it's an interesting element because um, I, there's a question posed to us and that I'll answer for the town hall, but or bring up during the next town hall. But the um, there, uh, Tim pointed out to me that there's been a near, sort of completely, sort of bl- a black hole, so to speak. And the for about and I'm going to use the context here of like 1918 pandemic. I promise this will make sense to the context of what we're talking about with Ukraine. Like, and there's actually modern day historians that have commented on this sort of black hole, this sort of like, it just, where did it go? You know, no one back in those times, there's almost no historical record besides some photos and there's newspaper articles, but it wasn't sort of instantiated in the public mind and the mythos, the creed, the beliefs, the actions, the way obviously uh, COVID-19 has impacted society worldwide, not just in the West, but worldwide. What's the difference? Because the propag- it's not like propaganda. Te- yes, they become more sophisticated, but it's the same type of propaganda. That, well, it's, like, it's, it's the same type of propaganda that's been used They had a war times. and then they had a pandemic and we they had, had a, a pandemic that, and then have a war. That, okay, so that's, that's one it's of the like arguments. Lincoln's that's one of the- secretary and you know, having the same name as uh, Kennedy's vice president and all those sort of things. Correct. That, and that's, that's a very rational sort of argument. That's in fact what modern historians argue was that at the time there was a d- deliberate blackout by the news media and establishment to ignore the pandemic in promotion of World War One at the time. Which it started with the vaccine on a U.S. military base and spread to the world from there. Yeah. And at that time, uh, there was a group that wanted to get America. I think that's America had just gotten into the war. Yeah, right? we just gotten into the war. So we're, like, we're had, on the precipice of getting into the war. You could have had accident. You could have had espionage. You could have had government malfeasance. There's a whole bunch of things that could have gone on there. But they already had the grip on the reins of all of American media by that point. That's my that, point. So, yeah, yeah that's because there's it's a cybernetic. So cybernetics didn't exist in the formal concept we understand it today. But it's this interface of the media, this in, this medium by which we sort of we 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 that we interact with in order to gain information about our world and understand our world and communicate to other people about the world and the sort of gaslighting the constant barrage of information through the media that existed back then sort of was able to pigeonhole sort of memory hole 
the entire 1918 pandemic for most individuals that they don't really, it wasn't for, I guess the point is it wasn't something that seemed to be a major event that people then carried on with them and to tell their children and their grandchildren about what people back then were rural. That's so. the oh, that's the other argument I brought up. I was like, well, one, it was just the World War One was going on at the same time, and there was a the, the intentional blackout of that. The text people well in close proximity around the world were getting it. So rural people, if you were out cutting logs in Wyoming, no, you didn't see the you didn't, you see, didn't the see depression it. either. You know, and also we have to remember the second wave. I mean, this goes to Fauci's paper, right, about the bacterial meningitis or whatever. Um, but the second wave was worse probably due to the after effect of the virus, the, the, the bacterial effects of the virus and the mask usage. So it had to do more with hygiene. And that probably was more associated with people that were working in the big cities with other infected people, not the rural people. So there's much larger rural population and more toxins and yeah, and more general yeah. toxins. Exactly. So I think that's why, I mean, so, but the point is, okay. Cause there, so that's there's a, it, also an angle that if I'm working in an office and somebody's got a cold, and then I get a cold. I think maybe I got it from them, but maybe there's black mold in the office. And a lot of people end up getting respiratory things over time at different, you know, cause each person's body has different immune resistance to it. Length of time. Some people might be totally immune to it. Other people might be allergenic and hyper hypersensitive to that sort of yeah, thing. Right. To mold so, biotomy, yeah. yeah. We're, we're all in a state of learning and we don't think we know everything yet. So. Let's or there it could have just be, you know, that's why we have an innate immune system and there could be a little virus just being shed and you just don't get sick because you have a heightened state of immune, innate immune response to the initial potential for infection. Whereas other people are more susceptible to that will get sick. It's like always as people at school, right? There's the second they're near someone that's sick, they get sick. And then like half the other class doesn't get it. Why is that? It has to do with the complexity of the human immune system. Usually like things with tox toxicity, those effects are different from colds and flus. Um, the symptoms are different. I should say, I should know this because unfortunately I was exposed and, uh, to it at one point and I won't get into that. But it, anyways, the point is that bringing it back to the Ukraine situation, we just got, it's not like mass formation has ended. It's not like the side war has ended. And the difference between modes of propaganda, yes, it's a little bit more sophisticated, but they're pretty much the, the same modalities, the same forms of propaganda still uh, taking place in ancient, medieval, early modern period are the same that exists today. It just, we have this medium of uh, this new sort of media interface and a hyper electronic global grid, the electronic sort of trans information transfer system. So it's a whole different way in which you can spread information and the speed at which you can gain information and be propagandized by said information. That's the difference. So when there's a universal um, sort of collectivity around how they're going to propagandize, not just the West, but people all around the world in regards to how we should feel about Ukraine or how we should feel about Russia that's going to have a major impact and that's going to be a long lasting impact in the memory of human beings because memory and emotional states oftentimes in order a lot of times in order to sort of uh, um sort of engender or sort of uh, sort of instantiate the idea of a sort of long-term memory you have to associate it with an emotional state and those two things are happening simultaneously concomitantly as we experience this there's this heightened emotional state around this ukrainian situation which then people will, you know, normies, in other words, will remember because the near universal, whether it's MSNBC or Fox News right now, they're kind of marching in lockstep with this Russia bad, Ukraine good. That's this, this blackout 
of and this this the support of corporate censorship in regards to the financial institutions and what they're doing to the Ukrainian people, even insofar as uh, the whole cat show nonsense. I mean, it's just it's so absurd on so many levels. And that's the point I'm most afraid of is that what we're not talking about is the cybernetic component, whether it's 1918 pandemic or it's the Ukraine Russia situation, that the difference is the medium of technology by which we gain this information and spread information and how that can be used to influence people and also instantiate in the minds of people long-term memory associated with these events. So they're essentially complete. It's like a form of complete mind control in a way. It's just, I don't think people really understand the gravitas of, uh, or the implication of how powerful this, this, these techniques have become. And uh, I think the angle where it's not just like what you're seeing that's different in this war is that there's a conflict going on. And instead of sending troops to fight, they send Apple and Google and all these other companies to fight on their behalf. That's yeah, like yeah, if right. that's like if the monarchy, the British monarchy, had a problem, and then they sent in the East India Company. That's the corporate front. They're not they're not marching with their red coats. That's the East India Company. They got their own currency. They got their own military. That's them. That's private people, right? Yeah. Now we can go to Christia Freeland because it's an appropriate segue. <clears throat> Deputy Prime Minister of Canada, Finance Minister of Canada, person who shut off the bank accounts of people. She wrote this book a couple years ago. Plutocrats, the rise of the new global super rich and the fall of everyone else. That cover. Okay. This is her. This is like, it's not literally. She's just like, she's like, this is who I'm rolling with. And you guys still have cars. Yeah. That's basically, you know, so private jets and plutocracy. There is that Princeton plutocracy study. You can see that the world's not, it's not all agree. So anyway, there's the culture of the plutocrats. I can read that later. But the one I was just thinking of is, uh, is it the Coco? Yeah, it's this one. It's this one. Let's do this one. <clears throat> These suckers. Culture of the plutocrats. Somebody ought to sit down and think about this because your corporate types are soon going to be a stateless superclass. People who live for deals and golf dates and care a lot more about where you got your MBA than the country you were raised in. That's ironic this week. In the Middle Ages, it's the Middle Ages all over again. These little unaffiliated duchies and fiefdoms flying their own flags and ready to take any vassal who would pledge his life to the manor. Everybody busy patting himself on the back because the Reds went in the dumper is going to be wondering who won when Coca-Cola applies for a seat at the <laughs> UN. Scott Tarot. And uh, yeah. what was the other thing we mentioned? Here's the AI That's so part. fascinating because that's an allusion also to what uh, Quigley pointed out in Tragedy and Hope. London School Economics. Go for it, yeah. Right. Leading uh, Americans along the way. You know, the Americans, as we know, are famously generously people, and even they are, and they are prepared to export their regulations free of charge to the rest of the world. On what March that, 3rd, Davis he, thing there. Yeah, he's talking about this, uh, this guy, Sir Howard Davies. On March 3rd, 2011, uh, he resigned as director of the London School of Economics because of the embarrassment that he had caused by the school accepting 1.5 million pounds donation from Saif Gaddafi son of the dictator and agreeing to a $2.2 million deal to train Libyan civil servants. Well, that, that got upended when Hillary Clinton and her friends killed this dude's dad. I think shortly thereafter, 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very. Yeah. yeah. Or that, maybe that he was line. dead at that time and they accepted that money, but they had to give it back. And there was a big scandal. And she's talking about it in this. Oh, well, hold on. It's book. funny because Gaddafi Stavos. is asking for the West to come train civil servants in Libya. I mean, did, did we not see the irony in that? Oh, well, yeah, it's, it's, he paid for the assassination right there. I mean, Looks yeah, like. that's kind of, yeah, in a way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Great. Sir Howard, this guy who got fired, had also been an advisor to Libya's sovereign wealth fund. You know, but it's, uh, he's Davos guy because he was at Davos. Here, look, here. let me just read it from the beginning. That's the proper way to run a show, right? Across the ocean. The elite consensus was equally strong. A few days after the McKinsey study was released in New York, Sir Howard Davies, the director of the London School of Economics, former head of Britain's top, top regulator, the Financial Services Authority, and former deputy governor of the Bank of England, opined from the snowy slopes of Davos that Bloomberg had, quote, set a cat among the snow eagles this week, end quote. The New York mayor... So they're talking about Michael Bloomberg, who was at Davos. Sir Howard argued was absolutely right. The American capital markets are, quote, losing their market share relentlessly against London, end quote. The English peers fear was that in order to level the global playing field, the United States would try to impose its overly onerous regulatory approach upon the rest of the world. Quote, the Americans, as we know, are famously generous people, and they are even prepared to export their regulations free of charge to the rest of the world. So that's the life of the plutocrats, you know, (laughs) they're plutocratting out there, making sure everyone else falls. Anyway, anyway, her grandfather's a Nazi. So put that together with snatching the money. There's Nazis snatching money this week, too. People who fund Nazis are uh, snatching money. And it's interesting. Like, what is, uh, you know, United States, Canada, they're helping to fund the Western Ukrainian neo-Nazis, right? What's their partner Israel thinking about this the whole time? You know, are they I not heard that Israel calls? is sort of supporting Russia, but I haven't really looked into that angle. That's a danger right there. I mean, anyway, um, I don't I'm know. Sure what, the United States yeah. and the UK don't have a history of working with the Nazis and the Jews because that's not a thing out there. You have I mean, to be one side or the other on that argument, right? You wouldn't be a third party playing all this it's not like the bankers in history against finance each other both sides no they wouldn't do that because both sides go into debt and both sides lose in like a civil war so i guess both sides go into huge debt i guess that is good for bankers i guess aren't that we makes taking a lot of russian sense. i missed oil? that on schoolhouse rock though aren't we why weren't we taking russian oil at russian oil at the same time that uh we're funding United states is taking military to ukraine of russian oil ton of russian oil the one guy said it would go to 200 bucks a barrel if we stopped getting oil from Russia right now. Well, That's the other thing. Yeah. The oil people seem to be like mm-hmm. impervious to this national thing, right? It's like when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, they didn't blow up the standard oil depots out there. That's the reason why they bombed Pearl Harbor is they wanted them, you know, gain access to the oil. And Russian fields. oil all came from the Nobel brothers and that no, was Rothschild funded. I shouldn't say they oil. created the oil tanker for the train and they created the oil tanker for the ocean. And so like all that oil infrastructure that's over there was still set up by the same people that are running NATO. So that's why, right. I don't know, Klaus might've taken Putin off the site, but maybe he's still a player in their game. All right. It wasn't the oil fields, but I know the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor because they wanted the oil export that America was providing. It wasn't oil fields. It was the oil tanks out there for the oil tanks. The Pacific fleet. Thank you. Yeah. 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 yeah Pearl Harbor. Because they needed oil to fund so their like war the operation. Ships, and then yeah. there's like all the fuel for the ships for the next year. 
Yeah. And it's like they didn't bomb that. Yeah. That's well, they needed it. That's and that was actually part of the MI6 uh, infiltration of uh, Roosevelt's cabinet, essentially, even up to his wife. Like it was fucked up. Like I mean, the whole situation, because they essentially they told him to levy more more intense sanctions against doing any sort of export deals with Japan, even though he was oh, not yeah, he, early he on got led into it like Ukraine's getting led yes. into this. Yeah, exactly. The so at the same thing. time, we're buying Russian oil. We're giving them military training. We have troops on the ground, not necessarily over there, but training the military and paramilitary forces while we're giving armament to the Ukrainians. It's not a mistake that classically any movie that portrays Nazis, they have British accents. If you look at Star <laughs> Wars, the Empire has British accents. I'm That's just true. saying it's... That's a funny... Might have been noticed analysis. by other people before we mentioned it. That's well, on the saying. observation. Not an original idea. Uh, real quick, just a couple uh, corrections. Um yeah, it's the anti-Israeli legislation. That's correct. So the BDS legislation mentioned earlier has nothing to do with Judaism. That's correct. Also, you know, to point with Jimmy Dore, the Metropolitan Opera sacked the the prima donna Anna Netrebek, Netrebek, Netrebko. These are so like, anyways, they're sacking everything having to do with Russia. All so over the BDS. The place. That's like uh, Abby Martin had that problem with mm-hmm. that yes. because she's pro-Palestinian. Yeah, yes. Well, yeah, right. And that's it's a great, great point. And that was a major issue that she had when she was back on. Uh, was it back in the RT days? And you can change the flags any way you want it. I'm always going to empathize with the people in the concentration camp instead of the people running it. So oh, you whether mean it's the Boer War or the open air concentration camp that's over there. I feel bad for the people oppressed by people who think that they have authority and usually have superior technology and violence to replace the absence of reason yeah i 1000 percent agree with that also it was uh lumumba which they outed for mabutu which ended up mabutu is one of the worst hey, dictators you know- in history by the way like what the cia over the horses is you know they did with Allende, was that his name? Uh, Salvador and, uh, Allende and Pinochet. Allende. Yeah, I got Pinochet. Uh, oh, yeah, I Pinochet. Got... I forgot about this one. SOB. Yeah, and him too. And obviously in Mozadek. I mean, the CIA's been doing this like that's well, not even like they had the forward facing one of it. The first one I ever learned about back in college was United Fruit. Right, I mean, so look what the CIA to... was going to just to get fucking banana. Exports. There was the Katanga <laughs> crisis. There was the Katanga crisis. And then there break. was uh, the the CIA MI6 assassination of Patrice Lumumba, mm-hmm. right? And this is going on. I'll bring it over to the history blueprint so you guys can see what I'm saying, right? So Lumumba, they tried to get him with MK Ultra, and he fell under this UK USA type of agreement, Anglo American agreement. So it's not just CIA. You also got the MI6 over here. See, there's MI6. Now, Lumumba, interestingly enough, I think at the same time, that that's going on. This woman, Dr. Yvonne Sion, she was working over there. Uh, she's a Phi Beta Kappa. Uh, she's influenced by Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, because she's Dave Chappelle's mom. So that's interesting. That that's how she. That is interesting. Uh, you know, so huh. Yellow Springs, Ohio, Antioch College. Here, there's uh, right here. Okay. Hmm. Oh yeah, hmm. Thad Russell went Thad to Russell Law. <laughs> no comment. G. Stanley Hall might have set that up. Skull and Bones College is what this is right here. Liberal arts. You know, the New World Order is a liberal socialist agenda. And that this this group here, the Skull and Bones, 
because Alfonso Taft, I think, maybe founded this or G. Stanley Hall influenced it. We'd have to dig into the notes and look. But this group right here rose to power. You know what else happened in 1832? The East India Company's opium monopoly ended and it opened up to privateers. And the people that funded this place were already wealthy from that process and just got wealthier. It never stopped. It never went away. So yeah, oh, they realize using a smoke screen is a better way to hide their operation and still fund and still gain uh, access to the revenue. How convenient. Yes, sir. It's like monarchies hiding behind nation states. It's just like in private corporations, like, we'll, we'll just uh, stop calling ourselves a chartered corporation. We'll it's just not only that, private, it's the people who support, like the monarchy is <laughs> the thing, but it's the people yeah. outside the monarchy that make the monarchy po- possible. So they're the front. The monarchy is the front yeah. and there's a group. You can call them the house lords. You yeah. can call them the people who control the house of lords, whatever, you know, echelons are above that. But what we see as like pinnacles, the landowners is really yeah. the bottom of another pyramid that has, it's a lot wider. You know, That's so it's point. not like, it's not like, you know, cause someone asked last, maybe it was last week. Someone asked in an interview, like who's at the top of the pyramid. I said, I don't think the pyramid has a capstone. I think there's a bunch of symbiotic interests without each other. They couldn't oppress this whole place and get this technocracy, transhumanism, globalism thing, uh, to the point they want it. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Um, it's complex, nuanced answer. It's not some caricature. Meme. I agree. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, if there is, I mean, it's hard to say that there would be a capstone, but if there is, it wouldn't be just one element. It's not just financial. It's not just corporate. It's not just monarchical. It's uh, or oligarchical for that matter, really. It's an, it's an amalgamation of all of those archies, so to speak. A lot you of archies in there. Archies and isms. There. Stay away from them. Yes. Yes. You got all it. right. So uh, what other clips do we got to get through in this section before we move on with uh, other news that has gone on this week on different topics? Um, let's see what we got. What's here. the must plays? That's what we want to find. Must ones- plays. I would say, I mean, I think we covered the, the truth and censorship subsection of the Russian Ukraine has been highlighted. Nuclear war, I feel like is more scaremongering. I don't see it devolving into that. So that shit happens. You'll figure it out. Yeah. That's not much you can do. Yeah. And like, sorry, iodine is not going to be enough to help you. Um, New Once order. we have to wear CBRN gear. Yeah, we're kind of in game over. Kind of area. So yeah. let's stay away from that. You got it. <laughs> stay away from that. I can't game. believe we live in a world where <laughs> there's dudes carrying around suitcases that can like, I mean, that's pretty Looney Tunes from right there. Right. Really? We're going to run like that, you know? And yet oh, I think, know. what was it? Uh, was it the James Bond movie? What movie did they have them launch? All the missiles, all the suitcases, all the leaders had the briefcases and they launched them all. It was like Jonathan Price was the bad guy. Hmm. Uh, but then Let he had him cancel it and then he had them all destroyed. Then he had a super weapon. I don't know. Maybe it's that. Uh, I don't know what movie it was. Was it a James Bond movie? I don't feel like that. I did see that dies? last one. The one where he dies at the end. Tomorrow Never Dies. No, that was about biological that Jonathan warfare. Price. Yeah, that's right. no, that was a that's, different that's one. A med- that's it wasn't the logo one. That's the media mogul. Yeah, his, yeah. That's also interesting though. Like there's that a bunch of those movies. One. Like um, what was the one? Uh, it's like a star energy. Maybe, machine. Oh, dude, you're talking about like Goldeneye. Goldeneye. That one's fantastic. Dude. That one's the best one of Pierce Brosnan days. Incredulous people in the audience, do a search for. Ian Fleming, Operation Golden Eye, but you're looking for the OSS MI6 operations. So there's a lot of his books 
that were named after operations that they were doing. It's really interesting stuff. If you get away from the movie stuff and get into the OSS, Sir William Stevenson, MI6 angle, Operation Golden Eye, I can bring it up here. There's and several Operation of those Golden Eye is an interesting one because it seems like it portends that there was some sort of division or estranged element within the MI6 itself that uh, some sort of rogue element within the mi6 going against the the crown so to speak all right so ian fleming's estate support of the russians is the golden eye estate i think it's in the bahamas uh-huh. and there was the <laughs> film in 1995 so he had the estate this is where he retired Fantastic. golden eye was smith cummings monocle oh. and smith cummings is the original c for mi6 and operation golden eye Boom. Saving people typing on their phone. Look at this. Bringing it to you live. Uh, was an uh, allied plan during War. Second World War. Commander even Ian Fleming. He, he formed the plan, right? Like So this is legit. He ran these opera- this operation in World War II and then wrote a MI6 propaganda book to ameliorate America and to British intelligence being cool. Right? That's I mean, interesting. Straight to Gibraltar. Running operations. So when you get into his spy background, and let's see, where's he at? Evor Bryce was his buddy. He had a buddy from school he was on that operation with, and his name was Bryce. Let's go here. And I explained, uh, I guess I mentioned it yesterday in the talk, Ian Fleming's grandfather was an opium billionaire banker magnate, Scottish banking house of Robert Fleming and Company, who did business with Jardine Matheson, after the aforementioned East India Company lost its privatization, these companies they, they grew money. So the reason I found this out was there's a Forbes list of family dynasties, and someone sent it to me because the Rothschilds were on it. They're like, hey, they're listed here. And I was like, so are the Ian, like Ian Fleming's whole family was like up there, right? So the amount of money they made back in the opium days uh, just filtered down to intelligence. Right, because the intelligence agencies are there to protect the bankers' interests. Well, hold on. I mean, the opium. You're absolutely right, but the British East India sort of like innovated the intelligence service to begin with, yes. because the corporate intelligence you need corporate intelligence in yes. order to be able to go into the various uh, local communities around the world and force trade upon them, right? And to understand the culture, understand what you know, how to manipulate that culture in order to gain access to their resources so forth and so on so it's like you know it just shifts be it, it just changes its name changes its sort of stature to be under the sort of operation of a state entity rather than a private you entity. got people here from like the federal reserve act involved in that company <laughs> right and then um sure. it's not just like his progeny it's like uh let's see the, the the he funded robber barons in america like the vanderbilt family the harriman family right so he's a front, he's a laundry, and um, the the financing of this in 1976, Robert Fleming and Company merged with Jardine Matheson, hmm. which was the world's biggest, richest opium smuggling operation ever for the East India Company, like when they went private, and it's called Jardine Fleming. Oh, uh, you you had so a Jardine video on your show card from Kings and Generals about going over that. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, there's there's that history that people are missing that underpins American and British and probably French and Israeli, maybe even mm. intelligence because of the, they were used to get opium from Turkey. 
So the French connection was Turkish opium coming through France into New York, New York City, right? And then when Afghanistan opens back up, uh, that's when the Mujahideen go in there and fight yeah. with Brzezinski against the Russians because the Russians are like, hey, maybe we should another the proxy backed group that we right. helped to build up another like super the, nationalist group. And the British had fought three wars oh, in Afghanistan before we even set foot there. Right. And their national poppy on Remembrance Day, like it's all right there for people to look at. They're just not taught that in their schools because your schools are taught <laughs> to make you look at everything else except what's going on. Apparently the pins on the lapels. You got to love that. Remembrance Day for the veterans who go off to fight for the Indian East East India India Company Company. opium monopoly. All these intelligence communities. I mean, again, they're just when we talk about all these uh, overthrows of these various uh, democratically elected countries across the world. You know, we talk about Mosaddegh, Allende, so forth and so on, Pinochet and uh, Mosaddegh. I think they just he was one of those governments in exile. I think they didn't kill him. And uh, they pulled him. Operation Ajax, 1953. Yeah. It's the MI6. Who? It's their operation, and they're training CIA on that, on how to do overthrows and coups. So CIA is nascent. MI6 does this at all, already at that point. They get rid of Mossadegh. They put the Shah in, and then I think the Shah hangs out there until Ayatollah Khomeini, which is like the Osama bin Laden for the, mm-hmm. the yeah. CIA inside the CIA, and that's what this the hostages were about. And as soon as uh, Bush got in the vice presidency, all of a sudden the hostages were gone and he's the former director of the CIA and cut deals behind the scenes and October surprise. And there's a whole lot to that. Yeah. Operation Cyclone. January 4th, 1979, President Jimmy Carter authorized National Security Act memorandum. And Brzezinski goes over and cuts a deal with Osama bin Laden, who bombs us allegedly or, you know, hijack uh, planes with box cutters in 2001. That went over Operation Cyclone in depth, and that was um, that was back in when the Afghanistan situation was going. I think you're in uh, in Florida. And the Arab yeah, proxy forces, the fascist the, Nazi Arab proxy forces, point, were using why MI6 and given yeah. sold to Alan Dulles at CIA, yeah. who handed them down to Bill Casey and all these other dudes who came later. You got it. Yep, exactly right. Well, we're not so. going to solve that problem. But we can continue the point is it's still, about Ukraine and Russia. It's still going on, though. I think that's the bigger point. And to your point about the British East India Company, this the the CIA, MI6, Mossad, like these intelligence organizations on the auspices of like specific governments of the world are doing the exact same thing that the intelligence branches of uh, former major chartered corporations would do. Insofar as making sure they secure key assets, key well, resources, it whether it's whether it's opium, oil, um, the uh, corporate mineral fronts rights. for these. Right? That's like, true. Like, that's like, like that, that goes back to roads. And when like, Coca-Cola has a seat at the UN or when Facebook has a seat at the UN or when Spotify has a seat at the like when these companies are running enough stuff that they can be used in, in warfare yeah. effectively, right? Did they ban yeah. Coca-Cola in Russia yet? Is that gone that far yet? Did we do that yet? Because Warren no. Buffett makes a lot of money from Coca-Cola. Right? <laughs> you know? So and, and they're trying time. to reignite a cold war that had no reason to be there in the first place. And Russia wasn't really the enemy in many respects. If there is an enemy at all, I mean, all these enemies are so contrived. No, but what to begin he's doing with, right now Oh no! Like Putin, look, there's no uh, sort of love loss with Putin. Putin, what Putin's done is the uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? But it's, it's yeah, I think I, to get in the you know either the president's 
seat these days or Putin's seat over there, you probably have to be like a stone cold killer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, XKGB, so, it's completely um, those you. Ra- oh, it's completely reprehensible. You That's that the word I'm looking box. for. <laughs> yeah, it's what Putin's doing is completely reprehensible. But it's like we're poking sort of a hornet's nest, an angry yeah. hornet's nest. I mean, it's didn't Obama like, say that he was really good at killing people? Like that was a quote. Yeah, he said. That's, like didn't well, he get the Nobel Peace Prize too? So like you can see the mm-hmm. things they like Nobel Peace Prize. Well, it's made by the guys who created TNT and worked for the Rothschilds to monopolize oil, like the Rothschild Rothschilds of Europe, right? They made a peace pot prize. All right. They're going to give it to people that peace prize who uphold their narrative. Yeah. That's all it is. That's mm-hmm. why Obama got one for not being peaceful. Oh, the whole Nobel he kills people system. with robots from the sky. Let's give them a peace prize. Makes total sense. The whole Nobel prize system, whether it's the peace prize or the Nobel prize and science. I mean, it's all to uphold a pre-established uh, yeah. uh, narrative. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyways. All right. So let's go to this next section. Uh, New World Order and World Economic Forum. Oh, this is exciting. You had some clips from, you had, I don't know, the One America Now on your show cards. I think I'm here. Or what? Not One America. uh, One America. It's like on 9 11, they're like, we have some planes. I think that was one of the quotes from uh, air traffic people. (laughs) We got planes. Well, you know, we also got NATO's doing 26 drills today. Yeah. They look identical to this hijacking, but we have some planes. <clears throat> that's world economic forum i was going to go to that what were you thinking no that's fine yeah i was just saying there's i put some videos in here that are part of your show card i'm surprised to see this uh, coming from playlist. tim pool talking about the world economic forum because i thought that was a conspiracy theory is he waking up a little he, he's it's like i mean he has him, less milk in his toast that's what i'm observing him Even and Russell steven Brand. crowder him and steven crowder had pretty good weeks this week they were a little bit oh, more we have crowder clips i could use a funny there's crowder. a couple there's a couple crowder where he's like more of in the vaccine section he's like wait aerosol vax aerosolized vaccine this is actually a real thing he's like he's not a that they, well, that, he's just waking in, up you gotta dude, you know, you gotta know, encourage him you gotta omicron him. was the aerosolized vaccine <laughs> from the future i know you guys are getting late to the party but <laughs> you missed it people already had it gone i don't yeah. know it was right, nature's so, vaccine but we'll be ready next time sadly, it gives t-cell immunity <laughs> t and b-cell immunity but uh and the lymphocytes but don't worry we'll have one ready to go within three to six months we, next if time. we could only kyle dunnigan like bill gates's face on your your impression oh, dude, there. kyle dunnigan's had some yeah. fun he did putin recently and also did uh, alec baldwin is alec baldwin with consent do you ask no uh, <laughs> it was putin's only fans Putin doesn't only fans because he's losing all his financial <laughs> shit. It's pretty bad, but I mean, it's good, but it's fucked up. It's hilarious. So <laughs> it's, it's dirty. Don't get me wrong. So, yeah. So, well, I don't want to play this whole Tim. Yeah, whatever. It's like, yeah, it's like 15, 15 minutes, minutes, but let's, let's get the gist of the news story. And then, uh, you can just tell how do you want to pull it? I will, uh, impression larry silverstein <laughs> and then we just had to pull it it was he was either talking about world trade center seven or the glory hole he was in that morning i'm not sure you might have to find out do some checking could be confused on that one yeah. let's go to this clip <laughs> let me ask you what is the relevance of vladimir putin being kicked out of the uh, removed from the world economic forum website i mean we're talking about financial uh, currencies we're talking about the world economic forum it feels like I've got a bunch of points that seem like they're connected. The World Economic Forum, the International Monetary Fund, the SWIFT payment system, Russia being, uh, you know, starting a war, then being booted, 
What's what's the connection here? I mean, was Russia involved in the liberal economic order? Is he not involved in that? Or I don't think Putin is, but 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 I think that this will be an opportunity for the introduction of it potentially could be, I should say, uh, for the introduction of central banking digital currencies, um, which I describe as vouchers. But it's it's if that's if it sounds like what Putin is doing is going to help make that a reality. Yeah. So it sounds yeah. like that makes it yeah. sound like it's one big plot. Well. You don't need to I see this is the thing um, reaction, we don't need to worry about intentions just to understand what the consequences of these actions are. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. And that's where people get stuck. They get stuck on intentions. And I'm like, well, it doesn't matter what Putin intended. If the consequences of kicking Russia out of the SWIFT system mean that you end up with this financial money supply division on the planet, you then have got these blocks, Eurasia and Oceania. And you, and, and what that leads to is if you can no longer trade with Russian banks, when you're buying Russian gas in your Germany and you can no longer buy from Russia because you can't pay them. Bitcoin. You, and already we see Bitcoin flooding into Ukraine to fund the opposition, right? Yep. Now, how do you control that? Because one thing we do know is Bitcoin isn't in the interests of the banking establishment. So that, that's where you then- Or is it? Well, you tell me. I, don't, I think that what they would want to do is introduce central banking digital currencies. That's what they've told us they want. Yeah, I, I think there's a good possibility uh, when you look at the prominence of Bitcoin over the past 10 years, it would not be hard for a, a nation to gain enough control over the network to create faux centralization. Mm. A lot of people say, oh, that can't happen. I don't believe it. But um, what's what's the current market cap for Bitcoin? Do you know? Is it one know. trillion? My guess is two point one trillion. Let's find out. No, it's going to be less than one point nine trillion. You could have I market manipulation, with, right? Yep. You can and manipulate we, we, the market there. We we absolutely do. China's yeah. been doing it. It's like one point nine three trillion. One point nine. No, that's trillion. the global market cap of all crypto right now. Of all crypto, the so Bitcoin market cap is eight hundred and thirty-two billion. Eight hundred thirty-two billion. So let's go back seven years. Mm. The market cap of crypto was substantially less. Mm. The U.S. NATO countries could have easily bought in and controlled more than fifty-one percent of the Bitcoin network, which would give them control over how it works yeah. effectively. It's a little bit more complicated than that. I'm trying to simplify it. The fact, the, the point is, it just requires immense uh, managerial power. But from the early stages, we could see the true power of Bitcoin. I've long speculated and even told all of my crazy anarchists and libertarian friends, I'm like, what if, what if you know, you're buying into Bitcoin? What if that's the global currency? It's public ledger. Mm. Anyone can track. They, the AI systems, their computers, they'll figure out what your address is in seconds, and there's nothing you can do to stop them. You know, I got to tell you, man, I have seen brilliant private investigatorial work from individuals. There's there's an individual who was doxxed in the UK. Uh, He was posting on social media. How did they find out who he was? They knew how they knew the sound of his voice. So they looked at the average. they, they, They took a bunch of his posts and then found the average time of posting. And they said, this shows the individual is in this region of the UK. Yeah. They then, then looked for a person who fit key details, background, age, interests, hobbies. A human being did all of that work. Imagine what a computer can do when you're doing transactions. They'll instantly know what part of the world you're in. From there, they break it down. They know what you're buying because they know what everyone else is buying. The Bitcoin ledger, is going, it, is, it is publicly trackable. And when they talk about Zcash and Monero, which are two cryptos which are supposedly secure, we learned that the FBI was able to track Monero payments when they arrested that, uh, that woman, crocodile of Wall Street lady. 
Yeah. I, I think there's, I'm not saying, I'm a big fan of Bitcoin. So you're, you're talking about the, um, the privacy concerns on the ledger, but what you still can't do is control the, the supply. I mean, you can manipulate the price. You can control the supply. Of Bitcoin. It's called a 51% attack. If you control no. at more than- No, I mean the, the overall amount of Bitcoin in the world. Once, once it's hit its um, maximum cap, right? You can't just print more Bitcoin once that's done. Right, right, right. You know? Bitcoin- Unlike I, fiat currency. But um, with a 51% attack, you can effectively do anything you want. Yeah. So if you control more than half of the nodes, then you basically tell the, 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 the fork what to do. Now, of course, if you go too hard, you'll create a hard fork and it'll split the, the, the blockchain in half. We've seen that happen on, on accident before. To, what I'm saying is, I don't know if it's true. A lot of people say, no, Tim, calm down. This can never happen. But if the US and Western powers, or even China and Russia, bought in very, very early on and have maintained growth of their of their uh, Bitcoin nodes, they could absolutely control more than half the network, which gives them control of the entirety of the system. So I think what you're describing is the, um, compared to what can be done with fiat money in a in a sovereign nation, is probably a less worse case scenario than what we currently have with Big, the control of the money supply. Well, that's for, it's horrible great. what's going on right now. Yeah. They can print yeah. 800 yeah. billion of fiat and then yeah. just buy all the Bitcoin. If now, yeah. there's there's also concerns about um, quantum computing, being yep. able to crack private keys, in which case the system is just a facade. That, that though, could be met. So quantum, if what, when we reach quantum power in that way uh, and it's sustainable, I think you, you also end up with quantum encryption that can actually... Y- y- so you, the technology improves in its encryption capabilities, not just in its hacking capabilities. Exactly. exactly. Quantum resistance. We, we, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. So so um, the, the Bitcoin community, the, all the people involved, could choose to hard fork on purpose with new resilience and, and new technology. I will say this. It is my personal opinion that Bitcoin will become a dominant global standard for exchange and store of value in some meaningful way. I've, I've long thought that was the case, and that's why I've said, how do you know this is not the global currency, I, that that's something they want? But I'll put, it, I'll put it very simply. I've long said I believe one Bitcoin will become worth a million dollars, equivalent buying power. Yep. <clears throat> I believe we're on track for that. I don't know exactly when or how, but I do believe that, uh, and I've certainly bought my share of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies because I truly believe it. I'm not telling anybody what to do. I'm just saying what I've done. I believe there comes a time we're watching what's happening in Russia. Every incentive is being given to them to back their financial markets using Bitcoin as the facilitation mechanism. That's, or, yeah, that's the consequence of what's happening. Or a central yeah, bank token, which is worse than, well, it's, it's different than a crypto because it's not on a blockchain. It's just a central bank. They have it on a ledger, but it's a digital currency that they can track. It's a less That's a disaster. I know. Because I could tell you from there, this is what I'm worried about because I could say, right, uh, you're not going to buy meat this week. You've had your quota, which you, you can't, even if you can manipulate the Bitcoin uh, price if you control 51%, what you can't do is say, right, you can't use the tiny bit of Bitcoin that you own to buy that meat. You have to buy bugs. It depends on if they can gain control of the exchanges, which mm. they mostly can. So uh, if people are, I'll put it this way, they, they can ban your address from sending or receiving through certain exchanges. So they can say all of our financial institutions and mechanism, the companies that facilitate the exchange, we won't allow it. But blockchain still exists, which means you could easily find someone who just says, I'll do a direct address transfer Except, outside yeah. of an exchange. They could do yeah. something like a, a centrally controlled economy could do something where if you have crypto, you have to buy NFTs as vouchers, and then you use those NFTs for specific things. So you can only use those NFTs for food, I for don't liquor, think, for cars. No, that would, it, the currency would need to be fungible. 
but they can control the system. It doesn't need to be you know unique tokens specifically, right? I think this is the, the this is the so we've got the Chancellor of Exchequer in the UK, Rishi Sunak, openly declaring this uh, 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 that that as the leader of the G7, they're going to introduce central banking digital currencies, right? And these as this is what I'm calling as vouchers. And uh, y y so the fiat money pretty much at some stage is going to come to an end. And what you've described as the potential dangers and pitfalls of Bitcoin specifically or crypto generally, I still think is a least worst case scenario when you can consider what can happen. I, I agree. With I agree. CBDC. It sounds yeah, no, like I just want to say real, real yeah. quick. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, sort of playing devil's advocate on the potential risks of Bitcoin. I genuinely think it's it's better. It's I think it's fantastic. Yep. And I think it's going to become a million dollars per Bitcoin. But it's good that you're doing it because it's like, don't let a crisis go to waste. And what's happening is the bankers are looking at Bitcoin as a crisis and they're trying to make sure that they can turn it into an opportunity. Just like Joe Biden encouraged us to do last night on this in his campaign speech. Mm -hmm. I, didn't I didn't watch it. By, I didn't watch yeah, they it called it a State it. of the Union, but it was just a can yeah. campaign speech. At the very end, he was like, and what, by the way, the State of the Union? The state of the union is strong. strong. The state of the union is strong because the people are strong. And then, strong, strong, strong. And everyone's like, yeah, you, we're strong. And we're going to end cancer. <laughs> Do you see that joke where they- You got to watch it. At the end of at, at the end, he says, go get them. And everyone's like, what? Like, what, what, what does that get, mean? Yeah, who? Who? Who's that? And then, He's um, inciting an insurrection. Someone, well, that's what during someone, the standing ovation, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah and, and then, was, and then someone, uh, someone, I think from the Daily Wire said- that was just the part that uh, of the of the prompter that Biden wasn't supposed to read. It was instructions to his handlers. <laughs> <laughs> Go get him. Oh, that's hilarious. We yeah, were debating so. if he said uh, when he was saying the Ukrainian people at one point. He said the Uranium people and yep. people. Like, Iranian, he said Iranian. Yeah. The closest Iranian. the closest real word to the sound he made is Iranian, but yeah. it sounded like Uranian. So I was making fun of him like he's talking about Uranus. I, I think <laughs> Uranus. <laughs> that's how I say it. Yeah. He said Iranian. Russia will never get the hearts and minds of the of the, the Iranian people. The Iranian people. Yeah. No matter how never many say never. have outside Kiev. But here's 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 the important. Oh yeah, point I want to yeah. talk back about him splitting the country. Why why do we believe he meant to say Ukrainian? Who is the person who gets to decide what Joe Biden really meant? If Joe Biden, so he was meeting with the G7 and he said, you know, we got you know troops in Libya. We're going to be sending military. He meant Syria. What would happen? What would happen if Joe Biden's in an, you know, an, a, a, a situation room yeah. meeting and he's like, uh, we, we, we got to send these weapons to the Iranian people. And then someone was like, are, are you Mr. President? Are you sure? Yeah, we're going to we're going to send 30 billion dollars, some uh, some fighter jets to, to the Iranian people. And they'll go, whatever you say, sir, I'll make it happen. And then breaking news, Iran receives massive payload of cash <laughs> from U.S. government. Dude, it's not even a joke. But, but, but hold on. Imagine the alternative. Joe Biden says. We're going to send a pallet of cash to the Ukrainian people. And someone goes, he meant Iranian people. And then they decide for themselves. Exactly. Yeah. When, they, exactly. when it's hitting the fan and it's wartime, make a decision now. And he says the wrong word. That's death. But that's why yeah. it's so dangerous to have a president that effectively yeah. is, is mentally impaired. No, and he actually, no, we were talking <laughs> about this. That's the most polite way I've ever it's heard It's a very polite it. way yeah. of putting it. And we were yeah. sort of joking about this the other day. We were watching his State of the Union, poking fun at him. It, it is actually genuinely sad. The fact that we were all talking about this after the show this is probably the best speech he's given in his entire yeah. presidency and he's slurring every single word he sounds intoxicated mm. yeah and, and when, that's as good as it gets i mean i remember when, for him when trump would give speeches and make such mistakes there would be viral videos exactly and they were well, never even close to as bad as biden's mistakes like biden's yeah. best and i'm not saying trump didn't have some gaps but like biden's best day is what we saw yesterday and he sounded drunk. He really did. I'm not trying to be mean. Yeah, and if anyone's going to come at me and say that that's really insensitive to say about the president of the United States, you are acknowledging that he did sound like that. 
<laughs> oh, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. he did. Realistically, he did. now I want to just touch back on Ukraine really quick. So you think that he's going to try and I think I've been thinking almost every day he's going to split the country in half on that river. Yeah, that, that reservoir. Yeah, What's yeah, the, yeah. Do you know what the name of the river is? I can't figure it out. Uh, it's such a reservoir. So it's referred as Upper River, but who knows? Papa. But there's the east and the west, right? Yeah. So the side that's on the Russian side. That's the east of that river. We'll probably go to look. I say probably. Let's hope there's no World War Three, right? Mm. So if if yes. look, ultimately Putin's gone in there now, and he's not just going to leave that, right? He's he's gone in there for a reason, for whatever reason. So probably this is the the outcome that it will end on, which is that you'd end up with a split Ukraine and Kiev, like the Kievan Rus. I think that was the yeah. history of the Russians was Kievan Kiev and Rus. Yeah, so and it's in Kiev. his backyard, right? So you know, Bay of Pigs. I mean, America's done all of this stuff iran contra affair mm. you know i know i want to i want to speak out against it but like to sit in silence while my brethren are, are conquering and kicking doors in in iraq is, for, is i don't know if they're still doing that but they were if our well, president is uh as you described it mentally impaired indeed, yeah. yes can't speak straight how is he going to prevent russia from doing whatever it is russia intends to do is exactly. it because is someone else is in charge well, no, but he's not going to he's if you know what has he done I mean, look. Well, they canceled this ICBM test, which is in some ways good. But that's not preventing Russia. Right. That's just not escalating a conflict. Right. Which is good, by the way. I'm happy. But no one's going to stop what Putin's decided to do unless you want war with Putin. And this is the problem, that you've got an option right now. Putin went in and called everybody's bluff. Now, either we engage directly with Russia, and that's World War Three, which I don't think is a good idea, in particular because we don't have the moral high ground. You know, our own countries have gone and invaded countries. And when we went into Iraq and Afghanistan, the last thing we expected um, was for Russia to attack us directly because we invaded Iraq or Afghanistan. You know what narrative I really love? Yeah. There's a story coming out where it said Vladimir Putin believed the invasion would last only 15 days and the government would collapse and uh, they would come in and it would be clean. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we thought we'd be greeted as liberators. Mm. Yeah. Same, same narrative. Yeah. Uh, this is it. It's just people are very, very out of touch. And they, they, I find it amazing how... Um, there is now almost it's expected that we take a line on this that is uh, this word jingoism right it's a very jingoistic line that we're expected to take almost as if we must uh, back direct action action against uh, against russia thanks for checking out this segment from the timcast irl podcast it's actually a very interesting conversation that tim Poole just had there um uh, we showcased him last week when he had the I forget his name it was um Oh, well, I have to look it up again. LD, do you remember his name? Um, the guest there? Yeah, Nawaz. the guest. Yeah, Nawaz. Thank you. That's yeah, what was, was on yeah. the tip of my tongue. Because he, interestingly enough, was outspoken against the whole CBDC digital ID that's coming in. Um, of course, uh, we played a clip of Jimmy Dore, and I think it was Max Blumenthal pointing out his connections with demonizing um, Arab communities and being a part of a think tank that helped to demonize and um, uh, expose various Arab communities in the UK early on after to the 9-11 attacks, I believe. So he's he seems to have come around a little bit, maybe, you know, working with certain organizations, uh, realized that there's a larger agenda and goal. Maybe he just doesn't like how much this is now infringing on his own ability to have freedom. I don't know. Well, Magic was Johnny on the spot on the Joe Rogan podcast a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about Bank of England. And the digital mm -hmm. cryptocurrencies oh, totally right. for central yeah. banks, like that's mm -hmm. that's good oh, point yeah. now. And yeah, 
everyone i'm not i'm not condemning him for his earlier i'm just saying like it's good to see him come around and talk about things that have more substance to it and he's absolutely on point with his analysis especially what we played last week in regards to the digital id and the central bank digital currencies which is a serious concern because i mean i played a couple of times it goes uh uh, john but let's just step back digital ids these people that want this whole thing track trace database everybody on the planet that's not an american goal that's a goal of an empire who wants to keep track on its empire and surveil anyone who might rise up against that empire, that globalist new world order. That and when he, yeah, when Nawaz basically says for them, correct. And when he says, sit, sit yeah. there and says like CBDC, like they want the ability to shut off your bank account or, you know, have a maybe tied to a carbon credit system says, well, you can't consume meat today. That's literally true. The president That's of what Black they Lock, Larry yes. Fink, literally said these yes. things, as well as I think yeah. the Bank of International Settlements, Karsten, said the exact, they want the ability to control commercial lending institutions and to make sure they control, uh, uh, have a granular control of your everyday finances where they can shut things. And that's just, the Bank for International Settlements cryptocurrency yeah. paper that came out like a year ago. They that's what you. I'm... These people tell you it's in super class. It's all mm-hmm. in these books. Yeah. Ludocrats, they're telling you. Well, they also say it on interviews. I mean, they're pretty open. Good for them, bad for you. Yeah. It's and I, I thought the critique against group Bitcoin of hypocrites with or the devil's power. advocate was, I thought the critique against Bitcoin was very reasonable. Um, I, I stand with John oh, sure. McAfee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it's like McAfee's point about it needs the higher digital currency. <clears> one word Look to at take the off. amount of Bitcoin that's never been transacted. There's a huge amount that's never been transacted. So yeah, whoever set it, it up is sitting on a big wallet, y'all. Yeah. And someday they're going to come out and like, I own the world. You got it. It's, that's, you know, and that could be a government. Yes. Could be Russia or corporations, China, major corporations. Israel. It's not likely DC. You see yeah. what's running DC right now. Come on. That's not where they came up with this idea. Exactly. GCHQ could come up with it. Yeah. Like the types of people that came up with Stuxnet, they could probably do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Yes. Probably not exactly a stretch. Right. For their engineering. That's why I never looked at it as a solution. It's a great, great get, get rich, get rich quick scheme, but not necessarily at the solution that's going to bring about a utopian world order or something like that, or some sort of like tearing down of the the global uh, finance system, international finance system. But this is actually something. Uh, uh, Tom, but there is Tom an international system, and it that, is against Putin right now. But what he doesn't know yeah. is that his friend China, they're on the worst thing. They're on the yeah. next version of the worst thing. Yeah, that's so a great, cleverly that's a enough, yes, the globalists a, just got Putin. Complaint. They got Putin to get off of the dollar yeah. and onto the Chinese social credit system. How's that for chess when they're playing checkers? How's that for playing a dialectic and moving the world forward to your pre-established conclusion? I feel bad for people in Russia who are like, I'm just trying to get to work. Yeah, right. That's that's the tragedy here. Something that Paul Joseph Watson pointed out in one of the early videos we showed, which is just if you have a, just an but, ounce, a modicum of decent, basic human or decency and reason, it, whether it's Ukrainian or Russian, it's a human problem for the, the people on the streets that just want to be able to live their lives. And I think I was talking to your wife uh, personally, uh, privately well, this week. The question I have it, is. Did they have a predetermined outcome and exit that they're forcing the Russians into? So they're like, we're going to take away all your funding over here. So now you have to go over here to get this thing from China. Like there's an immense group of people and it's like ripping off a bandaid. You're going to work. You're going to pay for groceries. Card no longer works. Everybody's confused for a day or two, but then people get new cards and they're on a new system and you just lost control of that whole population. Mm -hmm. Unless where you force them into down the corral, down the chute, 
was into a holding pen of a new social credit system. And then and that's well what played, the, the central NATO, banks of the well world want to bring in yeah. to the world in general, which right. is actually the Chinese social credit system. And they just tied took a to their financial system in front of us. Yeah, Russia is a hostile it. audience. That whole idea. It. And they just took them as far exactly. as I see, because I don't know how else they get out of that. Correct. Correct. That's pretty gangster right there. That's actually brilliant. I and mean, that's the way to play this sort of idea of the Hegelian dialectic, which I know it's not necessarily Hegelian. It's like some economic like, hitman type shit. Yeah. It's playing the dialectical. We game. should get John Perkins on here. You know, we should have a chat. This sort of contradictory elements against one another to your pre-established unification between the two. You set up the contradiction on purpose, not that it actually exists within nature. You contrive it, in other words. Like right and like, left together. Like Carl angle. Rove stating how they control it. You you just watch what we We're do. an empire now. Yeah. MC Rove. By the way, uh, real quick, uh yeah. I sent a message earlier, and I this is kind of interesting. Did you know that there's a city named Opium in Turkey? There's literally a city named Opium in Turkey. It's that's how out in the open it was, you know, for where much of this production both and make trade you was fall asleep. On. Opium and Turkey. So, <laughs> nice. Not connected though. Just now, one's tryptophan and one's an <laughs> an opium. One's a coma. One's a coma. Yeah. Opium dense. A lot of opium dens in that East India history I was watching earlier today, but uh, maybe we'll play a clip later. We got to make sure we get to these clips. New World Order on the mouth, on the lips of uh, Ukrainian members of parliament over there. They have a parliament, Tony, is that how it works? Kind of government the United Nations set up for them over there. What has oh, NATO yeah. and Jeffrey Pyatt and George Yeah, they Soros have a very legitimately and Robert organized set up part of there. <laughs> That's another this, Tim Pool clip. I should have mentioned that. I don't know if you want to play Tim. Yeah, Pool, well, it's okay. Can, Tim yeah, brought, yeah. if he's bringing us this news, I don't know anyone else that brought that clip to me. Yeah. Let's figure it out. Yeah. New World Order. They're trying to set it up, is what she's saying. That's what they're doing. The good guys are setting up the New World Order. So, what do you see the picture it. of this MP, too, with the AK and everything? It's such a oh, classic. Geez. Like, oh, the Belarus secret still working over there, <laughs> keeping it secret. Let's check it out. Sifting through all of the propaganda is proving to be a very difficult task, even for me and my associates over here at TimCast.com. It's not the hardest thing in the world, but boy, is there a lot of propaganda. And trying to make sure we can tell you what's actually going on, honestly and truthfully, is very, very important to us. Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Well, we're Americans, so we, for the most part, side with the U.S. in this one. My view on what's happening in Ukraine very much involves a corrupt and crooked Joe Biden, but also a desperate and angry Vladimir Putin. But there are a lot of angles here that have a lot of people asking questions. And now we have this story, which has lit up a lot of people on the internet. Uh, uh, New World Order was trending for, for quite a bit on Twitter because a Ukrainian member of parliament said that we know that we not only fight for Ukraine, we fight for this New World Order. And whenever people hear that phrase, it raises uh, red flags, alarm bells go off because there is a conspiracy theory, call it whatever you want, that there is a rising an emergent totalitarian global regime, that there are powerful international elites who want to control your lives. Well, call it whatever you want. I think to a certain extent that's true and that's common sense. Yes, powerful elites, billionaires, millionaires, politicians, princes, kings, princesses, whatever you want to call it dukes and duchesses powerful individuals want control that's not a conspiracy theory that's humanity 
forever, even now. So if you were to come to me and say that there's a powerful group of global elites that are working together in a sense to uh, solidify control over the over the planet, I'd be like, yeah, I know. But like, I, I, in what way? Are we talking about a cabal of people underground that wear crazy robes and walk up to each other and drop the, the their hood and say, tell me, oh, master, what shall we do? Or is it like rich dude has conference with other rich dudes and politicians are involved and they all argue with each other? There's something called Bilderberg. You ever hear of it? Global elites meet in this uh, secret meeting. For a while, they said it was a conspiracy theory that it didn't happen. There was no Bilderberg. Then you had journalists like Luke Rutkowski, if we are changed, going down there and trying to interview these people. Of course, they don't want to be interviewed, these very powerful and wealthy individuals. And then eventually they came out and said, well, yeah, Bilderberg is real. It's just we don't allow press there. So why do the world's most powerful individuals from industry and politics meet in a secret meeting? I mean, it kind of makes sense. They're talking about what's going on around the world because these people are in charge of industry and countries. If you're a company that runs a bunch of oil drilling, you want to sit there and talk with someone where you might be drilling for oil or who might need oil. So birds of a feather flock together. Why do weapon expos happen? Why do comic book conventions happen? Why is it? I, have a con- I believe there's a conspiracy. The comic book industry secretly meets. Well, technically it's a secret only because it's not really public, but yeah, a bunch of different heads of industry from the comic book and movie industry meet to discuss a convention, Comic-Con. You see the point. The problem is, I don't care what they do at a comic book convention. That's cool. Whatever. I do care about what our politicians and global leaders are talking about behind closed doors when they go to, say, the World Economic Forum or when they, you know, in Davos or when they go to, say, Bilderberg or something like that. It's not that it's an evil totalitarian regime laughing and maniacally plotting the downfall of humanity. It's just industries coordinating and talking with governments. So when this person comes out and says, fight for the new world order, well, a lot of people are, are asking questions. And the reason is the idea of the new world order is extremely negative. It is not some uh, utopian vision of a planet where we all hold hands, sing together, and have one uh, unified governing authority by which there is a democratic process in how it's run. The New World Order conspiracy theory is more that a bunch of powerful elites think they're smarter than you, and they know it. And they're going li- to they're gonna, they're gonna run your life, and that's the way things are going to be. Let me play for you the clip so you can hear it from Fox News. Member of Parliament Kira Rudick says this. Here we go. But right now, it's a critical time because we know that we not only fight for Ukraine, we fight for this new world order for the democratic countries. And there you go. She said it right there. She fights for the new world order of these democratic countries. Okay. Well, let's talk about what's going on and talk about the lies. Before we get into everything, though, I do actually have a pretty cool sponsor for this video, and it's ground.news. Go to ground.news slash Tim Pool if you would like to check out. It's an excellent way to get to get your news and know where the bias is. So I use the ground.news extension. Why? On big tech and social media, you're getting heavily filtered news. You don't know who owns it. You don't know what their bias is. I see this all the time. Someone shares a story and I'm like, but but who's writing this, right? And that matters too, especially as we're talking about Fox News and this idea of a new world order. This, this member of parliament giving an interview to Fox News, but Fox News right now is being accused by the Lincoln Project of being evil and pro-Putin. But then they put on someone who claims... Well, then maybe you'd make the argument that it's discrediting the U.S. and NATO because the New World Order freaks people out. 
Check it out. At ground.news, they give you your headlines. It's awesome. I use ground.news. And you can see who owns it. And you can see the degree of factuality. And you can see who's reporting on it. The coolest thing about this, in my opinion, is that you can see a story with major breaking news. Here we go. Derek Jeter steps down as Miami Marlins. Like, why is that relevant to this? Well, well, look, you can see that 59% of the stories, 22 sources, are coming from the left. This allows you to understand what the left or right, what either side might not actually know. And you can actually make an assessment on whether or not the right is a prize to key issues. So again, check out ground.news slash Tim Pool, download the app or the browser extension. I think it's fantastic. Um, you know, I don't agree with everything, they, they're, all of their assessments, but they, they do a fantastic job, substantially better than NewsGuard. Full disclosure, I mean, this is a full sponsored spot, but I, you know, I only agree to do it because I actually have the ground.news uh, uh, browser actually installed on, uh, you know, on, you know, as I'm doing news. But let's, let's, let's get back to the main story, though, and a special shout out. Thank you for sponsoring the show. The National reports, I will defend Ukraine as long as needed, says Ukrainian MP Kira Rudik. And, and this is another reason why I think sources like News are good. Check this out. When trying to investigate what this woman is going on about the New World Order, of course, I look up older stories from the Atlantic. Bury the old world order. The old ways of dealing with Russia no longer apply. What are they? What are they talking about? The new world order. What are they talk, they're talking about? The old ways of dealing with Russia. What they really mean is the old ways of dealing with other countries. What it sounds like they're actually saying is they overtly want a one one world governing authority to deal with Russia, and they almost have it. I'm not saying about the conspiracy theory or what people believe about it. I don't know. I'm saying that with the swift payment system, with the liberal economic order, yeah, what we're seeing now against Vladimir Putin very much shows the solidifying of this planet under one governing authority by which you will have no right to do anything. No rights, no free speech, no two-way, none of that. Because it's corporate. It's it's corporate control. It's, it's, It's effectively authoritarian. But take a look at this story. And this is why, again, bias filters are important. The National, the newspaper that supports an independent Scotland. Okay, well, they're NewsGuard certified, so apparently they're a good source, 100 out of 100. But what's their bias? As you scroll down and they talk about this, uh, this MP, Kira Rudik, who says she has no plans to leave and she's got her Kalishnikov. Good for her, by the way. I respect that. You go down and she says, I don't have any plans to leave this country. But what did she say about a new world order? All right. Well, Rudik added that she was extremely grateful to foreign countries for sanctions and the provision of military support, adding, every time I receive a message from all over the world, it makes my heart sing. People really, really do support Ukraine. She also said the invasion would precipitate a new world order, saying there are tyrannies that need to be isolated and there are democratic countries who can help each other evolve. This is why it's so important for us to stay on on the bright side. And even if we feel that this is a David versus Goliath situation, I am still persuaded that once it's all gone, we will be able to build the country in a much better situation with better support with other countries. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on there a minute. The invasion would precipitate a new world order? What does that mean? That's not exactly what she said in the, in the statement to, to Fox News. She said she was fighting for a new world order. A new world order that the Anti-Defamation League says is a term used to refer to right-wing conspiracy theory that came popular among anti-government extremists from the 90s onwards. New world order conspiracists believe that a tyrannical socialist one-world conspiracy has already taken over most of the planet and schemes to eliminate the last bastion of freedoms, the United States, 
with the help of collaborators within government, though through oppressive measures as well as manufactured crises such as terror attacks and pandemics, the globalist conspirators seek to em- eliminate dissent and to disarm Americans so that the New World Order can move in and enslave them. New World Order conspiracists also commonly believe the hundreds of co- concentration camps have been built in the U.S. ready to house dissenters. The government will declare martial law, possibly on a pretext such as responding to a terror attack, and the government will engage in mass gun confiscations. Okay, well... You know, here's what I think. You, you always got to watch out for conspiracy theories because there could be a morsel of truth sprinkled about that gets smeared and stretched to an absurd degree. Notably, you had George H.W. Bush say this new world order. And then everyone's like, he admitted it. And it's like, is he speaking like, is, is he just using words or is he referring to something specific? Now, I'm not going to give these people the benefit of the doubt, mind you. But I'm also not going to give conspiracists necessarily the benefit of the doubt. You know, uh, look, let me let me put it this way. Tyrannical socialist one world conspiracy. <clears throat> I don't know about the extent to which there's a grand conspiracy. I think there's an emergent phenomenon through social media that's resulting in algorithms that favor socialist worldviews and policies. That should be apparent to everybody. Does that mean it's completely intentional? Not necessarily. So, so here's my point. These things may be happening to some degree. But what happens is people assume they're all manufactured on purpose instead of being emergent. And that's different. Emergence is actually, in my opinion, kind of scary. You know, look, there are people who want to believe in these conspiracy theories because they can believe they can stop them. But if it's, an, if it's truly an emergent phenomenon, meaning it just tends to move in this direction because of the technology we build, well, then you're in a really bad place manufactured crises and everything well you'd have to believe they're manufacturing the crises so i don't know about all that you know okay but i can say this mp who's talking about fighting for the new world order well we've also got opinions that it could be the end of the new world order whatever you want to. all right let's just address that emergent thing because if it's just emergent tim can go skate in a skate park and there's nothing you can do about this but if on the other hand george hw bush who gave that new world order speech on september 11th 1990 11 years to the day before the new world order kicked off its 21st century george hw bush at that time was a sitting opium warlord who had killed thousands millions of people at that point his son also a hereditary opium warlord went over and killed millions of people in the middle east to defend those military efforts skull and bones that's the opium aspect of yale university which is opium east india company money so it's like an oxford implant in america it's the transmutation of the east india company as you yeah so you can't say it's accidental he's working with the people that have the plan his name's george herbert walker bush herbert george wells had the book new world order their families are like all intermingled that's a thousand points of light i think yeah it's a thousand points of light speech Mm -hmm. and there's an ominous set of references that go with that whole thing too. oh man that's so that's an esoteric side tim's like well as the president i'm like no that's an opium warlord that took over you know and represents the east india company's current interests the frame it is though corporate person is kicking the ass though right because that's what you're seeing it's all going to be big corporations and corporate personhood is how they're defeating real human beings on this planet and next is metaverse by the time you catch on a corporate personhood they got the metaverse so 
Yeah, I mean, well, I won't even get into corporate personhood, but the uh, this idea of emergence and chaos theory, the problem is what he's really talking about is cybernetics. You sort of become the technology that you invent. The medium is the message. And so in other words, though, the problem is it's done by these closed system feedback loops. Well, part of the feedback loop is someone who starts the narrative. Starts, so why is the narrative train starting for this like world socialism? Like who is funding that? Who, who is funding an idea of like an well, idea? Well, in 1984, now, what, what it was Ingsoc. What did Quigley call it? But that's English Sorry. socialism, which is the Fabian socialist, which is Cecil Rhodes' roundtable. Right. I was going to say, yeah, that Cecil Rhodes and Quigley acknowledging that tie back. They wanted to, the central bankers want to create a world. He called it feudalism. doesn't really matter because socialism leads to a type of oligarchical feudalism. This and it was run by the feudalism. And that quote earlier. There you go. Right. So, okay. So we're on to something there. So and it's you're like, also going to see it's a not just an emergent ID pro- theme in this episode. Right. It's go not ahead. just an emergent. Pro- <laughs> it's not just an emergent property out of like chaos theory, out of like random interactions from sort of all these different variables that you, you can't map because there's too many to find a sort of causal connection from the, the starting point. If it's all it's, emergent, it's, I can drop out and we can go watch TV, right? Tony, we can like go. Do, yeah, in in a know, way, the emergent we can do about it says there's almost a predetermined conclusion. Well, not, not, not necessarily a conclusion, but it's just, it's sort of apotheosizing uh, cause and effect that stand over. It makes a predeterministic argument, I guess is what I'm trying to say philosophically. And that's problematic because that takes away trying right, to subjugate us. And it's very beings, much something we could do something volition. about. Especially being educated and making media to let other people know what's up. Right. So he's like 97% of the way there. He's well, he's getting there, time. but he just doesn't want to take the dive. He's like, he's, he's dipped his toes in a little bit and he's like the water, you know, that's, you know, it's a little if warm. You get in, if you get into reading the, the source materials in the books, it takes away that certainty that allows you to ride the fence so hard. You the know? riding the fence is profitable. That's no. Crowder after. Ask no, but you know what? Joe Rogan, ask- he doesn't ride the fence. Like he knows what's up, but yeah, he's still able to ask true. his guests. So the that's guests true. will give him the information to his audience. It, you know, he'll he'll have on like the Dylan types as well. Like, you know, that's a fair point. Um, you know, I, yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, he but there have been plenty of times where you know Joe Rogan has skated. I love Joe Rogan. I support what his his podcasts and what he's done and the way he's built up his brand incredible work especially as uh, being an authentic sort of build up from the ground up just being sort of a you know a tv personality a comedian uh mma sort of analyst and just having conversations with interesting people it was just like it was an extra room in his house he's having we even had a friend at one point uh participate on the show actually yeah so it's just like you know it was very organic i guess is what i'm trying to say but plenty of times on his show not calling him out, not saying it's some sort of nefarious issue. He has definitely derailed against. He's been more open minded as time has gone on. We evolve. We learn new things. And he certainly has, to your point, 100 percent been much more open to this, especially in the light of COVID. When the milieu of the COVID-19 narrative and situation, he has really expanded his mind, especially because he doesn't want to go with go along with uh, the crowd in regards to this experimental gene therapy. But many times he's said he supported like Bernie, for example, he's never he's like a Democrat. And also he has denounced many conspiracy theories and theorists as being sort of dilute, like diluted and sort of 
muddying the water so you can't find any sort of which is somewhat true i can understand but i think he I don't has like sort of conspiracy a caricature. theories that don't tie to primary evidence that exists in reality either i, I agree i call them epistemological cartoons as yeah. a throwback to terrence because i think there's plenty of the epistemological aliens. cartoons i think they're types of epistemological cartoons you know it's like the grays are trading fetal tissue for advanced <laughs> technology and uh you know from on the moon and that's just ridiculous and yeah sorry Kind of, it's funny it's funny that was one of the examples he used like we're trading a, a human fetal tissue for advanced technology to meanwhile we got to find like, out if the experimental shot is changing people's dna <laughs> stay tuned we got those clips coming up all right so uh do we have uh what, what what news coverage do we have on the pfizer document dump from this past week now that we've uh Hopefully the do you want to do the Russell Brand one to get into the well, I want to know first off, now that we get to Russell Brand, I've had this question percolating in my mind. I finally wrote it down the other you day. Know, real quick, real quick. I had to quick. rewrite it down. Yeah. And this is a question for the audience. Is Russell Brand in any way, shape or form related to Lord Brand of Cecil Rhodes's roundtable? Okay. And then while you're at it, can we find out if Adam Curtis uh, might be related to Lionel Curtis of the Cecil Rhodes roundtable? Because Adam Curtis's industry. Element, Adam Curtis's actually. industry is the same industry that, that Lionel Curtis was in, and Brand's industry is the same because it's it's media, entertainment, these sort of things. How to control culture? I'm just curious if he's like a great grandchild because yeah. you know, there's Curtis's. this opium. There's a speaking of opium warlords. There was an opium warlord who was a front for the uh, British East India Company named David Sassoon. He was like the oh, opium yeah, Sassoon, king of yeah. of Baghdad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. His great grandchild or grandchild married into the Rothschild family later and kind of cemented that in the late 1800s. So it's like, it's interesting to see multiple generations apart. And if Russell Brand just happens to be the great grandchild or grandchild of uh, Lord Brand, Lord Robert Brand, first Lord Brand, I think he was, that'd be interesting, not incriminating, right? No, but I, no, I know the current draw, governor yeah. of my state is the great grandchild of one of the guys, uh, Lamont, who made the Federal Reserve Act. So like power stays close to where power grows because it's about networking. It's about a class system too. Yeah. Well, the network is still a class system at work. They tell people it's not a system. Yeah. Yeah. And the institutionalized idea, it's really, you know what it is, Rich. It's it didn't start Ingl- here. It's Alexander Inglis's idea of uh, the probiotic function because they're sending all their kids to the same schools and they're it's a mandarin in the class same groups yeah yeah, yeah i have books it. on that yeah they're creating yeah. a new mandarin class an artificial ruling class mm-hmm. based on a, a country they subjugated to opium for 100 years but they're like hey this mandarin thing works let's keep it mm-hmm. well the boston brahmins we brought that up a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. as well it's sort of like these these groups of people it's not it's just networking it's also create what's sort of as a, one of the properties of networking creates a caste system where they all are intermingling, like they're intermarrying, they're staying within their social circles and they're not kind of really... like the world economic forum. Yes, yes, exactly. So there's two clips I kind of want to, one was uh, there's this Greg Reese. It's only like four minutes long. It's Pentagon funded bioweapon labs in the Ukraine as a segue into the Russell brand clip. Did we get this wrong? All right, yeah, let's do the, that one first. Cause my point would be this on that particular video mm-hmm. in 1908, the Carnegie, in endowment for international peace they had a board of trustees meeting they asked the question is there any way more effective than war to change the attitudes values behaviors and beliefs of a people they came back and the answer was no so how the next question was how do we involve the united states in a war and i was thinking about that and i was like the other answer to the question aside from war could be pandemic 
But then if pandemic was driven by bio warfare weapon, I guess it's still a type of warfare. So damn that 1908 trustee more meeting with the minutes from the Reese committee. It's still resonant today. They're still driving that way. Not much has changed. Tax exempt foundations, Reese committee. Was it Renee Worms there? Yeah. You know what else is a tax exempt foundation? The tax exempt foundation was founded in 1832. It was called the Russell Trust Association Skull and Bones. Skull and Bones. Yeah. 1838. Yeah. So that opium money from William Russell and uh, the Russell family opium went into Elihu Yale's Opium University. Right. So they had an opium secret society inside of an opium university that was like a sibling or a child of Oxford, the original opium university. Yeah. And the All Souls College at Oxford, which so like, yeah, and that's, yeah. So they control the Rhodes Scholarships. Exactly. That's what I mean. That there's these various colleges. In this case, the Yale constituent is the Elihu Yale, but they set up a fraternity in Oxford. It was uh, a college, which they call All Souls College. But it's sort of a similar. I'm just drawing an analogy to how yeah, like, East India Company is like a university. Freemasonry is like a big fraternity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a big club, and we're not, not in, in it. it. All right. <laughs> we're not. Yeah. Okay. So, Greg Reese, then Russell Brand. Let's do it. And that'll get us to the vaccine section. Giddy up. Got a lot to do. Oh, we lost LD. No, he's good. He's good. <laughs> For years now, Russia has made verifiable claims that the U.S. is running secret biological weapons labs around their borders. And while Western media now claims this to be misinformation, back in 2013, they reported on it. While the United States and Murder Incorporated have been waging illegal wars all across the world in the name of democracy, Russia has been quietly selling energy and minding their own business. And according to National Geographic, this was the reason why the Pentagon was building these bioweapons labs in the first place. Because Russia was entirely quiet on the subject, and the U.S. wanted to get ahead of them. The initial biolab in Kazakhstan was built by the U.S. for $100 million to store high-risk diseases such as plague and anthrax and was hoping to attract scientists who might otherwise create biological weapons of mass destruction for someone else in order to keep the world safe. The U.S. has since built several labs in Kazakhstan Most recently, a biosafety level 4 lab to be completed in early 2022. As early as 2004, the Pentagon's Defense Threat Reduction Agency, DTRA, began creating a network of biolabs for infectious diseases in Uzbekistan. And within a few years after operations began, outbreaks of unknown diseases were reported in the same areas as the labs. In Georgia, leaked documents show that the U.S. Embassy has been transporting deadly pathogens and human blood as diplomatic cargo in a scheme where private U.S. contractors working for three different U.S. biolabs have been given diplomatic immunity to do so. Shortly after Russia invaded Ukraine, At War Clandestine released a video with maps of U.S. biolabs matching up with maps of the recent attack suggesting that Russia was securing these top-secret biolabs. 
Western media claims this is false, but fails to debunk it. And once the video goes viral, the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine is caught deleting evidence of these labs from their website. But not before an independent journalist was able to copy documents showing 11 Ukrainian biolabs funded by the Pentagon. The Russian embassy to Bosnia has accused the U.S. of filling Ukraine with biolabs, which were very possibly used to study methods for destroying the Russian people at the genetic level. And we now know that these so-called mRNA vaccines are destroying people at the genetic level. We now officially know that COVID-19 is a man-made bioweapon. We know that it was funded by elements of the NIH and Peter Daszak's EcoHealth Alliance. We know that it was made in Wuhan, China. And so what isn't threatening about the U.S. encircling Russia with top secret biolabs? And who on earth thinks it's a coincidence that everyone involved in the United Nations Great Reset are now the Ukraine's greatest allies of all time? The mercenaries and war profiteers in America are getting excited about making short-term profits off the dead. But the only ones who will benefit from this war are the crooks at the top who have been caught committing the most heinous crime against humanity in all of recorded history. And the only righteous way out of this is to hold these crooks accountable. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. It's a great video. Um, we'll go right to the next one, but I just want to give a quick comment. I remember last week, I think we, or two weeks ago, I think it was last week we Where played a video. Charles had a poppy on at the end of the video. <laughs> Actually, <yeah. laughs> I point... I mean, they they wear they routinely wear like the, the little poppy on the like uh, pins on their lapels and stuff like that. it's very interesting, you know. But anyways, the we played a video. I forget um, the guy with the dreadlocks. He's uh, he became famous because of his whole uh, his the school board spiel he had, and I think back in June uh 2021 where he just went nuts on the school board in california i think southern california very interesting dude awesome guy but anyways he was trying to fact check this and he couldn't get his green screen to work but you know since then there's been actually data dumps in our production channel um from those that participate on uh, behind the scenes in the gtw production just the, with the documents showing that yes the pentagon in fact did fund these various biolabs and coincidentally at least there seems to be activity with Russian forces trying to secure them. Now, what was interesting about the video we played last week, and I'm forgetting the, 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 the man's name, so please forgive me right now, but he pointed out and he showed video of a seemingly, I mean, we can't verify the video, so I want to give it too much credence, but it looked like papers being burned outside a facility that maybe was or was not related to the bio, you know, there's various bio labs. Now, if Russia gets a hold of those bio labs, what type of leverage does that would Putin gain over the West and what they've potentially been doing, not only maybe to the Ukrainian people with weird outbreaks of various strange diseases and symptoms around those biolabs, but also um, in regards to the origins of SARS-CoV-2 and other sorts of, you know, nefarious situations going on. It just makes, you know, it's a, a lot of questions that we don't have a lot of answers to because we don't have enough substantial evidence. We only have like piecemeal evidence, so to speak, right now something to keep in the back of people's minds as we move forward, trying to figure out how this all connects together. But certainly it's not just um, the uh, advanced weaponry that we're putting on the border or, or funding with, to NATO countries on the border of Russia, including advanced nuclear technology. It's uh, 
and also biolabs, which I think is an interesting element to be aware of. So anyways, um, that quick commentary over, let's just go over straight to Russell Brand. Talking about the wet market, go for it. A new study shows the coronavirus came from a wet market. What do you mean you want to know who funded that study? Mind your own business! Hey there, you 5.1 million awakening wonders. We know, of course, don't we, that we're supposed only now to focus on the horrific suffering of the people of Ukraine. We think of them, we send our love, our presence and anything we can offer them to them. But guess what? There's still stuff being revealed around the coronavirus pandemic, which dominated everyone's lives for the last couple of years, ushered in all sorts of new legislation. And there are still many questions that go unanswered. The lab leak theory has risen to prominence over recent weeks, but a paper that was, guess what, published everywhere in the mainstream media suggested that it did, after all, come from a wet market. Let's have a look at that study. Let's have a look at the sources that used it. And then finally, we'll look at who paid for that wet market study. I don't want to spoil it. But you'll be interested to see who paid for it. Okay, but before we get into that, if you want to come and see me live, I'm on tour in the UK right now. You can come and see me in Carlisle, Plymouth, Bristol, Glasgow, Blackpool. There's a link in the description. You'll get a lot off your chest. You'll feel connected, revivified. It's fun. It's beautiful. If you can come, come. Now, let's get into what's going on at Wuhan Scientists released a pair of studies on Saturday that once again reprised the assertion that the COVID-19 pandemic began in a Wuhan market, not a lab. Ha! <laughs> oh, no, no, then. The New York Times. New York Times. We're going to start not trusting the New York Times now. The New York Times story was repeated across multiple mainstream media outlets, including CNN. Wait, you don't trust CNN now? They've got people working in a room out back. Experts. NPR, yeah? The New York Post, Newsweek, The Daily Mail, The Independent and Guardian. Things that are better than you. The basis of the hypothesis is that the coronavirus was very likely present in live mammals that the Huanan seafood wholesale market sold in late 2019. In essence, researchers say that the samples they took from the Huanan market tested positive for two evolutionary branches of the virus, known as lineages A and B. Both lineages circulated in the earlier casts of COVID-19 in China. 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 The report supposedly debunks earlier findings that linked only lineage B to this specific Huanan market. Here is why the difference is important. Lineage B evolved after lineage A. Therefore, if the market was only connected to lineage B, it would suggest that the virus arrived at the market after spreading around Wuhan. There are two identifiable strands. One of the strands is identifiably earlier in the evolutionary chain. Even I, an idiot, can understand that. The finding instead proposes the idea that on two separate occasions, people working or shopping at the market became infected with the virus. Just because they found traces of it in that Wuhan wet market, that doesn't mean it originated from that Wuhan wet market. I mean, how big is Wuhan? I'm assuming that it's not unfeasible that someone could go from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where they do do research on bat coronaviruses, pop out for a little bit of lunch, go to the Wuhan wet market, and in so doing, 
transfer those viruses. I'm not saying that is what happened, obviously. It's pretty clear I'm not a scientist. Look at the cardigan. But I'm saying it's possible. Look, we don't know. I don't know if it came from a wet market or the Wuhan Institute of Virology where they do studies on gain of function of bat viruses. I don't know which of those ones it comes from. I don't know. But I do know that one of those stories was really pushed and promoted and the other one was verboten, forbidden, prevented from being spoken about. And now when this little thing's come out, they can't wait to put it in every single newspaper in the world. Obedient little prefects. Yes, sir. Let's get it in the paper. Hot off the press. It came from the wet market. It came from the wet market. Look at some other information around these studies. First of all, the studies have not been peer reviewed. Hello, it's your peers here. Can we review that? And according to the New York Times, have not yet been published in a scientific journal. Secondly, researchers could also not identify which animal at the market spread the virus to humans. My understanding is that that's a crucial moment in the progress of this pandemic has been the transference between species. Next, the studies include notable gaps in logic. If the lab theory is wrong, then that means a novel bat coronavirus just so happened to originate about 400 yards from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which studies bat coronaviruses. Oh, they can definitely go to the wet market for lunch. If so, that's quite an unfortunate coincidence. And the last place you'd want to pop for your lunch break. Moreover, three researchers who worked at the WIV fell ill with COVID-like symptoms in late 2019. Bloody hell. It's a lot of coincidences we're being asked to accept, isn't it? Oh, I've got coronavirus-like symptoms. I feel awful. What have you been working on today? Coronavirus-like viruses. Well, we best stay away from that wet market. It's lethal over there. Coronavirus-like symptoms as they help conduct gain-of-function research. Gain-of-function research at the centre of the lab leak theory involves supercharging viruses to increase their lethality. Leaked emails now show that Dr. Fauci and other scientists discussed this specific research and COVID's unusual features in early 2020. And although this evidence is circumstantial, two doctors argued last year in the Wall Street Journal that the science points to a lab origin as well. Scientists found a CGG-CGG combination in COVID-2, but have never found that combination naturally in other SARS-related diseases. This suggests COVID's origin was man-made. Okay, so there's signature molecules that appear to imply that it did not occur naturally. Proponents of a zoonotic origin must explain why the novel coronavirus, when it mutated or recombined, happened to pick its least favourite combination, the double CGG. Why did it replicate the choice the lab's gain-of-function researchers would have made? Dr Stephen Key, founder of the Atossa Therapeutics, argued in the WSJ. Okay, so it just so happens that this form of the coronavirus, which may yet still have originated in the wet market, replicated the preferred sequencing that is usually undertaken in laboratories. A further coincidence, the people down the lab are ill. It's called the Wuhan Institute of Virology. There's a sequencing that suggests that it's been interfered with or manufactured by humans. If they're at the old Wuhan lab, didn't do it, they're some of the unluckiest scientists in the world. I've cut their funding just on the basis that they've got no luck. They're not going to come up very We've come up with a cure for cancer! Ow! My eye! Alina Chan, molecular biologist at the Broad Institute of MIT and Harvard and author of The Search for the Origin of COVID-19, tweeted, 
The coverage of the newest reprints by the proximal origin authors and friends must be breaking some kind of record. Has anyone else heard of preprints being featured on the New York Times front page news? Not to mention at the same time as a war is starting. What that is, is an agenda, isn't it? Clearly, a bit of information that supports the preferred thesis comes out, even at a very early stage, not yet peer-reviewed or picked up by a scientific journal, being pushed out as if it's a fact. What that does is it muddies the water. It makes you uncertain. Oh, I heard that it sort of came from a lab. Yeah, no, there's another study that says it comes from the market again. So you can't, with any confidence, assert what's true. What it does show is there is a preferred perception that the mainstream media and various other agencies and authorities are working towards. You can say that with some certainty because when there was theories about, hey, did it come from the lab? New York Times weren't plastering that all over the front page. You weren't even allowed to say it on social media. That is an agenda. That's what that looks like. So, of course, I'm not saying it came from the market or it came from the lab. How could I possibly know? I'm just some bloke. But what I can tell you with clarity and certainty is there seems to be a pattern where some information is picked up and promoted and other information is banned. What does that tell you? Also, Alina Chan tweeted, I also think the New York Times, Carl Zimmer, Ben J. Muller, that your reporting should raise the possible conflicts of interest among the authorship. Oh, hang on. The study was conceived by Christian Anderson, and I usually like his fairy tales, of proximal origin February 1st core fame, and the project was funded in whole or in part by NIAID, the director of whom is Dr. Anthony Fauci. Anthony Fauci. Anthony Fauci. I've heard of him somewhere. In August, the Spectator uncovered that a top editor at the New York Times instructed staffers not to investigate the origins of COVID-19, that they were only to push a zoonotic origin. That's the New York Times. That's a piece of legacy media where the very minimum you expect is they analyse and investigate all possible outcomes, particularly with something as unprecedented and as important as this. It's becoming clear that what happened is, is they went, oh, look, we don't want people talking about various complex, nuanced issues. Let's just push this route and anything that gets in the way of this agenda, just push it to the margins. That is... (laughs) Maybe, I don't know if that's the right thing to do, but what it ain't is democracy. What it ain't is a free press. Last week, we covered a story about how the NIH sent The Intercept 292 fully redacted pages rather than substantive material that could help us understand how the virus first came to infect humans. The NIH, who redacted those documents, housed the NIAID. So this study was funded by a subset of the same group that are redacting information. It's all one interconnected, narrative-generating, censoring piece of machinery. What I've found difficult, and I bet you have too, is the hypocrisy in shifting goals posts like, you know, follow the science, peer reviews, experimentation, double blind tests. All of these things are evidently applicable when questioning the mainstream narrative. But in support of the mainstream narrative, roll up, roll up, supports the mainstream narrative, stick it on the front of the New York Times. And the idea that the authors and the creators of this study have any affiliation at all with the NIAID and Dr. Anthony Fauci is ridiculous. That's exactly the kind of thing that has to stop if we're ever to have any trust in the institutions that have brought about so much cynicism, scepticism and doubt. We know there's a war on now, that people have other priorities, but the fact is, is that our lives in the news cycle were dominated for two years. We've been through various phases where it was impossible to talk about natural immunity, vaccine hesitancy, conflicting opinions, the efficacy of masks, none of which I have an opinion on because, do you know what I would do? I'd wait for science. 
Proper science. Proper science where people don't profit. Proper science where people clearly don't have an agenda. Proper science where a media is supportive of varying arguments so we, ordinary people, can make decisions about our own lives rather than continually managing the public sphere so the public sphere is a kind of a boulder rolling through your consciousness preventing cohesive thought, preventing you making informed decisions. The opposite of what it's supposed to be doing. But that's just what I think. What do you think? Let me know in the comments below. Give us a thumbs up. All right, that part at the end there, we don't live in a world where scientists work for free, where companies can start up without prop. Like, we don't live in that world. So how are we going to discern through this fog of war in the actual reality we live in? And if you're left on the fence after seeing that between like, you, you don't know if it came from the wet market or from the lab. I got a couple questions that I don't think are answered in these articles. I haven't looked at all these articles yet because there's too many to actually read variations of the same press release, but I got a couple questions. First off, let me state some facts. <clears throat> Eco Health Alliance under Peter Daszak gets money from DARPA, Fauci, and NIH to do work in the Wuhan lab. These are facts. They're on the record. They're indisputable. Some of those Experiments are what used to be called gain of function, specifically the bat coronaviruses. They had traveled thousands of miles to these caves to collect these specimens, to bring them back to the Wuhan lab. And the problem that they're trying to solve was that they would not attach the human ACE2 receptors. Therefore, they're no, no threat to human beings. So they go through this work, gain of function. They, they take humanized mice, ACE2 receptors, they get the coronavirus to bind to it. This is like by 2015, 2016. It's all in their research chimeric processes, chimeric processes, pro- recombinant processes. I guess. This yeah, is the, we okay. could talk for five or six hours yeah, on know. how they did all that stuff because yeah. we have the papers. We read the papers. Yeah, they go through all this trouble to make it attached to ACE2 receptors so it would be infectious to humans. Now they're doing this to prevent the pandemic. Which they've never done in the. In they the, they keep claiming they're doing it to do. Well, this they're thing, doing but, it for two reasons: prevention and also to build a vaccine. Like, yes, they wanted an aerosolized vaccine. vaccine. You got it. That was yeah. the DARPA diffuse. That's what you uh, went proposal. Like a weeks ago. Yeah. Right, we've gone through that. All right, so a lot of trouble to make the bat coronavirus attached to human beings. Mm-hmm. So why is EcoHealth traveling all these miles to these bat caves? going into these crazy situations when they could just go down the street three hundred yards at the wet market because there's two different variations. They should be, look, by all accounts, if they're looking for new coronaviruses, they should be hanging out at the wet market, right? Can we all agree if that's the story? And then the second part is, how did the wet market presence in these mammals solve the how does it attach to human ACE2 problem that they had to spend a fuck ton of money on in those labs to do? So that couple, situation about the wet market yeah, and it doesn't, it doesn't go over the noceum splices or the HIV insert. Or all these other things that are CGG, going on with the it. and cleavage. So yeah, CGG, right. CGG, the codon. It's just giving codon. people another excuse to say, oh, there's nothing to see there. It came from the wet market. It's definitely not biological warfare being conducted by DASAC and DARPA and NIH and all these other groups that are involved yet to be investigated because the suspects are running the investigation. Yeah, it's sort of a class of sort of pseudo inductive fallacy called ergo, a uh, post hoc ergo propter hoc. It happened. Therefore, this was the cause and the cause just happened to be the web market. I heard um, he didn't. Why do we have BSL four labs if nature just solves the problem for our governments? And we spend billions of dollars, billions and billions <laughs> of dollars 
setting up all around the world. It's not just the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which they're still building, I guess, new ones apparently uh, in China. You know, we have Sanofi, I believe it was, or Biomilieu was the one who set up the. Uh, they they, you mean they were one front for drug monopoly. Designed. Can yeah. we just call them what they are? Yeah, corporate fronts for uh, drug monopoly, and now yeah, they peddle some petrochemical pills yeah. as well. You know, right. that's a fair point. I wanted to get back to the, and then there's also, you mentioned, so that's one of the fallacies that Russell Brand mentioned without naming the fallacy. The other one was um, uh, the fallacy of the mean, the shifting goalposts. It's an important thing. So now, you know what's happening, Rich? The, the part of this mass formation psychosis, there's a situation where now we have a war and all of a sudden, without any peer review, it's not even being uh, printed in a journal yet, uh, preprint or anything like that. <laughs> all the news agencies all of a sudden propagate this one news story. So they've been, there's a lot of these news, same news agencies, a lot of the mainstream media had told or had reluctantly had to admit that, well, there might be reasonable cause around this hypothesis associating to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Okay. But it's as obvious as if someone handed you a hundred dollar bill and the ink was still wet on it. That's how obvious (laughs) this story is. Right. The issue here, notice this though, like as part of mass formation psychosis is sort of a cognitive dissonance. How much free floating anxiety can you cause through maybe one of the processes would be cognitive dissonance. So now we're all riled up. We're all emotional around the Ukraine situation. And all of a sudden, if you're a normie looking at the mainstream media, boom, you get hit with uh, this out of nowhere. So the past couple of months has been like, well, there's the possibility of the hypothesis, the lab origin is reasonable and we have to consider it. Now we're all emotional and we're focused, myopically focused on the damn Ukraine and Russia situation. When in fact, now they're going to gaslight us with this. Oh no, it was like, it was the uh, Wuhan uh, or it was the, um, uh, the bat market or the wet market. It's like a uh, bat market, wet market that existed there. Really? Like it's just the cognitive dissonance it's going to create. Not it just that, creates man, a situation where you, know, you feel like you what, can't what ever find did, any symptoms. Of you guys had samples and didn't process them until now? Like how's this all coming out right now? <laughs> I'm, Plus, I'm a, you know, yeah, that's a great I'm the guy you'd kick out of the point. meeting for sure. Yeah, that's, a, that's a very reasonable point to kick out. I'm just saying, <laughs> you guys had it. You didn't have it three weeks ago. You didn't have it four months ago. When did you get this information about the wet market? How long have you been hiding it from the world is my next question. Sure. Waiting for the opportune time to continue to create this, the, continue to manufacture this sort of free-floating anxiety around cognitive dissonance in order to keep people in a state of confusion fear and wanting to uh, okay. a simple solution. Now, the what other problem that? here, critical thinking and creative problem solving, correct. Learning yeah. how to take in the, like, ask the question, find the answer. We could resolve That's... a lot of this shit. That whole mass Thank formation you. psychosis was because those people did not ask questions. They did not find their own answers and they better, like they have to hope that their beliefs are going to work out because they got nothing working for them in between their ears. They have to rely on experts at Veracruni and Fauci. And to provide them with the narrative they need to justify well, Tony going Fauci about said the day. Well, he also said you could get AIDS from their a cereal lives. box. So what are we why to do I'm this? presenting of for GTW subscribers and autonomy subscribers a simple logic course in the fallacies and definition because those are the two things that are most conspicuous in regards to how they're manipulating people's consciousness. So if you want to join, join the GTW community or autonomy community autonomy course, which is your your that's coming up soon. By the way, the next yeah, season we're doing for a meet autonomy. And is that this week? Yeah, it's, it's coming Friday. There's people still have time to sign and then up. Lecture one is next week. Yeah, there's a bunch of people waiting in line to get in. Okay, but good. you know, okay. I just want to make sure. Yeah, I wasn't if, giving. If someone's listening and they think they should be in it, they should get in line now. 
But anyways, it's available for free for those who subscribe to either community um, and participate in other community. Your logic and course is my logic course, not yours. My logic course. Yeah, you're, that's a whole different autonomy is a much larger uh, situation. It's a whole community and course. Um, and yeah, so that's on the, you know, just to get that on record. Also, real quick, he mentioned Kristen Anderson. Yes, so he did. His, from no. the Fauci emails, right? He's the, the one that said, emails. hey, this looks like it came from a lab. And then is they had a talk the... with him. And he's like, oh, it came from the wet market. And now he's like big up on it. So this is the same one. The he free got sign... funded. Didn't he yeah, get funding? Yeah, yeah. Like I was a big gonna... bunch of money dropped in his lap after he changed his mind and, and sided with Fauci and Francis in those email threads. Like he just got like a whole bunch of funding. What happened? You got something? It's instrumental to COVID-19 million. natural origin. Dazak got some monies. Got Christian Everybody Anderson, Anderson and Gary. You they were the co-authors. And you play it their way. You got the proximal origin. <laughs> and I think he received some more because he questioned it and then he got funding. And then he's like, oh, no, I'm on board with the proximal origin. Let me this is the co-author. You know, that. He's probably like, you know, he's about to send that email. Mr. He's like, well, Anderson. They're, they're like, you're, they're Sorry. either going to pay me or kill me. And then he hit enter. And they paid him. They got 50 million for <laughs> <Yeah>. that email. <laughs> He had two options, me, but he's like, I'm emailing. I'm in the thread. I'm on the, you think you know, he took off those shades, right? If, if, if he sent that button? email and they whacked him, everyone will be like, Hey, who's this Christian Anderson guy who said this thing and then died all of a sudden, <laughs> right? They don't want that. So they gave him 50 million. Good job. You got so well, pair of money. That's you got 8.9 million five-year oh, grant. So the CR so it's 50 million to a bunch of different people that oh, were bunch critical. Of people got paid off. Dazak was recipient of 7.5 million five-year CREID grant. I know like, he doesn't already have uh, a current contract all the way out to 2025 with Fauci's group already for I Wuhan. Well, they of, had to keep sure the money was money flowing, was still flowing. flowing. You got it. You know, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. and then here we got the uh, word. So notably, I've, this I is haven't, I've had trouble placing Peter Dazak's accent. Is it like Southwestern or is it like Texan? I'm not sure. LT, do you know what I'm talking about? Well, northern and southern Br- British accents are actually a little bit quite. Different. Oh, you're talking. He's British. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was an American because he's in charge of all this American stuff. And, you know, like you would have thought it would have been a big deal if America was funding a UK guy to do stuff. And, and like that makes it a more complex story, nuanced story when you get down to like what actually is going on in my six CIA type guys. Well, it's interesting. You should mention working that, it. We did. We went over this in the town hall quite extensively, but if you just look at like his simple little Wikipedia here, um, AID, what is that? Is that a place to help regime change go USAID, on? USAID. Yeah. That's, that's a CIA front for, regime I was going to say there's a few, there's, you can spell that in three letters. <laughs> I can spell uh, it in two letters and a number. The three bet. Three out uh, the three is letter. USAID ever in places that the British used to occupy? Question alphabet soup, yeah, just for you to play for play at home. Dazak was involved, yeah. So, career he earned a B in zoology, so he earned a BS in zoology in 19th at Bangor University in Beach, where is this Royal Charter in 18? So, this is North Wales, and in 1994 in University oh, of East London, is he Welsh? Well. I don't know. I don't think so. Right. Um, Welsh but uh, he went to a well, well, I guess a Welsh university, or at least the university that exists mm. within Wales. Um, so Dazak worked at the School of Life Sciences, Kingston University in Surrey, England. What's he from, though? Educate. He just has his education. Did he go to school present. at Eton, Oxford, or Cambridge? He talks about his career. It doesn't talk about like. If not, he's not giving who, me orders. Like his where he's born. Or, <laughs> yeah, actually, they don't go into like his origin. Like they just talk about 
Well, maybe he's a cutout. Maybe that's a sheep dip type thing. Mm. Maybe that's not, you know, maybe he's been operating under that name. Like William Stevenson's name wasn't mm-hmm. really William Stevenson. Right. And his biographer, William Stevenson, spelled with a different type of Stephen, is also an interesting read. Yeah, just like, yeah that is interesting. I, yeah, I don't know. So that's, that's, he's an So enigma. why do we have BSL4 labs? If these things can just be taken care of, like oh, a short trip down to the wet market, because BSL four labs are really dangerous to humanity. They're a real threat to humanity and peace. So why do we have them when you can just get this type of gain of function Rich. at the local wet market, man? Or, or Dazak said them. he wanted to aerosolize, vaccinate bats. What if some of those bats made it into the wet market after they aerosolized, vaccinated them? Because that was the whole DARPA. Oh, hey, that's actually paper. was a theory. That was a theory. So one of the issues with the, the Wuhan Institute, Institute of Virology is a lot of the lab workers potentially were selling some of those animals to yeah. wet markets after, well, after they people, were experimented look, on. It's a supply for the wet money. market. They got all these dead animals they just experimented on. Maybe something like didn't get the I's didn't get dotted and the T's didn't get crossed. Maybe that that shipment got lost. I don't know what happened to it. You know, that can happen. Yeah. I don't know, though, because it seemed like I don't here's my observation, Tony. If that's really what happened, wait, hold on. If it was really the wet market, there would have really been an investigation and the the powers that be would have been caught off guard. And they certainly were not caught off guard running a a, a war game at the same time it happened. Yeah. Well, not only running a war game, that's 2911 ish for me. They cleared out. They cleared out not only that, but they ran that war game and all the things that they knew would happen happened and they didn't take any preventative measure and they denied people early treatment and they made elderly people die in cruel and inhumane ways. Just like when they're waging war, they do crazy shit like that. Mm -hmm. So I think they just let their mask slip for the past two years and people have gotten a good look at who these people are, what they'd like to do to you. They'd like to do a lot. And if you step out of line, they're going to bring it. They figure that we're so dumbed down at this point. We're so easily manipulable that they don't have to they don't have to essentially spend more money or resources trying to find new techniques to make sure or cover their tracks. They don't think you can do it. Yeah, when they wrote that time magazine possible. article yeah. about how they rigged the election and cuss, they were custom and they did a regime change just like they did in Ukraine. And they wrote about it. You yeah, know? that's actually true. And yeah, Henry good, Luce, who was in the point. opium skull and bones warlord business as well. Henry Luce's time magazine, time magazine. brought that information. That's to a classic the American yeah, public reference. Yes. That's right. Yeah. The same Time Magazine that Ben bragged about the inordinate amount of influence they had over the election, euphemizing that whole situation. Not going to call right, it what so it actually is. So, the anyways. Pfizer dump. Let's get to the Pfizer dump because yep. I looked at. Um, so, from what I saw, Dell Big Trees organization, ICANN, has a lawyer, and that lawyer posted on Twitter a link, and on that link was 150 documents from Pfizer FOIA FDA in the past couple of days. Mm-hmm. So I scanned the titles, which some of them are purposefully ambiguous, right? And you got to click into these documents and then spot read. Is there anything interesting? Go to another one. So there's much, much work to be done. Next week, uh, we're going to get a full, I think, detailed analysis from many different personalities that we frequent on this show in regards to it. I mean, I part of the 
we, we have clips from the Jeffrey Jackson report, not the whole Jackson report. We're talking one of the clips is it's about 16 minutes where he they have breaking news surrounding it. So they were just becoming aware of it literally as they were conducting the live show on Thursday for the, the high wire. That's, That's how Jackson like, like now you'll hear about this in the news like six months from now, this sort of thing. But it's like hot off the press. The documents just came out. People haven't read through them yet. You can find them. You can start reading through them, too. And if you find interesting stuff, tweet it at interesting people yeah. and get it out there. It might be worth. I mean, there's so many different ways we can jump into this. Maybe what I would say is maybe we do just that section of the Jackson report to give an overview. And then Jason Burmis does. He does a little bit of a deep dive into what is available through the documents. I think those two will cover the, the sort of. Uh, give a panoramic overview or oversight of, in regards right, to that. Topic. Yeah, let, let's get. So it. I would say first do the Jeffrey Jacks just to give context because they help present why we'll do a little deep FDA dive with Burmes. Yeah, then we'll do a deep dive with Burmes. So cool. it'll be yeah, you got it. All right, just play uh, these I'm going to highlight back it for you, LD. So that's the first one. Then we'll go into the mRNA in vitro. Yeah, human liver. So the which in vitro you know, in vivo. They got it all going on, man. The Swedish study. It's a Swedish study. Swedish study. Now you can't wear Swedish colors because people think you're supporting Ukraine. I mean, they're going to start making Swedish, little Swedish fish with like the Ukraine colors. No, hey, pop quiz. Who did America beat to win the gold medal in 1980? <clears throat> what gold medal? A lot of, well, the miracle on ice. Oh, you're talking about that one, bro. Actually, because it wasn't the semifinals. They beat the Russians, they beat Russians that was like, in the semifinals. In, yeah. yeah. So I think they beat Sweden for the gold. Medal. So most people get that wrong because they remember the movie like with Kurt Russell. They're like, it was the Russians. Like, no. It would have been pretty funny if they lost the finals. <laughs> but they actually followed through and they won the finals. So good for them. Because a lot of times you get that emo- that focus that's required to, to beat the, the top. You know? Well, those are like the Russian team was experienced professional like army. Uh, they're professional yeah and the kids from high school and like not high school but college it's college they're like it's all amateurs. college kids yeah yeah that was how story. we still do it yeah good story I mean, during a cold war all right so uh i wore it tonight because our colors for the show are red white and blue and, and putin and russia were getting banned so i didn't want anyone to think that we're like pro russia so i wanted to wear captain america tonight mike Ruzioni. and uh yeah let's let's bring it forward and the ideas of america without all this anglo-imperial you know things going on because <laughs> there's only a couple times tonight when i've heard it mentioned cia and the uk right in these coups and these other things that are being discussed right sure uh it's not like the united states oh we do all this uh biological weapons things here at fort teach no we don't we do it with port and downs approval from the mother country it's like nowhere in the american constitution was it like we're going to set up bsl4 labs and work outside the system that's part of the new world order that has like had deep capture on it's America for a hundred, hundred plus years, yeah. deep capture, meaning people of America, we're all good people of a lot of countries. We're good people, but the places that are like the people and operations that are ruling our places, not so good. That's well, like so the good. security council. You know, they're the ones actually doing the most, uh, that was some arms constitutional shit that the drug runners were doing right then. Cause that comes in with national That's security. For Act. That's for Clark Clifford, though, but same thing. Yeah. A wall street lawyer who later, after creating National Security Act, got busted with 
BCCI, I got a bunch of books on this. BCCI, the Bank of Commerce and Credit International, drug money laundering no, like, weapons. Yeah, the 80s. All yeah. the bad guys get together in this story. Everyone needs to know about BCCI. Let me pull in a couple That's other books. A, and BCCI is an important element to understand the whole Iran Contra. It's also connections to the Bank of Vatican. I mean, there's so many, it, it connects to so many different high and powerful yeah, let me, organizations. Let me give us a little like cam love real quick. So you can see it's drug running and arm running were essentially one in the same thing. And they are being financed by the same institutions. In and this those story, are the ones whitewashing the money. Sorry, go ahead. Yep. In this story, uh, Wonder Woman in real life, Wonder Woman, Linda Carter, she marries one of the guys from the BCCI scandal. Uh, but this is, let's see, uh, the inside story of the world's most corrupt financial empire, uh, BCCI. Uh, this is where the, the world of crime, <laughs> crime and finance meet. <laughs> Uh, it's not just with the plutocrats, it's with How the BCCI. Yeah. So if you guys don't know about BCCI, take yourself a little clickety click on the duck, I think the duck, first duck. time I became aware of it was when I first met you. It was the she who remembers what was her name? Um Jeannie Erstad. Yeah. Yeah. You you showed me um because you had secured them, I think, from Jan at the time, and um those original tapes that he I think he got on the, you know was able to transfer to digital format but nonetheless like you showed me various sections of her sort of like commenting on that which is interesting i've never heard of that with iran contra yeah that's iran so when you get into iran contra drugs and then uh, let me just stop you but there's a vatican the iran contra correctly that is investigated by something called the tower commission and let me just bring it up real quick Mm because it does it is relevant this is relevant let me just show you tower commission Iran Contra investigation. Look at the Skull and Bones guys, right? Skull and Bones, H.W. Bush, and then who was the other one that was in uh, the tower? Oh, it's it's presided over by John Kerry, who then runs against Bush's <laughs> son for Bones, president yeah. a couple years later. Two skull, skull and Bones, Bones. Yeah, right? Of them. Right. Give me a break. And John Tower, but there's also the there's a Kerry commission, and I'm trying to look over the camera here to see. Uh, there was, was he, another was connection. Zella cowing it. Hey, let okay. me show you this. This is a uh, H.W. Oh. Bush's Renfield Brent Scowcroft. Hmm. Riddle me this: Where was Brent Scowcroft on the morning of 9/11 when the tower, when the first tower exploded? Was he also with um, Warren Buffett and uh, what's her name he, at that charity? He event? mentored Condoleezza Rice, Philip Zelikow, Robert McFarlane, <laughs> oh, a whole wow. bunch of Aspen. Yeah, yeah, the Aspen. Yeah. Okay, here's the answer. He was in an E4B on the runway. So he was in a doomsday oh, continuity yeah, of this. government airplane. You on talked the morning about this on 9-11 while H.W. Bush spent the night in the White House, bro. Because W was down in the school reading the book, school My Pet Florida. Goat, upside down yeah, my pet to some goat. school kids. That's not a reference to anything symbolically. Nothing E4Bs. They fly out of Offit. Where did W. Bush go later on 9-11? Out to Offit Strategic Air, Air Command. Yeah. Nearby buddy of Warren Buffett by that uh, Offit Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. He was having his last annual Yeah, that's what I'm golf thinking tournament of, the annual golf tournament. With Ann Tatlock, a fiduciary trust, the CEO of where the Tower 2 exploded. So she would have been in her office in Tower 2 had she not been golfing with Warren Conveniently Buffett. Conveniently golfing. I'm not saying... I'm not saying she's in on it. I'm saying, boy, she must be thankful that Warren Buffett invited her to the last <laughs> annual golf tournament. 
anyway, there's a lot of coincidences in life. You should just let them go and go watch like reruns of your favorite show. Yeah, because everything's uh, better with you know reruns. Everything's uh, what's a, a member berry. Because they don't make new, you know. I think ignorance is the opiate of the masses, and they're getting it everywhere these days. It's the the ultimate opiate. Uh, What did my sister call it? She said uh, blissful ignorance. Blissful ignorance. Uh, There could be a parallel between that mass psychosis, mass formation psychosis group, that 30%, and -hmm. their attachment to masks and things as a new opiate. Like that's a new opiate. And it they is are an opiate. It's a blissful ignorance because addicted they, to the narrative yeah, without 100%. reading anything about what's going on in the narrative. They need to believe that the world makes sense, makes sense based on the authorities that are making sense for them of it making sense. That that they can't sense. live in a world where the authorities don't make sense. <laughs> and that's good because it's only for adults. C-E-N-T-S and S-E-N-S-E. So we got different, you know, there's equivocation on the word sense, but a lot of people play that that pun game there. So Very Yona, sentient Yona of take you, it Tony. Over. Yeah, very well played. <laughs> Let's play these clips so we can get this yeah, show on the road. Unlike a trucker convoy. So we do have some breaking news here, um, and this is going to be from Aaron Siri, the lawyer at ICANN. Uh, we've covered this quite a, quite a bit in the past couple months. This has been an ongoing story. And just to remind, just to remind the viewers uh, before we set up this story, this is a Bloomberg article he wrote, Aaron Siri wrote, uh, why a judge ordered FDA to release COVID-19 vaccine data pronto. He's been involved in a case uh, to try to get the FDA to release its vaccine data. Um, that it's had from Pfizer. All the information Pfizer has given them, we've covered this in the show before. Uh, Here's another article. This is out of Reuters. Wait, what? FDA wants 55 years to process FOIA requests over vaccine data. So they drug their feet. We covered this as well. They wanted 55 years to make all this stuff public. And then all of a sudden they lost this case. And this is what the headline looked like from Reuters. Paramount important judge orders FDA to hasten release of Pfizer vaccine docs. Uh, they wanted FDA wanted 500 pages a month, which uh, was about 76 years. They would have done this. The judge said, "We want you. We want this out in 55,000 pages a month," right. and that's where we're at right now. The first dump just happened uh, March 1st. So to okay. set this up, it's kind of interesting because it piggybacks off this study. So just last summer. Um, there was some information that came out, and this is uh, Pfizer submitted this to Japan's Pharmaceuticals and Medical Device Agency. And this was a common, it's called a common technical document. Um, pharmaceutical companies are required to provide this to regulatory bodies. This is the uh, pharmacokinetics of any new uh, novel materials or excipients that are in these drugs or these vaccines. So let's jump right to uh, this table. There's two. Uh, they're called lipid nanoparticles. They're ALC in top right corner. They're ALC0315, ALC0159. These are fat particles that encompass the genetic material, the mRNA of these shots. And if you look down here at the highlighted spot, we'll keep with the liver. Uh, the liver has at 0.25, so we're talking 15 minutes, 0.25 hours as that column. And across, it goes by the hour, one hours, two hours, four hours you're already getting these lipid nanoparticles and subsequently the mRNA accumulating in the liver. And if you notice, 
many other organs as well, the eyes, the brain, the heart, obviously the injection site. And if you go across on that first box there, we're talking one hour, two hour, four hours, eight hours, it's just increasing, increasing all the way to 48 hours. You have 24.3. Um, and if you keep following it across, it goes by percentage it, all the way to the end, 16.2 at 48 hours, 16.2% of the administered dose is in the liver, second wow. only to the injection site. So the liver is uptaking this thing like crazy. So what we want to do now is go over to ICANN's website. ICANN's website yeah. has posted all of these documents from the Pfizer dump and it will continue to do so. You can go to I Can Decide right there, Pfizer documents from the FDA. You click on that. You can go to the Pfizer documents box. And right there, you have six pages so far of all the Pfizer documents you can download. You can go through those. You can post. Please do. This is for the citizen journalists out there that want to look at all of these documents and do whatever they want with those. And, and by the way, just to everyone stuff. out there, you know, we're talking about thousands of document pages of documents in, in here, more and more coming. We want to make sure that you had immediate access to that. So it's going to be on our website. Every new dump, it will go there. But, you know, we're a small crew here. I know everything looks flashy and beautiful and you're amazed at, at the quality of the high wire. But the truth is, is we could always use your help. So if you're out there and you've been wanting to dig in this data, go ahead, dig in that data. And if you find something you think is interesting, don't just assume we've seen it, please go ahead and grab that. Give us a nice subject line uh, discussing the Pfizer document dump and send it to info at ICanDecide.org. You may find that something you've discovered becomes a major talking point here on the high wire. That's just one way you can help out there. And for those of you that want to be able to say I'm the first one receiving it, I'm getting the documents at the same time that Dr. Peter McCullough and Dr. Robert Malone, who brought this lawsuit, essentially are. Just as Aaron Siri is getting it for them, he's handing it over so that we can put it on our white website here for everybody so you'll be the first to receive it uh, as long as you are signed up to our newsletter we'll let you know when it's coming out also you can just go to icandecide.org you can go to the highwire.com all these lead to the very same place Excellent, excellent. And so in this new document dump, we have the American version of the common technical document. So we had Japan's version. Yep. We have Americans, uh, the Pfizer's confidential version now uh, out to the public. So let's look at one of the charts from this here. Again, we're looking at ALC0315, ALC0159. These are lipid nanoparticles. And this chart here, again, we're sticking with the liver on the right side. It shows uh, at zero to 300 hours is the timeline at the bottom there. And you're showing that this zero, the black line is almost, go, almost going straight across the whole time that ALC0315, that lipid nanoparticle is accumulating in the liver. The other one, uh, ALC0159, not so much, but we are showing that there's high concentrations of this, this nanoparticle, this new nanoparticle that's really never been studied accumulating in the human liver. Uh, and this is to the point you made earlier there's a quote in this biodistribution study and it says this under genotoxicity you know we were asking about that what's the worst that can happen they're not studying it dell no genotoxicity no. studies are planned for bnt162b2 as the components of the vaccine construct are lipids and rna and are not expected to have genotoxic potential I'm glad. So there we'll just go, go with the faith-based religion that will make us tens of billions of dollars versus study what every decent gene sequencing scientist knows is true. Isn't this the exact technology we've been using to try and insert into DNA? 
I mean, it's, it's, it's madness. It's madness out there. And I feel, again, you know, my heart goes out to all those people, those of you that are watching it, you know, have probably received this vaccine. We embrace you. You're here. We've all done things that have been toxic out there. We will continue to try and bring information uh, to perhaps find doctors that are figuring out how to clear the issues that are happening because of these vaccines. But we really don't know, Jeffrey. We don't. I mean, when we're talking about manipulation of the genome, uh, it could be months, years even skip a generation, right? We could see the offspring yeah. of people if it's in their genome being affected by this in ways that we never predicted. Yeah, yeah absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely right. And and there's another part of this Pfizer document. You know, you when we asked for help from other people, I was yeah. spending the last 24 hours or so going through all these documents till my eyeballs fell out. But there's another part <laughs> of this Pfizer document that uh, is really important. And we'll keep reporting on this as well. Yeah. This is a cumulative analysis of post-authorization adverse event reports. And this is received through 28th of February, two, 2021. This is Pfizer's internal reporting. They took this and they gave it to the FDA. And so, it, there's a quote here. It says that adverse events of special interest, that's A-E-S-I, this is the stuff that they were looking for. Adverse events terms are incorporated into the TME list and includes events of interest due to their association with COVID, uh, with severe COVID-19 and events of interest for vaccines in general, all vaccines in general. So before we show this B-roll, basically what they're saying is we have a list of some events here that we're going to keep an eye out for. And these are, these are lists that we've made over all of our studies about vaccines and what we, what we know now. And again, this was just basically at, in February, 2021. So kind of early into the pandemic, if you will, from the vaccine yeah. development standpoint, this is what we know about severe COVID. So I ask what list would probably be longer, uh, just a new severe COVID list of a handful of things or something that Pfizer has been studying with vaccine adverse reactions and, for, I don't know, how many decades? And remember and, uh, all the time telling us they're safe, they're effective, they don't injure anybody. That's, that's who we just trust us, just take it. So under those circumstances... Under those circumstances, here's the list in the Pfizer confidential documents of the special interest adverse events that they were looking for during these trials, during their putting through tens of thousands of people through these trials. This is what they were keeping their eye out for. And these are My events God. of interest for vaccines in general that have been accumulated over the years that have, people have reported. So when they say safe and effective, sore arm, sore throat, little bit of chills here and there, that's what they're telling you on the front end. And this is what their Pfizer confidential documents are looking for on the back end. It just keeps going and going. Wow. Well, and surely I guess they were able to figure all that out in a matter of a couple of weeks after the third shot and say, we're good to go. Let's give it to everybody in the world. Right, right. And uh, if you remember, uh, just last week we had on the former BlackRock employee, yeah. Edward Dowd, and he was uh, mentioning that Pfizer was telling its investors that there may be some information that's coming out that, uh, you know, safety, safety studies that are coming out that may impact uh, Q4 results, their quarter four results, their bottom line. Um, perhaps some, some more information in this document dump may come to fruition that makes that come true.
Well, I look forward to seeing what else you dig out of here. Obviously, um, this is the truth, right? These are just the facts. I mean, I'm glad they're looking for these things. I'm glad that they say they're looking. The idea that they wanted to keep it away from us for 75 years, as we, I'm sure we're going to get documents to, you know, telling us what they actually found. And when I thought about this, when I thought about what we're talking about, how this vaccine was rushed out to the public, and, you know, when we look historically at how we've handled things like this, remember the swine flu? I pulled up this headline, Jeffrey, and you'll probably remember this. When the swine, swine flu program came out, remember, that was, a, again, a coronavirus or a flu. Uh, we were worried about it. The swine flu was out. They made a vaccine, rushed it onto the market. And, the, you know, this was sort of what the headlines were about and what they were saying at that time. Federal officials suspended the troubled nationwide swine flu immunization program yesterday because of concern that the shots were possibly linked to recently reported cases of paralysis. The Federal Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, which runs the nationwide immunization program, has been investigating reports from at least 14 states of 94 total cases, four of them fatal, of a form of paralysis called the Guillain-Barre syndrome. Dr. Theodore Cooper, Assistant Secretary of Health, Education and Welfare, said that he was acting in the interests of safety of the public, in the interest of credibility, and in the interest of the practice of good medicine. Uh, that's mm. where we're at with swine flu. 94 cases, I think four deaths. Let's just take a look at VAERS, shall we, as we're looking at Pfizer finally releasing what they know about this. We have from VAERS right now, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, 24,402, um, you know, deaths being reported from this vaccine alone, not all of the vaccines put together. In fact, if you took all the vaccines ever made and used in the United States of America and every report of, of death that's ever happened, this is more than all of them over the last 30 years, yet no one at the CDC seems to care. No one there is saying, we better stop this and, and pull it back due to credibility. 133,000 hospitalizations. 14,000 cases of Bell's palsy, anaphylaxis, 10,000, 120,000 urgent care. Now, of course, these are all just reports, but these are the exact reports that 94 of them back during swine flu mattered and today don't matter at all. Right. And so where is this generation's Theodore Cooper sounding right. that alarm like the person you just read from? Where's the spirit of that gentleman or anybody else? We've th Those were Guillain-Barre paralysis. We went yeah. through myocarditis. We went yes. through uh, thrombocytopenia. We went through facial paralysis. We're going through yeah. these things. Any of these things should have stopped this program, and they have not. So hopefully by shedding light on this, by everybody shedding light on this, we'll get some people in the regulatory agencies to maybe make some moves that have conscience behind them. Jeffrey, thank you for that great reporting. Uh, just getting thank deep you. into it. And I know you're working hard, tireless hours, reading through a lot of science, tens of thousands of documents. We got our work cut out for us this year. So thank you for being a part of the team. All right, Dell. Thank you. All right. See you next week. Uh, if you want to get deeper into all of the things that Jeffrey Jackson is talking about, he has a great uh, blog, if you will, on the high wire. He writes about these things in greater detail. The Jackson Report. Definitely go and check it out. Um, you know, all of this is made possible by you. We are not. Uh, fantastic reporting. I'm sure a lot more information is going to come out over time in regards to, especially over the next week or two or three, as people dive into those documents. Um, there's so much to go through. And right now, well, we're going to move to Jason Burmes in two seconds. But before we do so, I just want to make, just want to mention that this is sort of the lipid nanoparticles 
16.2% ending up in the liver. Of course, the liver is where you process toxins and sort of it detoxifies elements for and puts it towards uh, as detox pathways, as they call it chemically, and for elimination from the body. And so the, the, the liver has specific enzymes and other sort of molecules that deal with that detoxification process. And you can, you know, you study biology or chemistry, you'll go into the specific pathways and understand the mechanisms of action behind it. What's interesting though, so that's why so much, but it has to do with this nanolipid particle. So who is it? Robert Malone. One of the things he's talked about the most, he's brought the most attention to is the fact that this he's, yes, we're concerned about the MRNA. Absolutely. But it's the nanolipid structure that he says has ended up is what's causing or is what's circulating all throughout the body and ending up in various organs, reproductive organs, the liver, the heart, the kidney, so forth and so on when it shouldn't be. And it's, it's actually, and you can think of it as the nano, nanolipid particle sub the structure that's in, encasing for the payload that is the mRNA. That's the part that's disconcerting because that's the part for whatever reason that's ending up or going through the body and ending up in various organs or other parts of the body when it shouldn't be. So part of the issue actually has to do with the toxicity associated with the nanolipid particle. And the fact, maybe it's ended up in the liver, a potential maybe theory or possible hypothesis around it is because it's the body's viewing it potentially as a toxic, a toxin. It is a synthetic nanolipid particle. It's polyethylene glycol and triethylene glycol, pig and tag. I think we talked about it like a year ago on the show. Yeah, And there's, so, you know, at, in, it, your body sees that envelope in which the lipid particle, like the lipid particle is bringing it into, and then uh, the envelope is made out of the peg or the tag. And it has toxicity to human beings outside of the spike protein payload, which is why it's by ending up a lot that, that concentration ending up in the liver, because the liver is trying to detoxify those elements and trying right. to get so it like to the mRNA is the like the payload. And it's the it's like a, a sabo round, a mm -hmm. shoe round, where they have like the payload inside another thing to get it into the thing. Yeah. Right. But it's a nanolipid particle substrate. That's what's causing it to sort of almost you can I'm gonna use a sort of analogy or met metaphor here. It's causing it to adhere to or sort of magnetically attract to certain elements within the body, certain tissues in the body, certain organs within the body. It's some sort of like a sort of electrochemical process that's allowing it to sort of uh, confuse the body, telling the body to produce you don't need the mRNA, the spike protein in various places where it's not supposed to. Your body That's doesn't have point. a requirement for peg or tag. That's the problem. It's a, your body sees it as a toxin. And well, even then, like there's, so, well, I won't even get it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's true, but, but the, the, yeah, then, but then there's like even other parts of the body where the nanolipid particle is accumulating. It's telling that portion of those cells to start producing the spike protein, which it's not supposed to be producing it in those areas of the body. So that it's not even supposed your, to leave your body the arm. Didn't anyone tell right, it? Right. That's the point. And the body attacks those specific areas. One of them being reproductive. They could have found this example. out through some studies that weren't just open air studies on the population without consent, like they're Nazis or something. Right. But here we are. All right. It didn't have to be this way. Let's check out Jason Berman. See what else we can learn about this uh, Pfizer document dump from the FOIA. Be right back. What I hope is a very safe and effective broadcast because we are going to dispel the myths, the Bernaysian talking points, and we are going to go back to a time when Jason Burmis told you from the very beginning, no matter who you are, no matter what your circumstances physically were, what, 
you don't take the hate and lies shots. You don't take the hate and lies shots. You know why you don't take the hate and lies shots? Because they were nothing more than hate and lies. And Pfizer knew that. And to this day, you got people like Zombie J reading off a prompter while trying not to shit his pants talking about Ukrainians, calling them Iranians, totally out of it saying the way to build a wall somehow against a vaccine in the la-la land of poopy pants is, of course, everybody takes hate and lie shots. Well, what you're not seeing right now is the fact that somebody, a human being, you know, someone who's not digitally hooked into some kind of AI that would have forbade him to share this information, okay, Leaked information they didn't want you to see. Now, you think about this. Who saw this information outside of just Pfizer? Why isn't anybody going to be held criminally accountable for this? Is this stuff the FDA knew? Because this is something that was published in April of 2021. Okay. With data, I believe, from February um, uh, up to February of 2021. And Aaron, thank you so much for that gracious tip. We appreciate that, especially, and before we show you the document again, especially because we're not only demonetized on YouTube, but we're banned on YouTube right now. Uh, Again, they they gave me one strike, eight videos, didn't want me talking about Budesonai, didn't want to talk about a freedom rally against vaccine mandates, um, didn't want me to talk about even the first death of coronavirus and the information we had then. They didn't want that up there. They didn't want me agreeing with Louis Farrakhan that nobody, nobody, nobody should take these shots. That's July 2020. That's before they even did a lot of this. I knew they were going to be hating lies. When you see the list of adverse events and the fact, you know, all these people say that VARES, oh, you can't trust VARES. They talk about in this document not over-reporting, underreporting and they say underreporting is unknown okay they don't like me talking to t lab about transhumanism epstein wow they they really don't like me talking about a green uh pass common sense i guess i can't talk about the community guidelines here at youtube but they really they've been clamping down on epstein videos so again we could be gone tomorrow that's why if you are watching this on rockfin I want to thank you so much for 50,000 strong. Uh, Consider hitting that subscribe button, not on a phone. Whatever you do, do not try to subscribe on a phone. If you're watching this on a phone, wait till you go home, make a desktop, subscribe that way. Um, Every subscription, $9.99 a month, $99.99 for the year that we lock in is a big, big help to this broadcast, as are the tips, uh, because this is a platform that has empowered free speech. Okay. We're also on Podbean, uh, theinfowarrior.podbean.com, because this one's going to be probably uh, a little bit shorter, although if it goes, you know, a ways, maybe we will put it up on Podbean as a solo. In fact, if it ends up going 20 minutes, which it very well could, maybe we'll put it there. But we're also live casting here, and when we are, you can actually call in. Um, So go get the Podbean app, man. Uh, Yeah, we're, you know, distributing RSS feeds. You can grab an RSS feed from me if you want. You can look into it. Uh, It's out there. It's on Spotify and other places. But this also lets me put out video casts. Um, So you can actually watch the program here on Podbean. So that's a big, big plus. So now let's get into it. I think that this is extremely important. We've been talking about the origins of the virus a lot lately, right? Because I want people to understand, all right? When you have a uh, 12-chain 
sequential nucleotide DNA code, all right, inside of a virus patented, okay, let me repeat this, patented by Moderna, who partnered with DARPA in 2013. Again, the partnership, people really have to realize this partnership and the collaboration. For instance, uh, the matches in what? Something that we're going to treat cancer with. Well, that's because it's rare diseases and cancer, the mRNA platform. Bill Gates in on it, AstraZeneca, of course, Moderna. I mean, you partner with them in October of 2013, and then you put in for a patent of this, February 4th, 2016. It takes you less than two and a half years to develop that with the Defense Department. And it's all leak, 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 and ha, 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 and funny, funny, funny. And remember, it wasn't just cancer. It's all this stuff. Pandemics with mRNA drugs. Biological uh, agents created in a lab. Biowarfare. And so we get attacked with biowarfare. And then they knowingly want to inject us with hate and lies in biowarfare. All right, so we're going to show you just some of the beginning. Then we're going to scoot down to the end. And then we're going to come through. Because this is all their um, adverse events just for Pfizer alone through February uh, 28th of 2021. All right? Let's get that straight. So I think these these things were activated somewhere in November and December. Um, I'm, you know, starting to be on a large-scale level with law enforcement and other places. Now, this is Pfizer's own data. This is what they don't want you to see. And, I, and you think I'm kidding. Pfizer. The information contained in this document is proprietary and confidential. Any disclosure, reproduction, distribution, or other dissemination of this information outside of Pfizer, its affiliates, its licenses, or regulatory agencies is strictly prohibited. Except, as may be otherwise agreed to in writing, by accepting or reviewing these materials, you agree to hold such information in confidence and not to disclose it to others, except where required by applicable law. And remember, they didn't want any of this information out for 75 years. They said 51st, then 75. Then a judge said, no, 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 no. Then they say they're understaffed. You have to wonder who had the soul here, okay? Who had the soul? Because they didn't want it out. Look at the list of tables here. The, the abbreviations are just wild. I mean, just just they already have this ready to go. Because again, a lot of this was studied for years and years and years. They already had it. You know, you think VADES is going to be a fake thing. Well, I assure you, they have V-A-E-D on this. Look, Vaccine Associated Enhanced Disease. Might as well be VADES. Okay, you're missing the immuno part. Vaccine-associated enhanced respiratory disease. Oh, wow. So let me just, before we go into this, and then we talk about the age ranges, the number of effects, the fact that they have, you know, if you go back up here, I believe it's up here. It might be a little bit more ways down. No, there it is right there. Events reported in less than 2% of cases. Events reported in less than 2% of cases. I want you to think about that. That means if one in 51 people, one in 51 people, you're over the the mark right there, right? And anywhere from basically 99 out of 100 to, to uh, uh, 
51, right? I mean, take a, take a look at that. Less than 2%. So you would have 1% of cases, one out of 100. Okay, when you're talking two, you're talking one in 50 people. So that's not great. All these other ones, important identified risk, important potential risk. I mean, that's a lot. Table two is a lot. Again, before we get there, I want to show people this. See all that information? We'll get to this stuff here. But what I really want to show everybody, okay, um, a summary and conclusion. They make me sick. This is this is it. This is the list. You ready? This is the appendix list. First of all, I can't pronounce some of this stuff, but I know that I probably don't want um, acute flaccid myelitis or acute hemorrhagic lecophilitis. I don't want uh, acute hemorrhagic anything. Acute kidney injury. I mean, if this alone, what was behind me, which is a mo- acute respiratory failure, Addison's disease, administration site thrombosis, adrenal thrombosis. I mean, I could probably go on for an hour with all this stuff. If you're watching this visually, and maybe that's what I'll do over there on Podbean. I'll put this out as a video podcast exclusive, you know, because I, I have that option over there. Anaphylactic transfusion reaction. <laughs> I mean, my God! I, if it were, ju- we're we're on a, folks, we're on a. This goes on for pages and pages and pages. Anti-neuronal antibody positive. What? I mean, what is going on here? Anti-myelin-associated glycoprotein antibodies positive. What are all these antibody things we're talking about here? Right? Atypical pneumonia. (laughs) Again, here we go. Are you ready to look at all the autoimmune stuff? Because I am. Because I am. Guys, right here. Okay? That is the... I I mean, these ones I think I got to read. My God. And I want to say this again. They hate you. They knew about this. This is in April 2021. They want you to take more shots. These are hate and lies. All of them. I told everybody not to get this. I mean, you're talking about anemia, arthritis, blistering disease, colitis. Okay? Uh, Just autoimmune disorder altogether. And now good old Prince William's telling everybody to get their HIV test. And people became... HIV positive falsely, of course, during trials in Australia with one of their vector-based vaccines. Lovely. Autoimmune eye disorder. Endocrine disorder. Wow. These don't, why would I have ever injected anything that could possibly give me any of these things into my body willingly? Ever. If the virus was 10 times as deadly, you would never have gotten me to do this. Oh, wait, autoimmune myocarditis. Wow. Oh, that's in there? Lung disease? Ear disease? Jeez. There's a lot of stuff here. Neuropathy? Jeez. Fun. Pancreatitis. Yummy. Thyroid disorder. Are you you understanding? I mean, uh, uh, (laughs) autonomic nervous system imbalance. Guys, we're still. Hey, pause it for a second. A. This, <clears throat> this a goes question. on for.
at, uh, in every type of vaccine trial, are they looking at that same list of adverse events? Are they looking at the same list? Is, like, is that like every adverse event that's ever happened from every vaccine trial ever? And they have this cumulative list. So they're going to look for these sort of things and, and watch out for them. Is that what I'm saying? Or are these all of associated with this specific experiment? The former. I think the former, at least okay. based on the way Jeffrey Jackson stated it, that okay. it was the accumulation of all the different adverse events that have occurred with all the vaccines since they've been collecting those data. Right. Okay. And that sounds so, and then, more and then, reasonable. And then they're, yeah. And then they're essentially juxtaposing the data from the Pfizer vaccine or whatever Pfizer, Moderna, or even maybe the, the adenovirus virus vector. However, it's good cover because there are a lot of mm. side effects and adverse events. Yeah. That I guess there's a associated... definition with side effects. <clears throat> and I and guess the thing is this too. So we have to be aware of that. It's not even about this data. It goes back to the fact that before they even did the vaccines, before the vaccines were even being injected, mm-hmm. I saw a UK government purchase requisition where they were looking for AI software technology to watch over adverse events and help yeah. them track in a database because they expected an unprecedented amount of adverse damage events. to be done yeah. that it never had to be tracked like this before. So they had purchase requisitions out. And I said, that's very telling that they specifically are looking for AI algorithms because there's going to be so many of them. Right. And they are also admitting in their documents that VAERS is underreporting, not overreporting. So well, I'm not I think sure that's if all... it's VAERS. So I just want to clarify that. Oh, right. You're not wrong, but I, I'm not sure if in that report they're underreporting the events that have. No, been... I'm not saying that. I'm just saying they recognize that if anything, VAERS isn't overreporting. The... No, I agree. I'm not. I'm, yeah. I'm, we're in okay. agreement there. I just want to clarify. I think they're talking about the reporting that Pfizer's doing because Pfizer is collecting their own data outside of VAERS, I think from my understanding. And so there, I, I got the, and I could be wrong here, but I thought they were talking about being underreported to the Pfizer, to Pfizer's um, study that's being done. I don't know if they're using the databases around the world, but my understanding is that they weren't using those databases. They were collecting the data outside of those databases in regards to actual events that have taken place. I could be wrong on that though. And that's where I will have to flesh out um, the actual documents, but you're not wrong. Both are, whether they're using the VAERS and other, like the yellow card system, other databases around the world, or they're using their own um, methodology for obtaining, obtaining this information, um, it doesn't matter. Both are going to be underreported well, in, two that, in that there's scenario. Like, we both have VAERS, they have yellow card, but in mm-hmm. both of our countries, the best, the, the, the most study is going into the veterans. Yeah. So they have veterans administration kind of uh, over there. It's wholly nationalized healthcare. So they got everybody's everything over there. Yeah. But over here, like a lot of that early data was coming from them studying uh, vaccinated vets through the VA hospital system, which is actually because they have, well, obviously the army, they've been vaccinated vets for a long time. Well, they also collect it. Their data collection is pretty pristine as well. They want to know what's going on because it has a major effect. Back in the day, I think they the made, operation. I think back in World War One, they made the vaccines from horse serum. And these mm-hmm. days you need horse paste to avoid the vaccine. So a lot has changed in the last hundred years. Uh, still playing with horses. Just saying. Or is that sort of like an evolving of the technology of... Uh, Hey, remember when horses. I said that thing about uh, the Rothschild setting up tea off the coast of India and Ceylon? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It was the Worms brothers that set that up. Horse Warmer. Get it? Oh, man. I had to dig deep for that joke to find those Worms. All right. Uh, Let's let's see what we can hit before Mm -hmm. intermission here. I guess Uh, the point, just real quick, as a follow-up to what Jason's going over there. There's a lot. I've seen some debunk. You know, I don't. How long is this deep dive? Was there uh, it more? goes on for a little bit longer. I mean, it's 23 minutes, so we probably saw another 10 to 15 minutes. I think the point is, like, there's a lot good to reason go for people to go over to his Rockfin page yeah. and watch it in its entirety, and then subscribe to his channel. And yeah, while you're there, you could probably watch T Lab. He's on the Rockfin too. Whitney I'm just Webb. saying, it just goes to show there's a lot that we're gonna have to, you know, hash out, flesh out over the next couple of weeks in regards to. Like he's just sort of giving a cursory overview. Of oh yeah, like, this is yeah, just like this is like the kind of scene reporting. Sort of right yeah. yeah it's not uh, the deep dive forensic history yet we got to wait for this dust to settle see what's what get some definition yeah. right yeah. those pages look scary but if those pages are in like every vaccine trial okay which i think is probably the case also but i still don't trust al capone's with... books even though they're yeah. they're very neatly written i don't know if i trust maybe we Fair should enough. look into this i think there's another set of I've books seen some from. you know weird debunkings that bring some light to some criticism but then also ignore some other criticisms that the alternative community is pointing out rightfully so so it's it's going to be a messy next couple we're gonna have to there's a lot to go through and figure out and apply logic and reason to try to have a better understanding of what those uh reports are actually saying what that Pfizer data dump is actually saying so yeah that's basically it there's a lot of smoke we'll find the fire yeah you got it (laughs) it's there all right, so these clips, it's before we get to it. our big smash intermission, which is going to tie together this digital new world order idea and all sorts of other things we've been seeding throughout the show are going to come together in the intermission. Um, let's see. Ukraine neo-Nazis infiltrate every level of military and government. Uh, did I put that in the wrong section? No, I mean, I, what, what section am I in? I'm still in, I don't know, I'm in resources. This is a long playlist here. Uh, um, vaccine lockdown. The only other thing I think that we might just want to cover, although I don't, I think this is maybe a little overstated, and I'll provide sort of the counter argument. This is the paper, the Swedish paper on reverse transcription for mRNA in vitro and human liver cell line. That was a big. Okay, before we do that, week. let's play that Crowder clip then, because it's only three oh, minutes. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather great. laugh before yeah. I fall asleep with Brett and Heather. Yeah. Well, there's oh, a Jeffrey right. Jackson. We can play either or, whichever one. So whichever one's more entertaining. I like that, but they are. I do too. I want to be more mentally enthused when I hear their voices. So let's go something funny with the Crowder <laughs> and the ladder. Which, uh, which one are at the top about? of the playlist? It's right. It's the clip yeah. right there at the top. That's okay. right above the other one. Yeah, I just highlighted it for you. Da, 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 da. This is something uh, that I do. We're going to talk about here today because we've, we've, you know, it's a slow march to tyranny. It's a slow march into an authoritarian regime. And uh, I defended Gina Carano when she made this comparison on Instagram because there are stupid people who just go, you're just like Hitler. Okay, no, that's silly. But when Gina Carano said, Gerald, when Gina Carano said, uh, how did it start? It started by neighbors turning on neighbors. It yeah. started not just with a regime, but by convincing neighbors to turn on each other and to other groups of people. I thought that was a, a thoughtful, 
legitimate comparison because we had people turning folks into the government for not wearing a mask. Or now you see in Canada for not uh, honoring the vaccine, the mRNA injection mandate. Um, But how have we gotten here? I think sometimes it's important to sort of look at a boiling, look look at an inflection point, I should say. And I have been spending a lot of time thinking about this. And uh, by the way, you, you guys can comment below before you watch this segment where you think it started. You know, how did we end up with quarantine camps and freezing bank accounts, right? And passports, you know, vaccine uh, passports. How do we end up here? What was the tipping point? Because there were a lot of steps. And I do think there's one. Um, I think the most important one. And this is where there is a comparison that I'm going to make. It's, it's, it's shocking once I started doing more research as to yeah. how it parallels this. Is telling people, it started with this, trust the science. That's how it started. Now, what do I mean? But there's more to that, that phrase. People just say trust the science. Well, no, that sounds good, right? Just like pro-choice. That sounds good. It sounds better. Yeah, trust, we all trust science. Why would we not yeah. trust science? The scientific process. But when you uh, equate trusting the science with exclusively trusting and being coerced into trust the go- into trusting the government mandated science yeah that's when the problem starts and then you include into that well the idea and we'll go through all of this eliminating voices of scientific dissent no matter how legitimate they may be then you get to the point where you can go through the phase of othering people and once you've divided people once you've created a second class of citizenry well, then you're pretty much free to do whatever you want to them, including freezing their bank accounts and jailing them indefinitely. So this started with uh, trusting the science and the experts. Let me just show you in case you've forgotten. I believe this is the inflection point uh, that led us to what we see in Canada and see in Australia and would absolutely see in the United States if former Vice President Biden had his way. We just have checks and balances. We follow the science. Why are adults believing people on the Internet instead of science and experts? I have a wild idea. Let's just hear me out. Follow the science. Science is evolving. What if we all just did science? This is so silly that we had people who are anti-science. Science is moving and we are following the science. And experts. On the other hand, uh, science. And not trying to silence the voice of science. And experts. We all need to follow science to protect our loved ones. We need to listen to scientists. And experts. Science and the truth. We should be letting public health lead. You're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. I think uh, science. Because you've got to be guided by the science and the current data. Attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks science. on science. It's, it's preposterous, Chuck. Totally preposterous. You notice he hasn't really uh, crawled out of his hole as much lately? Thank no, God. I wonder if it's because he was so wrong about stuff. Yeah, I have no idea. Maybe, Maybe. he got the uh, Omicron and he's one of the point zero 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 zero. uh Zero deaths. Oh, that'd be so sad. <laughs> I'm joking, not zero deaths. I just mean statistically very little. Watch louder. So it was, uh, I don't know, was it a, a year ago when we were talking about the Thomas Dolby sci- science song? And uh, we had a listener who wrote a set of lyrics and sent us, and we don't have any production, anything to make a video. So I'm glad that someone else like spliced that together because that was pretty entertaining. And, uh, that brings together the agenda in a way that people can resonate with, I think. Science. All right. I got to show you this real quick because um, it was mentioned earlier in the show that people are getting like polarized and more extreme on both sides. 
and I mentioned that there's a pattern I see repeating. I want to share that pattern so you, can see it. so you can see it for yourself. This is, uh, let's see, I zoom out. Let's bring it down. Doing it live. Doing it live. All right. So I'm going to take you. This is a casual view of America. The home letters of Solomon to Rothschild, 1859 and 1861 by Sigmund Diamond, Stanford University, published in 1961 on the centennial of Solomon's trip to America. He died as a young man. He didn't assume power. He didn't open a banking house in America because August Belmont had already done that for the Rothschilds. And by this time in the story, uh, Solomon is writing from New Orleans on 28th April. 1861 right as the civil war is kicking off having been in both the north and south having heard all the conceivable arguments in favor of each side i had the desire to form a completely independent opinion here's a little summary the abolitionists were the extremist republicans the fire eaters were secessionists the extremist democrats fanaticism and extremist parties always went out and exactly as i expressed my forebodings to you of a very long time ago abolitionism on one side and secession on the other dragged along the more moderate neutrals despite themselves this is what we say today i, I said it a couple weeks ago like i've said it for years but the centrifugal and centripetal forces mm -hmm. are bringing people who were otherwise didn't take up a position to these extreme areas right that happened during COVID in order to participate in the social circles that they participate in. Now I'm going to use my card here so you can focus on the words and not have the spoiler at the bottom of the page. Let's go. Uh, two reasons pushed the people of the North to seek to destroy slavery by any means. The first, which was advanced by those who wished to dazzle to win over the chivalrous hearts and gain the sympathies of Europe was a simple humanitarian reason <clears throat> in a free country like America. There must be no slaves and complete equality must reign in all ranks of society. The proof of this reason was not sincere in, in uh, was not sincere is that the abolitionists spent millions to incite uprisings among the slaves or to induce them to flee their masters, but let them die of hunger when they were free and gave them no means of improving themselves morally. But the real sentiment that guided them and that they did not dare to admit at the time was the spirit of leveling. Everyone must be equal in abjection. They cannot tolerate someone in the South having 200 arms for his use while they have only their two. This sentiment <clears throat> was the first seed of the social revolution, which is at this very moment taking giant strides behind the political revolution. You may, you will recall that I have for a long time been speaking to you about this. He's writing back to his Rothschild cousins, uncles, uh, nephews, what have you, in uh, Europe and Britain. The cause of the South had many supporters in the North, but these supporters were more interested, inspired with self-interest than one believed. They knew that with the support of the Southern states, they could retain power. This state of affairs might have lasted for many years if the two divisions, North and South, of the Democratic Party had not split at the last convention. Now, at this point the democratic party leader is the rothschild man in america his name's august belmont and you could know that by reading the forward in this book where the rothschild intention they sent mr belmont and he becomes their guy in america trading under their name and then these guys uh marry into the powerful families that's not for right now we're back over here where the democratic party is being run by august belmont 
uh, Rothschild agent in America, each supporting a different, can- a different candidate. They abdicated power to a third thief, Lincoln, the choice of the Republicans. <laughs> so let the record show that Solomon de Rothschild in his letter of New Orleans, 28 April, 1861, uh, called the hereto like not yet assassinated president Lincoln, a thief. And that it wasn't the one they were funding apparently. Right. Interesting. The cotton States understood that there could be nothing more for them. No security in a union in which the chief of state and all his ministers were their most implacable enemies. Well, that's a good point, Solomon. He's only like 29 when he wrote this. So, you know, smarter than most kids today, they succeeded. Unfortunately (laughs) for them, secession was handled as everything is handled on this continent illegally and boastfully. And their braggadocio alienated many moderates and prevented the slave states of the center from joining them immediately. So anyway, when Lincoln dies and you're looking for who might have really put people up to it. Well, there's a predicated of blanking is that he's a thief law there's a banking in the side there's a little bit of it's provide a little bit of uh nuance and context around that when he the speaks and, about the republicans and yeah. the democrats and the splitting of the convention they have two hands whereas the southern plantation owners have many hands what they're really lamenting is this sort of you know this is the reason why they call economics being the highest social science it's it's sort of on one level uh, you have a cultural effect of the, the changing economic situation. In other words, he's alluding to a changing economic climate that is really the progenitor for the Civil War. Not and the 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 facade that's being promoted is the abolition of slavery. And so, unfortunately, I think this has been something that Gatto talked about in the Ultimate History Lesson. It really had nothing to do, ultimately, like or at least there wasn't the moral outcry wasn't the main reason. The Civil War actually took place. That's what they used to galvanize the person on the street. But the real people had real power in America. No, that was not the real reason. It's really had to do with northern industrialization versus the old model in the South of using human labor, human capital. And the industrialization obviously has to do machines. And the old model in the South had to do with, again, human capital, human labor. And so that's that's really the difference. That's really the issue, the key issue when it comes to the Civil War. Uh, they just hide behind the facade of this this uh, moral argument of which is correct. I mean, it was evil to subject anyone to slavery, but that wasn't the real reason for why. And he's alluding to it exactly right there or what you just read, not right there, but what you just read. So that's very clever that he was able to recognize that and see through age 29. I mean, of course, he comes from a banking family and he's well, I think he versed in the 29. nuances. Actually, died I mean, at 29. Let's just go uh, to the inside here and let's get a fact. Here's a preface. Uh, the letters in this book were written by Solomon de Rothschild to various members of his family between 1859 and 1861. At some point, they were gathered together and copied into a green leather notebook, which was ultimately presented to the Bibliothèque Nationale in Paris, where it is now cataloged. Uh, well, it's a le- number no, 11,700 no, yeah. in the process of copying, not always correctly, as internal evidence uh, indicates, the letters were pruned of all personal references to members of the Rothschild family and personally other material. So it got B5. They B5 yeah, a lot B5. of this stuff. <laughs> there you go. If you watch last week's show, you get that. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't say when he died, though. Maybe the next page. 
So well, he died young, though. In other words, Sigmund Diamond, who wrote this book, he edited this book. He also wrote uh, Compromise Campus: mm. How Universities and Intelligence Agencies Combined to Screw Your Education at the Drive-Thru. Um, yeah, I'd have to look it up. That's okay. Right I mean, the point is, he was intelligent to recognize and see through the sort of propagandized narrative that was used to foment and galvanize people to accept the war when in fact there were more pernicious economic machinations behind the scenes that were really the cause of the war uncle yeah, tom's cabin did not play as much of a role i could go on looking for did to galvanize it but anyway sorry the date of death or we could uh move on with the show we'll we can move on it. sorry i'm, I'm he's very okay. young that was the point you can you continue forward. I'm sorry. Right. I'm continuing forward looking while you're <laughs> clicking over there. Uh, August Belmont, correspondent of the Rothschilds. That's what we were uh, looking into last time. Yeah, August uh, Belmont, yeah. Right. If it, if it was Rothschild's intention to establish connections with the South, he could have hardly found a better go-between than August Belmont. Belmont had been born in Alzey, Germany, the son of a wealthy Jewish burger. He entered into the service of the Rothschild Bank in Frankfurt at the age of 14. And before he was 21, he was sent on missions to Naples, Papal Court, and Havana. See, what did we do before we're 21? In 1837, the Algemena Zeitung uh, reported that both Roth, the Rothschilds had decided to establish a branch in New York. A young man in charge of this project, Mr. Belmont, left a few days ago, and then he's in charge of the Democratic National Party, which was a slavery-controlled South type of situation. Not a whole lot has changed since then. That is the point. Party of slavery. They're partying hey, what did, on uh, what did, uh... <laughs> Oh, sorry. The correct response is party on Garth. Let's go to Heather and Brett to see if they can do a Wayne's World callback reference situation. And they're joined I'm trying to remember. Oh, anyways, yeah, let's go. <laughs> Brain's too tired. Do we have that, LD? Yeah, just looking for that. What's uh... it's, it was right below the last clip we played. Oh, okay. okay. The second one down, yeah. Bert and Heather. We kid Brett. He's not a fan of the show. Frederick Douglass, real quick before we go to that. Sorry. Yeah. Frederick Douglass said it best uh, in regards to the income tax situation. And in other words, like when we think of when we look at that period in history and the abolition of slavery, which is the right thing to do, um, but at the same time, the fact that it just brought in another type of slavery, debt slavery, wage slavery, industrial industrialized types of slavery. Um, through um, the new form of industrial. And didn't he debate that populace. thief? He had famous debates with that mm-hmm. thief. He did. Yes, he did. Was the, and he the commented f- on the income tax was worse. Than, I think he said something to the effect of being worse than slavery or something. He did. I mean, we sort actually, of actually, Tony, the Internal Revenue in Service uh, started in 1861, according to uh, the trust game by Aaron and Melissa Dykes. I learned that Ooh. in episode three. It's really wow. it's almost it's really like a Balfour declaration, declaration. I had early you know, access it, to see it, but it was like 12 hours. So I only got a couple hours into it. But now that it's like coming out an hour each week and they're putting it on YouTube, I'm able to like really dig in and suck suck the marrow out of that production. There's a lot of good value in there. Juicy parts. It's a 12-week series, wow. 
I'm pretty sure that's a 12 yes episode series. It's like a limited series. They're like going to release episode four next week. Yeah. And those are the- well done. I'm, yeah, I mean, it's they've really nailed their facts. Yeah. They do incredible productions. So they that's because they're focused. Without distractions of Infowars, they can just yeah. focus and get stuff done. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if they have jobs on the side or something, or that's just their main main gig because they they do a great job. Anyways, all right, Brad and Heather, we only got to do six minutes on this Swedish paper, so we can all we can take it. Let's try it out. At the beginning of all of this, at the beginning of COVID, you and I were hearing claims that you know these vac- vaccines are safe and effective, and it's like, well, well at the beginning of COVID, we weren't because no, it didn't exist. A year in, yeah. Okay, well, I can tell you one thing right away. You're lying when you say it's safe because yeah. safe, you know, I can't tell you that there's a harm, but I can tell you, you don't know anything about what this does to you five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road. You yep. couldn't, it hasn't existed long enough. And so you're telling me that it's safe is you either admitting that you don't understand what you're saying or that you're willing to mislead me. But either way, I'm now going to be super cautious because I know that you're not telling me the truth. Now, I want to point something out. We've got various mantras that we use, little things that we say to flag certain kinds of errors, right? Like, you know, trade-offs are a key thing for us because if you're not talking about the trade-offs and these things, the chances are you're involved in a sales pitch. You're not involved in a cost-benefit analysis, yeah. right? The cost-benefit of the analysis <clears throat> requires the trade-offs. We also say welcome to complex systems. Mm-hmm. And by that, what we mean is you are now dealing with a realm so complex that as soon as you tell me you know all of the effects of the thing that you've just proposed, if, you, if the thing you've just proposed is sufficiently novel, you don't know all the effects. And the one thing you can say to make me more comfortable with you is we don't know all the effects. And if you don't say that, then the point is then the question is, well, what did you miss? And here, I don't know if you noticed this 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 week, but I believe the 25th of February, a Swedish paper emerged that actually upended a lot of the stuff that um, some of our antagonists have crowed about mm. uh, very subtly. And what it said, and this is this is a single paper, maybe it's wrong. It's a single paper that demonstrated something in vitro, that is to say not in living creatures, but in, in uh, tissues outside of living creatures. Mm-hmm. What it showed was that um, the vaccines, the mRNA vaccines, actually get reverse transcribed into DNA, which is then found in the nucleus of liver cells. Uh-oh. Uh-oh is right. Now, it isn't 100% clear what that means. The one thing that you would love to know above all else, which they did not show in this paper, was that it gets that it does or does not get uh, basically spliced into the genome. Right. Right, which is a crucial question. Right. Um, but they did show, interestingly, that the fact of this mRNA getting uh, reverse transcribed into DNA, which is the language of the genome, mm. um, then upregulates a appallingly named protein, something like line one. I mean, God, biologists, I love biologists but they suck at naming things. And this is a particularly bad case of that, that failure on their part. But anyway, it upregulates the very machinery that reverse transcribes MRNA. So it's even suggestive of a positive feedback mechanism. 
Now, there are a million possibilities here, right? It's likely that this never makes it into the germline, right? Even if it does get cut, spliced into the genome in the nuclei of cells in some part of the body, that it never makes it to the germline. And so it doesn't Likely an evolutionary dead end, but that doesn't help the individual. Right. But I mean, I guess the point is, look, A, people have fought over the question and those on the, the vaccine enthusiast side have crowed endlessly about the fact that this is not gene therapy because it does not, it does not touch the, uh, the nuclear genome. Right. And, you know, I, I, I've stayed out of that because, yeah, it's not supposed to. Yeah. But so it's it's about um, unintended consequences and complex systems and specifically the hyper novelty about which we go on so much in Hunter Gatherer's Guide and uh, with which we are all surrounded, really. You're interested in that uh, paper, the, the uh, Swedish paper mm-hmm. on the um, reverse transcription of the mRNA messages. Check out Dr. Mobin Saeed. He's one of the heroes of um, the COVID pandemic. He's got an excellent series on YouTube in which he explores uh, medical questions in depth, rather like uh, like John Campbell and, and, and others. Anyway, check out his recent video on the February 25th um, Swedish paper on reverse transcription. Uh, we will put a we'll link to that. that yeah. um, and I also will put a link to the paper itself so you can look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you've got a small number of people who are committed to not doing sales. The sales thing has gone after us, right? It has, it has. It has gone after us because it cannot tolerate an encounter with, um, frankly, the scientific method, right? <laughs> and that, I mean, this is, this is the irony of the whole thing. I'm reminded, I'm reminded of the idiot ecologist, and sorry, not all ecologists, but this guy was, was truly special, who said to me smugly, I used to think hypothesis was important. Now I know better. (laughs) (laughs) Now I know worse. (laughs) Well, I have the need to do science. So, you know, they're okay. It's an interesting paper. You know, I've seen this circulated throughout the week um, in various alternative, you know, news shows and alternative sources and whatnot. There's a lot that is left to be desired in regards to what the paper is actually saying. They took a mutated cancer, cancerous cell line of liver tissue. So it's mutated so it can, so it's basically like it's a cancerous mutated cell line that has the ability to reverse transcribe RNA to DNA, which they know this, it basically has the enzyme that allows that, that to take place. So you have to think, so Although there's a pathway by which they can reverse transcribe RNA to DNA, there's no evidence, the paper does not show any evidence whatsoever that it gets inside the nucleus of a cell. And if it doesn't get inside the nucleus of a cell, it does not become part of your genome, period. That's just the way it works. So on, like, it, there's a potential pathway, and that's what in vitro is supposed to do. It's supposed to show potential pathways that then can be studied in the human body. Luckily or unluckily, and in this situation, I mean, if you're a scientist that wants to study this stuff, there's already a massive human experimentation going on. So if you can get grant money to do that research on, on people in vivo, 
on uh, human populations in general, on the, the complexity of the human body and how that's whether or not it's being reverse transcribed in liver cells, not this mutated cancer liver cells in a, in a Petri dish on a cell line, you know, then you have there certainly there's enough, um, there's enough of a, a population sample size to conduct that sort of experiment. But you have to be careful what sort of conclusions you draw from this, because right now the paper itself does not say or did not did not uh, detail the process by which it would actually become part of the human genome. And one of the issues is in the cell nucleus, I think it's called what is it? It's called um, it's a certain enzyme that would have to essentially transcribe it into the genome itself of the cell. And that doesn't exist in in humans in the way and after it's like reverse transcribed, I forget the specific uh, it's called integrase. That's right. That's right. So even if you have, it needs to get into the nucleus of a cell and have an enzyme called integrase, which human cells don't make to get the strand of DNA to be a part of the DNA of your cells. That has been that the strand of DNA that's been reverse transcribed. So this, unfortunately to me right now, just my logic mind is going off and said, it's probably sort of a red herring or non sequitur. It's probably more of a non sequitur, uh, which is sort of a catch-all fallacy, which we'll go into during my course. Well, they're, they're seeking to have that connection because if it does uh, reverse transcribe to the DNA, then that makes it a gene therapy officially and not just in Moderna's SEC filings where they call it a gene therapy. Yeah. I mean, right now there's no evidence of that, unfortunately. I'm not saying I don't, you know, I'm not saying I'm for the, I'm obviously not for the vaccine and I'm, I'm very dubious on the vaccine, the gene therapy, I should call it specifically, because that's what it is. We just don't have the direct evidence right now that states that it is being transcribed permanently from RNA to DNA and then integrating itself into cells. And that's, that's, we don't have that. We, we have a potential pathway. This is what the paper has shown is that we have a potential pathway, but right now that pathway still lack. It's very contrived because it's using cancer liver, cancerous mutated liver cells that have that are that's a specific other enzyme that transcribes because liver cells typically don't even have that enzyme to transcribe RNA to DNA. It takes a mutated cancer liver cell line to do that. And then you have to have integrase in the cell nucleus in order to transcribe it into the cell itself. So you have pathways, but you don't have the evidence necessarily to say right now for sure that we know it does. We just don't have that. So we have to be careful what we, what type of conclusions we draw from it. We do. We have to be careful what type of conclusions we draw, but we also have to take a look at things that exist and consider their role in events. As an example, like I was flipping through this book while we're looking at that last video. Uh, Here's a little part here. Uh, director of Rockefeller Foundation's Arbovirus Laboratory at Yale. Do you know they're doing virus, Rockefeller virus programs at the Oxford of America? I don't think that's any relevant data, but special virus cancer program. If you want to check out that Department of Health, because they love you. Hmm. Uh, USAID. Uh, where do Dazak get those? Grants from anyway. I'm there, John Farrell. You saw him. I'm looking at the uh, army infecting human beings. Uh, I know that I was looking for uh, Lumumba's connection, Congo. Oh. Maybe I should just go to the uh, yeah, go to the index. Let's go to the index here. See if there's Congo. Now, I don't really trust this author, but it's a book and it's got facts in here, and facts can check out or not check out. Facts so are facts. Cool. 
Facts are facts. That's a Benjamin I'll Friedman callback. A lot of callbacks yeah. tonight. Oh, look at this oh, big sectionalist podcast. Big sectionalist. Yeah, <laughs> MK <laughs> Naomi. Look at that. You're look at that. that Maybe week. we should go to that. We were looking for that last week. I couldn't yeah. find these. Might have to look for that. Congo. There's a bunch of references there. 280, 298, Robin Cook. She's like a CIA front writer. Writes about Ebola. I talk about Ebola a lot in this book. Hmm. Congo, Congo. Walter Cronkite. No, no, no. Congo River. Three ninety nine. Congo. Check out this Lumumba, maybe. Like, Let's just go to three ninety nine because where else would the Congo River be uh, mentioned yeah. in the book, right? Right. Let's see here. Three ninety nine. CIA. Zaire. Kissinger. We're close. Mm. Mobutu. Um, I thought they talked about the. I thought the CDC Lumumba had. Itself. I thought they had a lab over there. That's what I was looking for. Because like, me... if Lumumba was killed, uh, was there some sort of Fort Detrick type of stuff going on in the Congo? Might MI6 and CIA have had a lab Adam over Curtis there? Actually, references that loosely in the second so. the use and abuse of ecology. Or it's a good thing, though. Immunodeficient type of virus came out of Africa. In Central Africa, I have like Dr. Anthony Fauci's book, which goes Nazi in the history link of a type lot of, of experiments. Stuff. The problem with the book, though, is he references everything, but he doesn't have an index, so I'd have to go through each section of references. And it's a good thing they didn't have a, a policy back then trying to create more AIDS-like viruses, right? <laughs> you know, because to, to prevent uh, new AIDS from breaking out, or whatever they, it's calling, you know? wouldn't they, by definition, have to create more AIDS-like viruses to prevent more AIDS-like viruses from breaking out? Because that's how they they work. That it. seems oh, look, a little circular. It to started me, at the wet market. No, this is the wrong kippy. diagram. This is a little uh, begging. This the is them fucking with those cats. Not just banning Russian cats. They're going after healthy cats. Meow meow. Pork. Oh, sure. I'm gonna cat. have to look up Lumumba or. Some other reference to find the uh, Congo laboratory situation. Yeah. I mean, I uh, actually, I'll wait. Try to help um, Leopoldville. That. Let's look up Leopoldville. Let's see. JKL. I know it's exciting. Leopold. Remember when you had to use a card catalog? Oh, I'm not going to look through all those references right now. Let me just go to the internet. Leopoldville strain. Oh, of HIV. This is might this might just get interesting. Page one twenty seven. Let's find out what year that was. What was that one twenty seven? One two seven. Lumba CIA. I feel like we're sleuthing right now. Yeah. Polio yeah, vaccine theory of AIDS. AIDS case in nineteen. Yeah, Lumb- yeah, Leopoldville. Since CIA's station chief in Leopoldville, the capital city of Congo, Let's received see. a message through home. This is actually this is comes from the New York Times. Contaminants. No. All right. Let's go back to clips. Poison even back somehow slipped in Lumumba's phone. Now this is just talking about how they killed Lumumba through the CIA in Leopoldville. Their CIA uh, person that was stationed in Leopoldville. I think they overthrew a coup. Didn't they arrest Lumumba before they tortured him mm-hmm. and killed him? They, they tortured him and killed him, and they installed one of the worst dictators in African history. Whereas uh, uh, with Steve Biko, they kind of just uh, tortured and killed him, too. So it was very similar mm-hmm. strategies they're carrying out. It's very Cecil Rhodes apartheid enforcement. Might you even have called that kind of like a Nazi type of genre that they were running down there? With the concentration camps. Actually, you know what was interesting, Rich? But the British oh, did no. it first. So maybe the Nazis were being British. I don't know. Go ahead with your thought. No, no. I mean, you're not wrong. That's, <laughs> that's 
when they installed Mobutu, Mobutu apparently was obsessed with going to space. So they took all those same Nazi scientists that we employed to get to the moon, quote unquote. And they actually found a front down there to start their new rocket initiative and operation, which I did not know about, but something out of Curtis documents and his, uh, it's the second episode of all watched over. We didn't play that clip during the show. I played the other clips talking about, uh, Bill Hamilton and, uh, uh, what's his name? The other guy. Uh, oh, the here. Katanga crisis. The eight, uh, G. Edward Griffith has a movie on so this. Tired. I kind of Leopoldville is not working. Congo. Yeah. All right. Well, that's like, I mean, yeah, cause that's where he, well, a lot uh, of the stuff the CIA operated out of Leopoldville and they were part of the where they took over, you know. Well, that's just the uh, the red rubber oh, black Price. death area Price. of I'm sorry. King Leopold of Belgium, where hey, that's where the headquarters of NATO is, by the way, over there. Small well, Belgium planet. had a huge that they were the well, they make in Rwanda and the Congo, they had a presence. They're the yeah. ones that came up with a narrative where the Hutus and the Tutsis. So, you know, made, they made it, they brought in their scientists to measure the skulls of the Tootsie and the, the height and all this nonsensical bullshit. And then said, look, they're your overlords and they're suppressing you, Hutus. Mass yeah, let's go them. to this. Uh, I was looking anyway. at this. Are vaccine passports going away? No, they're not. They're just going away for it's like a low tide for those. They're coming back with those digital IDs. Let's go to the one below that. Airborne vaccines. Are the conspiracy theories real? I don't know. Do you read? project uh, diffuse peter dazak's submission to darpa through the uh drastic dump that the, he's the one saying it in his proposal to get shekels from uh darpa so uh, is that conspiratorial to read shekels the almighty drachma drachmas yeah he's getting some cronins 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 <laughs> that's what uh, they use in the netherlands krona krona no, maybe that's Czech Republic. I forget. It's been so long since. Oh, uh, one thing for sure. You're EU not going to be doing the Euro. Was it rubies? Rubles? Is that what it is? Rubles. There you go. Rubles. And rupees. Was, rubles uh, and in, rupees. Or, uh, Next. India. No, let's check this out. Stephen Crowder. Maybe that's just a conspiracy theory and we don't have any homework to do and we're good. We can go play. Okay. Of course, conspiracy theorists have been heckled by the media quite a bit um, for suggesting that COVID vaccines, and this was, I don't know if it was last week, wasn't too long ago, but it's been going on for a while, for suggesting that the COVID vaccines could shed to unvaxxed uh, people potentially. It's even been fact-checked. One influencer claiming that just being around someone who's been vaccinated causes those side effects. That not only can the COVID-19 vaccines hurt women's fertility by attacking the placenta, they cause a vaccinated person to shed the virus onto women and affect their periods or pregnancies. So the first part, as I reported here on Fact Check Friday before, the WHO says it's not true. The vaccines yet. we give cannot um, uh, cause not true infertility. Yet. About those who've been vaccinated shedding virus particles and causing harm to others, I have found no scientific document or source that says it's even possible with the mRNA vaccines or the J&J vaccine. Okay, now, <clears throat> it's not true yet. And what they just said is accurate. There is no scientific document available right. with the, did he say Pfizer and J&J vaccine? Well, MNRA, MNRA. Right. Something RNA. Like a heart Sorry, attack. I'm throwing yeah. the ends in the wrong place again. The point is that is not inaccurate. <laughs> but what they're trying to do is act like it's one person said, oh, I said, no, this isn't just one person who believed that there's a potential for shedding. Or One person said this, and we haven't found any scientific literature. 
on these specific vaccines. Understood. I'm not fact-checking that. I'm talking about the spirit of how they do this, and this is what they'll be doing at CNN. Right? It's the lies by omission. It's take an extremist fringe person to make a point that, in another context, might be valid or worth investigation right. to dismiss it and then uh, selectively present references that uh, make your case for you. And by the way, that's why we present all references. They're available at lightofcredit.com. If you're watching on YouTube, it's in that pinned comment. And of course, if you're watching on Rumble or Mug Club, which I recommend you do, uh, you can just go to the website and hit that tab. So here's the interesting part. And have you read about this? The researchers in, now in, uh, in the US, the UK, and Australia are now researching the possibility of a, quote, self-spreading vaccine. I'm going to read this to you. The unvaccinated would, quote, catch the vaccine as it spreads rapidly across the country in airborne droplets passed on via close contact with others, just as colds and flu already spread. And uh, we actually have exclusive footage of the preliminary results with the um, self-shedding vaccine trials. Well, that seems pretty cut and dry. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's worked before. We're going to do it to ourselves, aren't we? Yeah. This is, yeah, this is, yeah. We're I mean, what, go to the top of a shopping mall with guns? <laughs> yes. With Woody Harrelson. Yeah. We'll just hang out. <laughs> uh, oh, this is God. a scary thought. Well, it, it's funny. The yet that we threw on there was kind of a joke, but it's not a joke because every single time some claim like this gets made, and they're like, ah, oh, it's absolutely not possible for this to happen. And then we're like, oh, that was, oh, man, that was only like six months well, ago. Well, right. part of that. getting a, a vaccine, I feel, is knowing the side effects per person and talking to your right. doctor, per, you know, on a private basis, knowing how that would affect you individually. Not just catching it walking down the street the same as anything. Right. That seems extremely vicious. No, I think you're absolutely right. Not only that, there is not a, now, of course, side effects uh, and adverse reactions with vaccines are very rare in most cases. Yes. There are more side effects, you know, with mRNA uh, injections and all of the... No, I'm pro-vax. I just combined. don't think you should catch no, it. No, exactly. They're very rare, but I don't know of a single vaccine that doesn't affect certain individuals negatively with adverse effects, particularly right. things like neurological conditions. GBS yeah. is one of them. There are certain people who cannot even take a basic flu shot because of autoimmune issues. Yeah. People thinking Jenny McCarthy's an author. Right. Yes, yeah. exactly. Well, I don't know how they spread that. No, but it did. <laughs> So people, this is a concern, people who absolutely from their doctor's recommend, upon their doctor's recommendation, cannot take vaccines, don't have a choice in the matter. And this is what's happened to, think about this, we've done this with everything else where big pharma bad, right? People talk yeah. about big, they were, they were uh, you know, villain du jour for a long time, except in this instance. We've done the same thing with medicine, drugs, opioids bad. Yeah. Okay. Uh, benzodiazepines bad. Okay. Uh, even people, you know, ibuprofen bad. Anti everything, you know, drugs bad. You should take these. And then for some reason, though, when it relates to the vaccine, it's no, this is good. Yeah. This is always, this is good for everybody. I don't know any other medical intervention that is considered good for everybody. As a matter of fact, I don't think you can find one. And when you're talking about something that would be spreading or shedding, that's now putting that hands, the power in the hands of government. And, of course, it's not only an infringement of, of personal liberty. I'm just wondering where all the people who were skeptical of big pharma and all the people who were talking about my body, my choice, went to. I don't think it could be more clear than this. It's not like abortion, where, you know, you believe abortion up until nine months and including birth period. Now, I'm not creating a straw man. That's the actual policy of many leftist states, to be clear. Yeah. I don't know where the folks have gone. No, I have no idea, too. And, and we, when we talk about the... 
the issues that we had early on with the vaccine, it wasn't that we were just making claims, right? Some some French people were like saying, oh, I make my cousin's balls swell if everybody remembers that, right? Yeah. That wasn't necessarily, it was the- That was Cardi B. Yeah, I know. We or don't Megan Thee Stallion. Specifically, one, one of them. I mean, it just, it, they kind of blend. I don't know. Who's the other one? Yeah. No, that- that, that was uh, was that Nicki Minaj? Nicki, yeah. ah, Nicki Minaj. Uh, yes. Oh shoot! <laughs> admonish me. Upstanding admonish me in the comment section. <laughs> no, we'll do it live. Where, on how the could show. I possibly confuse yeah. them? Admonish. <laughs> no, the problem we had it's was that clearly a race thing and not a six-inch nail slash talent thing. Well, right. yes, yeah. We just didn't have any long-term studies because it hadn't been around long enough to have any long-term studies. Yeah, generally That's that helps. We long-term studies for. require something being around long-term. Well, look at it. We're at about what a year, it's year true. and a half right now, and we're going, huh? We didn't know. And it's like, really? This is all we were saying from the beginning is like, right. hey, maybe just do some studies on this that go a little bit longer than, say, I don't know, a few months. Yeah. <laughs> Look, either you have to be blindly trusting of authority across the board or you have to be skeptical across the board. Doesn't mean you have to agree with someone else who's a skeptic across the board. But I don't understand how people go from being a skeptic, particularly as it relates yeah. to big pharma, particularly as it relates to drug companies, and then it's completely gone. I, I, that's, it's about consistency. I'm not required to suspend my consistency to say, uh, hold on a second. Is this a good idea, though? Yeah. Is it a good idea for every single individual? It's entirely consistent. It is inconsistent for someone to say, big pharma, we have problems with these lobby. It's one of the most powerful lobbying groups in all of Washington, D.C. is big pharma. I, I don't disagree with you there. I also believe that Western medicine is great. Yeah. If you have cancer and you're chewing on Kashtanga root, you're shit out of luck. <laughs> But I'm still I'm skeptical of every drug, and I believe that every person should yeah. have the right to choose. I believe that we should have more drugs available to people, and I believe that the FDA approval process, there's too much red tape. Obviously, it's a problem that if someone understands the risks, they should be allowed to take that drug. That is entirely consistent with that person should also be allowed to not take that drug. Hmm. When you see the policy of the left, right, these are the same people who said all, every single Democrat and every single member of Joe Biden's cabinet said either the vaccine could not possibly happen on Donald Trump's timeline. Right. Or that they would not trust the vaccine or they wouldn't take the vaccine. Almost all of them said all three and they said it publicly on the record. Yeah. You can go back and just search well on YouTube, search on Mug Club because you won't find it on YouTube. You can see that this is something that Joe Biden himself said, Kamala Harris. Well, it's unrealistic for it to happen at this time. I wouldn't trust the vaccine because of it happened under Trump and I wouldn't take the vaccine. All of that is gone now. Yeah. All of it. Just asking that we be consistent, especially as it relates to people's private medical decisions and what you put in your own body. Hey, Tony, check this out. <clears throat> Places hardest hit by AIDS in Africa is right near the place where CIA MI6 had a lab working on uh, a type of project over there. Yeah, that's I'm sure 40, this is like the wet market the story. Virus. Yeah, came from a monkey, mixture. dude. Some dude was well, fucking a monkey over there. Sure, they're weird yeah. people. They're fucking monkeys. That's the official racist story. Or you can look at the lab that was working on these things. So let me dig into this little testimony. But that's been supposed to be some testimony well, for MK I, Naomi. There. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. And in, in here, uh, this is during the church committee. Uh, Senator Gary Hart is talking about an exhibit six. Let me see here. Hart. I think in memorandum of October 1867, Exhibit 6 is identified as MK Naomi. It clearly states that the anticipated future use of some of these capabilities were certainly intended to be offensive. Director Colby, CIA. We are talking about weapons system that the United States uh, was developing, Colby replied, and potential applications for it and through regular military force and through secret message to, uh, methods during uh, war and this sort of thing. So it's not purely defensive, Colby. No. 
I do not think it was purely defensive, right? So they're working on these types of things. Now here's testimony from the former chief of chemistry branch, technical services division, CIA, Gordon. And over here, Gordon's talking about, let me start from the beginning. <laughs> He's appearing uh, before the select committee freely and willingly to describe his involvement in a classified project called MK Naomi. He wished to stay at CIA employee, et cetera, et cetera. So this is like on the record. Now, I would like to see it outside of this book, this transcript from the church commission. Yeah. But uh, that's good, though. That's some very interesting information. Well, because there's like some Fort Detrick, there's some porting down information mm -hmm. that's relevant to this. And, um, you know, if if there is some history to this type of bio warfare research, you know, we should probably look into the history. Here's the first wet market story. They were trying to find the source. Was the West responsible in that article from which this was taken and put in this mm -hmm. book? So I presented uh, the second uh, episode of All Watched Over by Machines. And this is when you're in Florida. Uh, that was in Bill Hamilton, one of the one of the innovators of the selfish gene theory and popularizers of it. Um, Richard Dawkins, but he was him and um, Price that came up with it he that was he went down to the congo and in a war torn war torn congo he was convinced that hiv had come out of a lab and he was searching for it of course that's where matt somehow he gets he gets malaria and uh aspirin gets lodged in his gut and he has a hemorrhage and dies so he's essentially internal bleeding and dies which is very strange in and of its own right but nonetheless he was he was completely convinced um and uh, you know late Genetic analysis and all this stuff supposedly says it hasn't, but I don't know. It's I don't I haven't looked enough into the you know for and against the sort of that narrative, but it is an interesting. There is a sort of pathway to follow in regards to the polio vaccine and the simian virus or the the cell lines they were used from uh, monkeys and whatnot, and it's yeah and possible mutations that occurred between using those cell lines and the presence of the polio vaccine, so forth and so on. It's an interesting potential theory. I want to just get this in the record. I found this in the real Anthony Fauci book. The real Anthony Fauci. It's so, upstairs in my office still. Yeah, that book, on the other hand, it, it's one of the densest books I've ever read. And there's no margins to make notes in it. No. Because they're like, it'd be a thousand dense, page yeah. book. So they're like, the way to get it down to 444 pages is to cut out all the margins, RFK Jr. And, and that's good. Unless yeah. you're someone like me trying to write in the margins all the time, make notes on all this copious. Well, the other package. problem is the way they did the. I mean, I'll just I'll show this. I mean, I've done this before, but it's for people get a sense. Like, that's just like one of the you know the notes section. I can just page and page through. This is the reference section that's out of the diff like the four or five or six different sections of the book. So this is just on the AIDS, such as so there's one, one, two, three, four five pages in very tiny type of the references super tiny type and this is just for the eight section which is like this thick like fauci I mean, apparently had a lot to do with like AIDS. we were shit. just talking about with mk naomi that's so just much. coincidental though Too some of his references are a little dubious but a lot of them are actually very good so anyways this is one of the references he uses 
ancient viruses are buried in your DNA. So it must be some pathway by which viruses do become transcribed in your DNA. And this is from oh. the New York Times. It's behind a paywall and I don't have the means right now. And there are certain ways I can get around this. But oh, you have the means. You just choose not to give them your money. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to give them the money. That's for damn sure. No, there's another pathway that I won't that Senna told me about that you can like kind of get around, but I don't, I, I have to go back in our conversations and figure it out. I don't feel like doing it right now. So hey, like you go to this website that yeah, like preserves it. And then you, you type in that specific article. It's sort of like a way back machine for articles in a way. That's sort of what it does. And if it's available, then you can see it behind a paywall, but I forget the name and it's always constantly shifting from, you know, various ISPs in the Europe, especially like Eastern Europe, that's it's person who does it. It's it's sort of sketchy, but it works. And so I'm not going to go through that right now. But anyways, there's, there's a clip four above the intermission LD. I got it highlighted. Bankers want control of your digital IDs because I think that's going to fit in. It's going to be a good segue to the intermission, which has to do with these people who want electronic tags on all their livestock. And they're going to get it out there with one narrative or another. They're going to get it done. And then um, the other part of the intermission, these are both videos that are not recent. They're being shown to you so you can compare them to recent events. For instance, if you were back in 2018 and you watched this video, you would have thought, oh, there might be something going on, but you don't know what it is. Now, if you watch the 2018 video, you might see what all these world leaders wanted to get on the same page about right before this other thing kicked off, right? Instead of a, a war that leads to a pandemic, it's a pandemic that leads to a war. It's a situation they might have practiced for. And we can learn a lot by looking at what they've said prior to this event, because if it didn't come out of a wet market, that's a much more ominous answer. And there's a lot more digging that has to be done. But if it's wet market and we can go, you know, uh, do hobby time, <laughs> that's fine. But I haven't seen that evidence that explains away all these other inconvenient facts that show that these people who wanted it, made it, funded, it, made a plan to do it and did it, um, haven't been held to account yet. So let's play this, uh, this clip about they want control over your digital money, digital ID, and then let's go to... Um, We're going to go to intermission. Do you want to go directly? Yeah, go to if we do, I want to get something on the record. Then. What else do you want to get on the record for intermission? Um, not, not a clip, just this. So we covered this during the town hall, and this is actually something, shout out to James Jordan Phoenix, um, who did a deep dive into this on Liberty Radio last Monday. But this is VCI, and it's a voluntary coalition of public and private organizations committing to empowering individuals' access to a trustworthy and verifiable copy of their vaccination records in digital or paper form using open interoperable standards. So if we go to... Uh, where the fuck is it? Um, there's a... He showed me a... Uh, maybe it's under about issuers, maybe... There's a partnerships. It goes, oh, here are other organizations. Yeah. This Kaya. Yeah. I mean, if you get a sense of how many major UNC healthcare system, my VCU, how basically every university health system, major government university systems, or excuse me, government healthcare systems or healthcare organizations, I should say. Like the now, CDCIA. do you think they now, as there's entrepreneurs there's called one... around individually and said, "We have this business offering. Will you guys partner with us?" Or do you think this is more of a top-down? You're on everyone's list. Let's make this a thing. Thing. Just ladder. saying. That's a lot of a lot of a lot of affiliate relationships they built really fast. 
Yeah, you're telling me. Holy shit. Well, the fact that so, there was one in particular, though, that was basically like a RAND corporation, but specifically for digital ID rollout. I'm trying to remember which one. He's so like, is this below this Commons one. Pass or above the Commons Pass project? Is this a, a working group, know. another brand of Commons Pass under that infrastructure? Or are these people competing That's with the Rockefeller about. Foundation, the Ford Foundation, the inclusive capitalism gang, and all those people that are doing the New World Order track trace database in your skin, in your body forever type of thing, bracelet identifier? It's, it's for the smelt, smart health card framework. So if they're partnering with that's all pass, you had to say. They're card. with the smart people, the smart green well, technology mm-hmm. people. They're not the same people that have a new world order set up or transhumanism mm-hmm. or cybernetics or technocracy to take away your sovereignty. No, 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 no. No. All right. That. But anyways, we went into this for, I, and I forget the specific membership and partner that uh, that's worth checking out. We went into this in detail. It on, doesn't look very all, grassroots also, or organic to me. That's the point. No, no. Yeah. All right, more to be learned from that. So that ties in to this next video, which will tie into the next video, which will tie into the next video. And then after that, we'll come back after intermission. So we're going to see Jimmy Dore, and then we're seeing two clips from 2018, Aaron and Melissa Dykes, Truthstream, Bilderberg videos. One's on the pattern of who's meeting there. And then the other one was Estonia. How they've already had this whole digital citizen thing going on in a little incubator project over in Europe, right next to Ukraine and Belarus and these other countries Mm -hmm. that are in the news. And the great reset would be to get everybody on that Estonia social credit system. Like they're doing it Russia right now. Like they're doing it real time. So now let's other systems like Australia has pretty much adopted their uh, variation of the Chinese system and Canada as well. People world economic forum countries, bro. They yeah. don't have firearms. Yeah. Quickly adopt those uh, national socialist ways of class. My dad, what did my dad call me? Called these countries franchise, like they're franchisees. They are of the crown. Yeah, my they dear, are. Starting There's to get 54 it. Commonwealth countries. Look up Commonwealth yeah. countries. I know, that they made the up. At the, yeah. It's the Third British Empire of Alfred Zimmer, and it's called the, the Commonwealth of Remember Nations. The map There's 54 places week? with the queen on the money. Yeah. When King Charles becomes king, they're going to have to reprint all the money with his mug on it now. Oh, geez. Oh, if anything, it'll be maybe like a digital representation. So like yeah. instead of like the Bitcoin or the B, as it's yeah. like sort of. They'll do it as a C. There you go. All right. So let's go to Jimmy Dore. And it's not digital Cummings. IDs, money. And then let's take a peek back into the uh, time machine, a little flashback and see what was going on right before the big COVID and this uh, World War III okay. type situation. So just for LD knows that we're doing yeah. Jimmy Dore, then the two clips, and then, we're, then we'll come back from intermission. Boom, skis. Okay, good. Right on. I'm North American comedian Kurt Metzger, and we're talking about the global ID system. Now, we've done other videos about this. Uh, today, I came across this video. This is from Canada. Eh? This is a guy who's the like this. He's the CEO of the Canadian Banking Organization. Eh? And uh, what's that about? And uh, by the way, we'll see you in Houston and Dallas and Des Moines. And Omaha and Kansas City and uh, Orlando and Tampa. We're coming to do stand-up comedy in all those places. Go to jimmydorkcomedy.com for a link for tickets. So let's watch this guy talk about the beauty of digital ID. And it almost seems like 
uh, they wanted to use COVID to implement this thing that they've been wanting to implement for a while. So here we go. Weston. Canada is on the cusp of a revolutionary innovation that will transform the way Canadians authenticate themselves online and protect their identity. So it makes it sound exciting. Canada's on the cusp <laughs> of this new freaking thing that we're going to do that's going to make everything great. And it's going to protect your identity. Really? I think it's going to do the opposite. Let's watch. Canada is on the cusp of a revolutionary innovation revolutionary. that will transform the way Canadians authenticate themselves online and protect their identity. Digital ID. Digital ID. All of us are living in a digital world, but we're tethered to an analog model of how we identify ourselves. Memorizing countless online passwords, carrying oh. government-issued licenses, plastic cards, carrying those licenses. Oh my God! I, I have to Who's carry got the time. Who's got? <laughs> where do I put all these? Where do I put my license? Oh, what, would I get a purse? And I put my license in the purse. This what is about like an infomercial? What oh about, no! <laughs> <like dropping> the, <laughs> the guy shaving. Ow! That's what this is. Uh, you know what? You don't want to have all those papers everywhere. Got to have your birth certificate and your passport and your I, your driver's license on a credit card. Oh my God! Your vaccine passport. It's such a headache. We put it all on one thing, and then someone who looks like me controls it. Okay, here we go. Digital ID is a way for Canadians to identify themselves to government, businesses, and each other electronically oh, with good. ease and rock-solid security without the need to... Rock with solid. ease and rock-solid... <laughs> well, you know what's funny is I can go on YouTube and pick up videos of people cracking rocks open all day long. I've been watching my thing lately is to watch guys split boulders. They do it. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. They put tick, 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 tick. They hammer it in and it just splits. So this idea that something's rock solid security, you know, that's bullshit. Then physical documents, one interconnected network, a federated digital ID ecosystem developed in collaboration. Uh, listen to that. Listen to that verbiage. Impressive. A federated digital ID ecosystem. It's federated. It's a digital ID ecosystem. Don't you want to be part of the federated digital ID ecosystem, Kurt? You don't want to be part of that? It's federated. It, <laughs> and it's it's an ecosystem. Or do you say ecosystem? We'll I, track you wherever you go, no matter where you hide. No ma <laughs> like, and if you're a trucker, we'll shut down your bank account in seconds. I think you do everyone's account. That's what they're doing. That's what this is. This is we're going to be able to frickin track you and control you and shut you down and make you a non-person. Watch this. With Canada's best and brightest talent from our banks, telecommunication companies, law. They got their, their you know, who's working on this. He just said their best and brightest talent from banks. Great. From banks, from banks. You mean the global behemoth that squashes the workers and the poor and funnels wealth upwards you mean the you mean the banks that have created the biggest income disparity since the time of the pharaohs <laughs> you mean those banks oh thank god some of those bright people who have created this fucking capitalistic hellscape here on earth are on it thank god you got those people from the banks <laughs> okay at least get the fauci labs people in on it mm -hmm. not that <laughs> at least get that level of quality from the banks, telecommunications companies, law enforcement, 
and government. Those are, can I say, those are one, two, three, four. Those are five groups of people. I don't want anywhere fucking near me. How about that? Hey, it's banks, cops, and Verizon are going to yes, do this. Yes, <laughs> the, the good people. Enforcement and government. It would have the power and security to store every Canadian's electronic identity and attributes. And attributes. And it would unlock countless opportunities for... What do you mean, at, at, it's going to get my identity and my attributes? Is it going to say things like strong jaw, bedroom eyes? <laughs> what is it? What is my attributes? Your good Wait, sense, is that facial recognition, good sense of humor. Yes, this is a face, right? Facial rec. Here we go. Canadians to verify who they are safely, quickly, and securely, while only revealing the information necessary for each transaction. I'm sure that's what's going to happen. You'll. Oh, it's so safe. There'll never be a data breach. There'll never be a nefarious fuck inside government. There'll never be a corporation or a banker. This is all about control. A fast, easy, and secure way to bank, sign up for government services, renew driver's licenses or health cards, shop, travel, and more. Oh, Canada's man. banks are perfectly situated to help lead the creation of a federated digital ID system. Oh, they're perfectly situated. So, God, again, no one's scared to death of this shit. This is crazy. That wow. they that this is this is really and after they just did all that stuff to the truckers and the people who were helping them, they shut down their bank accounts. I don't even know if they've reopened them. I, I really this is uh, like the, went, it's like they can put you on a no fly list now like that. Go ahead. Kurt. Yeah, when I went to China, I can't, I mean, every when I was there it was 2016, I was like, this is the future of everything. Like it was all polluted. They had this this setup where you people <laughs> you could just be barred from things random. They have that whole social credit. All these guys, these things talk about how much they admire that system. Look at how much control they have over everything. This is all, and this is all coming out of the uh, um, WEF, the World Economic Forum. They're big. They love it. They always have. Uh, yes. Thing there. Yep. And uh, they talk about the Great Reset. And anyway, let's get back to this. Between government and the private sector, the World Economic Forum agrees that banks and financial institutions should lead the path forward for digital ID. The, the World Economic Forum. They agree. Oh, good. They agree that banks should take the lead on this. Banks are the good people. I wasn't you know, on board until I heard that. Oh, until I heard that. Uh, Klaus Schwab. Is Klaus Schwab and the, and the fucking psychopathic murderers from Jeffrey Epstein's island. Uh, they're on board with this. Oh, they're you okay can, with it? Okay. We penetrate your identity. Yeah. <laughs> he says that like that's a selling point. The World yeah. Economic Forum agrees that the people who should do this is us. Bankers. Look at his face. I know. That's right. We're the good people. I guess that says it all. <laughs> Banks are highly regulated and trusted. Banks are highly what? regulated and, and trusted. trusted. Now, maybe in Canada, eh, they're like more regulated. I think they might be more regulated, eh, than in the United States because we repealed Glass-Steagall, eh? I don't think they did that. I think they have their own version of that in Canada, eh? which mm -hmm. is why they didn't have such a, such a bad... Uh, uh, economic downturn when we had ours in 2008-9. Uh, I think that's what that's about. But here we go. They have advanced cybersecurity and privacy technology. And they have the infrastructure to operate provincially and nationally. Banks are also at the forefront of working with fintech startups who are bringing revolutionary mobile and online products and services to Canadians. Digital ID can help consumers navigate between these apps and programs 
with trust and confidence. Yes, trust. Knowing their ID is protected at all times. All times. A federated digital ID approach can also significantly reduce fraud, oh. save taxpayer money, improve regulatory compliance. I mean, look at all this. It's, it's going to keep you from fraud. It's going to keep your ID protected. It's going to keep you from regulatory compliance. It makes it easier to do business. Easier to do business. You know how hard it is to do business. <laughs> I want more ease in my business. And make it easier so to do business as an owner and as a consumer. In fact, the Canadian Bankers Association just launched a white paper with our recommendations on how to move forward with a federated digital ID framework. I encourage you to read it to learn more. He, the guy, he holds his chin up a lot like um, Mussolini when he talks. Yeah, that's right. He, he ends every sentence like... Mm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Watch. Let me let me turn off the sound. Turn off the sound on this Canada guy. Is on the cusp. And watch when he, he ends every sentence. There you go. See, look at that. Yeah. You're not. Hmm. There it is. There. No, we're gonna get it here. Right. We're gonna go get a close up. Yeah. Oh, he did it, and I missed it. His chin is up. Oh, there it was, and I missed it. <laughs> I'm going to get it. There it is. There, that's his little El Duce. There it is. It looks like that picture of the baby with the fist up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So get ready for it, Canada. And here is Klaus Schwab talking about uh, how, they, how they are. The World Economic Forum is, is infiltrating the cabinets of all the governments around the world. We'll see you March 20th and 24th in say, Houston and uh, Dallas. Um, <laughs> when I mention our names, like Mrs. Merkel, um, even uh, Vladimir Putin and so on, they all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. But um, what we are very proud of now is the young generation, like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, president of, of uh, Argentina and so on, said we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau, and I would know that half of this cabinet, or even more half of, uh, half of this cabinet, are for our actually young global leaders of the world economy. And that's true in Argentina, too. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. That's true in Argentina as well. It's true in Argentina, and uh, it's true in France now. Mm -hmm. I'm here with the president, with a young global leader, but... So, that's the World Economic Forum, and now you know who I was really running things. Who, who's the guy interviewing? Was that the guy from McNeil Lair? That's David that Gergen. That? Oh, Gergen, from Gergen and Shields. That's yeah, right. right. So, you know, he's a guy, Gadeba Gergen, who spent his whole life being wrong about everything. And, of course, he gets promoted because he does the propaganda for the people who are paying him. Well, and, do you remember he was the Republican guy of, on NBA, yeah. of Gergen and Shields, and then he went to work for Clinton? Yeah. He's like, it's my duty to become yeah. from neocon to neolib. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there they are admitting it. There they are admitting that we've infiltrated the cabinets in France and Germany, Argentina, the, uh, us. Uh, Canada, eh? and everywhere else. Putin. They even said Putin. So, uh, and then of course here is the. Uh, hey, I don't. I don't have to show this to you. I showed it before. And here he is advocating for a digital ID. We create the digital ID today that is 
much more easily protected. So you can deal with a lot of the privacy and surveillance issues that worry people. Yeah. Yeah, we got it all figured out now. The, all those privacy and privacy. Yeah, except for one privacy issue. I can think of one major one. That I, it's not really. Uh... The privacy. So there it is, Canada aid. That's quite a creepy thing from the bank. The bankers are the ones leading the. Ah, who, if you can't trust the banks, who can you trust? I mean, could they any more try to fit into like a crazy born again idea of the future of like. Oh, no one shall trade without the mark of the beast. <laughs> like that's, that's what this is. It sounds like something you'd hear in a like, oh, my God. That's what this is. So I've been going over the Bilderberg notes, including the meeting list for the past several days now. I cover it every year and I have since 2006. So that's 12 years now. And I've never seen a Bilderberg meeting quite like this one. This is probably going to prove to be unprecedented. Certainly, I haven't seen a meeting like it anytime recently in the past several decades. A huge convergence of very high officials and clearly an agenda which <laughs> is either a push for war or the build-up to something very big on the geopolitical stage. And the thing is... There's just not that many independent reporters who are left that are going to actually tell you that. And what I'm seeing this year is actually a total downplaying of Bilderberg. And when they are reporting on it, they're focusing on the populism angle because there's three tracks that are going on at this Bilderberg. And one track has to do with quantum computing, artificial intelligence and tech. The other track has to do with populism, the economy, and a world where work is going to be supplanted by technology. Those two things are there. But the third thing has to do specifically with Russia as a topic, Saudi Arabia and Iran as a topic together, and then U.S. world leadership. Okay? But that's not the only thing that's going on. In something that, and I went back and looked, you guys, I went back and looked every year back down through the late 90s, and I have not seen this happened before. So it may have happened before, but it hasn't happened in at least, at least the last 20 years. This year's Bilderberg meeting, which is being held June 7th through 10th in Turin, Italy, also happens to fall on both days of the G7. That's the group of seven meeting that brings together the leaders of Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the UK, and the United States, with both the president of the European Commission and the president of the European Council, both of the European Union, all together in the same room. Both days of that, but also it's going to fall on both days of a NATO defense ministers meeting. So in other words, what I'm saying is for one day, the meetings of Bilderberg, the NATO defense ministers, and the G7 will all be on the same exact day. Something that has not happened in at least two decades. And for the record, I stopped looking after two decades, so it could be even longer. But not only that, okay, but this particular NATO defense minister's meeting, which will be June 7th and 8th, the first two days of Bilderberg, being held in Brussels, by the way, an hour and a half flight away from where the Bilderberg group is meeting, is also supposed to be focused on Russia. In addition to a brand new announcement that NATO is set to unveil a new plan to reinforce their presence in Europe in the event of any crisis, with the deployment of 30 troop battalions, 30 squadrons of aircraft, 
and 30 warships within 30 days after this meeting. And the NATO meeting is going to be chaired by NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg. Or is that Yen Stoltenberg? I'm probably saying it wrong. Who is also on the Bilderberg attendees list. So in other words, it's basically as if the NATO defense ministers, all of them, will also be attending Bilderberg because the guy chairing their meeting is going to go from there to Bilderberg. And really the same could be said for the G7 meeting, because how hard is it to make a conference call? And what I'm telling you is, that is the first time that that has happened in at least 20 years. But this is unprecedented that this is happening. Not to mention, as Aaron looked into it, how many high-level governments are being represented at this year's Bilderberg. There's usually a lot of government people, that's absolutely true. But this is pervasive. This is most of Europe. And straight away, there's never been a Bilderberg meeting on record with a high-level official or anyone from the Vatican, who are, of course, their own independent government, politically, economically, everything, its own entity. And they have the Secretary of State for the Vatican, Pietro Piolin, in attendance to deliver or receive a message. They are in high communication. And the Vatican is involved, of course, in all kinds of world affairs, but never before directly involved with anything to do with Bilderberg itself. Not true this year. So that's one of the heads of state. You got Turkey's Deputy Prime Minister, Mehmet Simsek, who's next door to everything happening in the Middle East and working closely with the Western partners. And then you've got most of the rest of Western Europe represented with the foremost spy chief of France, as well as its Minister of Armed Forces. He's in attendance. You've got the current Prime Ministers of Estonia, the little state next to Russia. Estonia. F is for friends who do stuff together. U is for you and me. N is for anywhere and anytime at all. Serbia, the former Yugoslavian state in the Balkans. You've got the Prime Minister of Belgium and the Netherlands in attendance. They've both been there multiple times in recent years. Additionally, You've got a former Prime Minister of France. You've got the Deputy Prime Minister to Spain. You've got the General Secretary of the Office of the President of Austria. So you've got the top aide to the President of Austria. You've got Germany's Federal Minister of Defense. And then you also have a diplomat named Wolfgang Eichinger, who's been leading the Munich Security Conferences since 2008 that deals especially with terrorism and uh, security concerns throughout Europe, and they bring people together from each of the countries. On top of that, you've got Great Britain, who of course always have many powerful officials. Their ex-spy chief, former MI6 chief John Sowers is there, and former Secretary of State Amber Rudd is also in attendance. Then you have Poland's former foreign affairs and defense minister, Radislaw Sikorski, who is not only now on the Bilderberg conference, but he's married to another Bilderberg attendee, the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, Anne Applebaum, who happens to have written about Russian gulags and writes quite a bit of negative press about Russia. And this guy, being from Poland, uh, encircling Russia and Far East Europe, uh, very much an agitator of all things anti-Russia. His wife, Ann Applebaum, has not only been a prolific writer in many of the prominent papers, but she's been leading think tanks and special forums dealing with regime change and revolution, the use of 21st century propaganda, and the use of disinformation. That is what they specialize in. So very, very cute couple, very interesting people there. 
And of course, the king of the Netherlands is also there, King Willem Alexander. He's the grandson of Prince Bernhard, who was the founding chairman of the group and the son of Queen Beatrix, who took his place and she attended for many years. Well, not only that, so you basically have a former MI6 chief there. The former head of France's version of the CIA is going to be there. We also have former CIA directors for the U.S. going to be there. We have Henry Kissinger there. I mean... I guess what we're saying is, if you wanted to start a war, I'm not really sure who else you would invite to it, but all of the people that are going to Bilderberg, the G7, and this NATO defense minister's meeting that's, again, unprecedented that it's that all three of these meetings are sharing a, a common day. They might as well be sharing a common room. This is all these people being together in the same room on the same day anywhere has not happened And if you look around at the things that are actually going on today, and then you look at the fact that they not only put Russia on the list of topics, but Saudi Arabia and Iran together as one topic, it's pretty disheartening, okay? The anti-Iran rhetoric has been ratcheting up ever since pro-Israel Bush-era war hawk John Bolton took over as Trump's national security advisor. Now I'm going to go through some of these things because you guys need to see this for the bigger picture, okay? He came in on April 9th. That same day, Israel, in continuing its shadow war against Iran in Syria, did a pre-dawn airstrike that killed four Iranian military advisors. And they've conducted more airstrikes on major Iranian targets in Syria. On April 30th, there was one where they killed 26 people, and it was reported at least 18 of them were Iranians. So Israel is involved in what they're calling a shadow war against Iran in Syria right now. And they've been doing all these strikes, but they never confirm or deny the strikes. They don't confirm that it was them that did it, right? But all of a sudden, back on March 21st, right before John Bolton came in, Israel came out in a rare admission that they claim they struck a Syrian nuclear facility back in 2007. So 11 years after the fact, now all of a sudden, right before Bolton comes in, Israel is admitting that they struck a Syrian nuclear facility and they're coming out to admit it now, 11 years later, because they say it's a warning to Iran today. And as for John Bolton, you might also remember him from the fact that in 2015, he wrote an op-ed for the New York Times titled, To Stop Iran's Bomb, Bomb Iran. Okay, And in that op-ed, he was advocating for a unilateral preemptive strike on Iran, just out of the box. Don't even declare war. He said the United States could do a thorough job of destruction, but Israel alone can do what's necessary. Such action should be combined with vigorous American support for Iran's opposition aimed at regime change in Tehran. But it's not over because speaking of regime change, then on May 8th, just a few weeks ago, Trump dumped the Iran deal, which was not backed in the international community by any other countries but but Saudi Arabia and Israel. But they've come out and said the Iran deal isn't even the problem. The problem that they have is the Iranian regime, which is timely because two days after Trump dumped the Iran deal on May 10th, the Washington Free Beacon was reporting that national security officials in the White House were were circulating a three-page white paper authored by a John Bolton-connected national security think tank called Security Studies Group that was openly discussing the new plan for regime change in Iran, something that Bolton also trumpeted in that op-ed back from 2015. 
you had several sources in the White House being quoted by the Beacon, unnamed sources, whatever. They always like to do that. But one of them reportedly said that Team Bolton has spent years creating plans B, C, and D for dealing with the Iranian regime and that President Trump hired him knowing that. And that the administration will now start aggressively moving to deal with the root cause of chaos and violence in the region, which they have stated is the Iranian regime, not the Iran deal, in a clear-eyed way. And another source said that, quote, nothing's off the table right now if Israel is attacked. If Iran were to restart its nuclear weapons program, do you believe the president can order a unilateral attack to stop that program? And if so, under what authority? Senator, I'd, I'd prefer not to talk about a hypothetical case like that. General Mad Dog Mattis, who was on no one's radar, he was just some general in our armed forces, high-level albeit, happened to attend Bilderberg in 2015 when he was out of office, just ahead of being selected as Trump's Secretary of Defense. So if we are facing a war, General Mad Dog Mattis is in charge, and he is a Bilderberg veteran. Does the United States have a policy of regime change for Iran? And if so, what actions does the president intend to take to implement that policy? Uh, Senator, uh, as you know, our... our uh our problem with Iran is not with the Iranian people. It is with uh, the regime that holds them uh, captive, basically, to the activities they've conducted. But I would let uh, Mr. Bolton and uh, Mr. Giolani speak for themselves, sir. I'd, I'd, I'd prefer not to comment on that. The right policy for Iran, for every good, decent government in the world, is regime change. Regime change. You. Regime change. Regime change. Absolutely. Let him hear it. You saw John Bolton. You remember John Bolton. He's going to be President Trump's national security advisor. You think he changed his mind? No. In fact, if anything, John Bolton has become more determined that, that, that there needs to be regime change in Iran. This policy review to understand what we want the outcome to be and what in the United States many of us are working toward. I have said for over 10 years since coming to these events that the declared policy of the United States of America should be the overthrow of the Mullah's regime in Tehran. The behavior and the objectives of the regime are not I going to change, and therefore the only solution. People get the point of the regime change, <laughs> and uh, all those people getting together might have pointed toward what's going on in the past two years. But let's go to the Estonia uh, clip for the intermission, also from Truthstream, also from 2018, I believe. Uh, and you're also going to see nice link up philosophically cybernetically with this digital id concept we've been talking about thanks ld we've talked about this with you guys in previous videos we've done on smart cities such as magdar and other projects and the future they're talking about no there will be literally no privacy you will have a digital footprint follow you everywhere you go your digital doppelganger will become a part of you that follows you everywhere you will have sensors in your trash that 
that basically can tell whether or not you recycled. I mean, these are the kinds of things they're talking about. It's a little mind-blowing once you start looking into it. It's a lot more than just having Alexa units, you know, turn your lights off and on and make sure you're not using too much air conditioning. It, it's a world where your every step in physical reality will have a digital trace on it. And on the other side of that is the little country of Estonia, the Baltic country on the far eastern side of Eastern Europe, right on the Russian border. The forgettable little country with 1.3 million people. Well, its Prime Minister Yuri Ratas is in attendance this year at Bilderberg. And it's not just because there are unprecedented NATO exercises taking place on the Russian border, specifically in the Baltic countries of Estonia, Lithuania, and Latvia. It's not just because of that or because of the troop surge that is going on there on the 100th year anniversary of their original independence. It's also because Estonia is actually about to become better known as Estonia. It is a live experiment with a small country population and complete participation. An experiment, a live social experiment about how we're going to live next. They are doing it. Your digital life is about to become inseparable from your actual physical life. Uh, it's actually a plastic card that has my unique identification number on it and also chip. Key to it all? One card. It's a digital ID with encrypted files used together with a PIN code. 94% of Estonians have a digital ID like this one. They have already tied their mandatory national ID card not only to your personal ID and your national ID number, but to the encryption keys that protect that identity online and to all your transactions and records for banking and healthcare. And it's also going to institute voting through e-voting and all your transactions with the government and further is allowing for the legal signing of contracts online through this card. and they're even trying to regulate the authentication of online comments using this true identity card. And so you will have what is called an EID, and they've already rolled this out in several EU states. Belgium's got one, but no one has taken it to the level of Estonia, and you'll see it right there. You'll notice that chip. They're getting all of us used to having this chip right now. They put it in all of everyone's bank cards. They've switched every everybody over in North America to the chip system, and that's part of the transition into having this national identity card that's really just going to be your only card for everything. They have linked everything together in one place. They said in Estonia, it takes the average person three minutes to do their income taxes because they've already got all of their banking information all linked up with all of their government information, with everything else. Everything is linked in one place and it is tied to you and all of your interactions with your government and with everything that you do online will all be from this one card. Your medical records, all of it. Prescription, everything. And so I didn't even know that much about, I, I will be honest, I did not know that much about Estonia until we saw them on the Bilderberg list because I didn't recognize them as having gone in previous past years. And, but I had no idea that Estonia is now being considered the Silicon Valley of Europe, period. It's 
been called the most advanced digital society since they declared that internet access is a human right back in 2000. And the whole place was built up as this centralized data, digital smart grid type of society after the fall of the USSR. So you have basically what's called e-residency in Estonia and you are under e-governance. They have an e-cabinet. I mean, the whole thing, it is all, it's this digital interaction thing that happens. Everything you do online must be authenticated this way. There's no anonymity on the internet in Estonia. There's no privacy or anonymity at all. You have none. You have zero. There won't, there won't be any, okay? Because everything that everyone does online is logged and tracked through this card. And I've read a bunch of articles about this and I've heard a couple of the officials in the Estonian government claim that this card isn't necessary to live in this society, but all of the articles I've read, and even Wikipedia has used the word mandatory several times, that this card is mandatory. In fact, 98% of Estonians have this card, and I'm going to go ahead and guess the other 2% are probably, what, elderly holdouts and babies? They probably give every <laughs> baby one. Maybe every single baby that comes out of the womb is signing digital. Good. I don't know. So they were saying at first people in Estonia didn't want this card, and they thought it was a huge waste to public funds and they were calling them ice scrapers and they were using them to defrost their windshields when they first came in in 2002 but five to six years later life in Estonia without the e-identity card and that's what it's called it's called an EID life in Estonia without your e-identity card is unimaginable you pretty much have to have it and one of the ways they won over the public with it is because they have so many functionalities it makes everything so easy and it makes everybody want to have it but at the same time, they also admit that they changed the entire legislative environment in Estonia around these IDs, and they can do all kinds of things with them that you can't do in other countries. One of the examples they give here is the fact that all of people's health data, because that's all tied in, literally everything, your prescriptions, your entire medical record, it's all tied in, is being used for statistics and research without the patient's explicit consent, because once you have this card, everything on it, that's how it works. This isn't just going to be limited to Estonia. They've already got cards like this in other EU countries. And France has already said they're going to reach the Estonian level of e-governance by 2022. And as you know, France has been having a ridiculous number of terror attacks. And I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that those terror attacks are helping them to lay the laws and infrastructure behind bringing this about and putting people onto this system, you know, for their own safety. And so you have everything, all of your data centralized in one place. They have even attempted to make it to where your comments that people in Estonia leave on news outlets will be linked to that card, but people got angry, so I think they had to roll that back a little, but basically they want to make it so there is no anonymity online whatsoever. And on top of that, they also have something called the Estonian Genome Center, otherwise known as the Estonian Biobank. So if all that wasn't enough with the ID card, Estonia is also collecting the DNA of its citizens. And this is a voluntary program at this stage, but they've got people in their population who are already doing this, and you're signing over the rights and ownership to your DNA sample to the government. 
and they actually say this in the gene donor consent form, it says the right of ownership of the tissue sample and the description of the state of health and other personal data and genealogy shall be transferred to the University of Tartu and the Estonian Gene Project. And then they mention ownership again in the agreement and say that the University of Tartu in turn gives ownership to the Republic of Estonia itself through the Human Genes Research Act. So they're literally using their entire population as part of a social engineering experiment. And they will own your genetic data. They will own those people's genetic data. Whoever signs that thing, they then own it. And they're talking about how they're going to use it for research inside of Estonia and sell or give it to research centers around the world. But they're going to give something back to this country, which again only has 1.3 million people. They're going to give them data about their genetic profile file and they're going to have information just like from 23andMe and other private Which companies. Which they've been really trying to sell to everyone lately. Haven't you seen the ads for that? They're everywhere. And just like that, they're going to get all their genealogy and the interesting information about their particular DNA and everything. So it's going to be fun and interactive, but they are literally experimenting on their own citizens and collecting this data, and they're going to do a population-wide study. And because so many people in this country are participating, it's going to be a really key data set. All this person personal, financial, socioeconomic, and online data merging with healthcare records and your very DNA, they're going to be able to look at that all as one data set for a known population of people. So it's basically like having a digital copy of everyone who lives there. They even have something they call the e-police. For public safety, police has these registers available in the car. They're online, they're up to date, and they can check your license plate to see if there is any good reason to stop you. Or you can just go on, you have your insurance in place, you have the mandatory checks in place, and the driving license is still valid. That's right, it's the e-police, because they have e-court, e-law, it's all e, it's e-everything. So, as this thing is all totally interconnected, basically all of your information in your card automatically syncs up to a mobile workstation installed in every patrol car. And so they immediately have all of your information, every single thing, not just your address, not just your photograph and telephone number and driver's license data, all of your vehicles, all your owner and user information, all your technical inspection information, but also whether or not you own any registered weapons. They have everything about you databased in one area that automatically is fed into the police system when you call the e-police for the, I guess, e-crime that was e-committed e on you. They're linking your digital resident, your avatar, your surrogate, your sim. They're linking that to the actual physical person. What is that really? What are we really talking about here? It's a digital matrix overlay that will be the medium between people and reality. It will effectively blend the digital matrix of the internet with reality there's not gonna be any separation anymore. Everything that you do will be tracked and traced through this card. They're even putting train tickets on there. I mean, everything. So they'll even know what you bought for breakfast and where you went afterwards. I mean, it, it will all be trackable and traceable and linked to you, but that's not even the end of it either. Estonia itself has now launched e-residency, which is the first digital nation. It is a card that anyone anywhere in the world can apply to become 
an e-resident in their e-nation and you get a similar card, it won't work for you the same as it works for Estonian residents from what I read. You won't be considered a physical resident of Estonia, but you will be considered an e-resident, which they're saying offers a digital world for world citizens and gives them a digital government and it authenticates you online and you can start a company out of Estonia. They were really promoting this after Brexit for people that wanted their companies remain within the EU. They could become e-residents of Estonia. And the symbolism in the video for this is completely undeniably biblical in nature. Our new digital world knows no borders. And great business ideas are no longer limited by where you work or live. E-Estonia is a digital nation for global citizens. For those who've thrown off the shackles of national boundaries. Literally anyone in the world can apply. E-residency is legitimate and transparent. A government-issued digital identity that gives you the freedom to run a global EU company online from anywhere in the world. Establish a company within a day. Access business banking. Use international payment providers. Digitally sign documents and contracts. And declare Estonian taxes online. We're Estonia. Tech is our expertise. And through e-residency, we are empowering entrepreneurs everywhere. No matter where you were born, no matter what passport you carry, you can apply. Use e-residency to run your business from anywhere in the world. Unleash your entrepreneurial potential. Because no business should be bound by physical borders. Apply for e-residency today and join our new digital nation. e-resident.gov.ee You have this card, this chip card, which you will get. If you want to become an e-resident, you apply online. It doesn't tell you this. I had, to, I had to go through several sets of documents to even find it. But after you apply online, what you end up having to do is go to a consulate or go to Estonia to pick up your card. You have to verify your identity. You have to identify yourself. You have to give them your fingerprints. And then you can have your very own chip card EID and become an e-resident world citizen of the first e-government. And at the end of the video, they show this card turn into a seven-pointed star. Anybody who watched our Secret Societies video will easily recognize the seven-pointed star and the people who are all about that. I'm going to test you um, numerology skills by asking you to think about the magic seven. Most of you will know that seven is quite a number in all sorts of themes, religions, the seven-pointed star shoots up into the sky, creating what looks for a little while like a pyramid with an eye on top that is this star, and then breaks through, I don't know, you you look at it for yourself. I mean, the, <laughs> the symbolism is over the top, is what I'm trying to say. And it is biblical in every way, and it doesn't matter. I'm not trying to get religious on you. I'm just saying what the people who are running everything believe. And they are creating one globally interconnected world of world citizens. You will have a digital avatar. E-Estonia is a digital nation for global citizens. And as they've tried to promote this e-residency as a new kind of 
domain of Estonia, Estonia, they said this is going to be really strategic in two specific ways. First, to counter Russia, because uh, countries in particular like Ukraine and Belarus really have no other alternative but to register their businesses in Russia. If they don't get along with that, they don't have any alternatives other than now they can become e-residents of Estonia and they can become basically EU businesses even though their countries aren't officially part of the EU. And the other way it'll be strategic, they say, is to counter Brexit, but they're saying that UK businesses and all the fancy London banks, they can still be part of the EU by getting e-residency, and therefore there's a jurisdictional legal loophole to being London, England-based businesses. They can operate as EU businesses without a whole lot of extra paperwork. And at the time of Bilderberg, Yuri Ratas and Estonia made the news once again because the European Central Bank was telling them that they couldn't create a national cryptocurrency and that they must use the euro as members of the EU. And the members of the Estonian government shot back and said, we were never actually planning to do that. We're talking about creating an Estonian cryptocurrency, not for a physical realm in Europe, but for the online e-residency system that people can use use S-Coin, Bitcoin-like cryptocurrencies to go back and forth in the realm of their digital citizenship and digital businesses. And so as this e-digital overlay is happening based out of Tallinn, Estonia, they've got a big deal going on right now for infrastructure. They've got a 5.8 billion euro project to build a new train line from Warsaw, Poland, all the way up through the Baltic states to Tallinn, Estonia. And then they have a second phase project to build an underwater tunnel through the Baltic Sea over to Helsinki, Finland, and truly connect it all with super fast rail in a manner befitting a 21st century technological hub for all of Europe. So while they're doing that, they're they're laying the physical groundwork for a truly interconnected world physically. They're also laying the groundwork for a completely digitally interconnected world, which is really what all of these major companies are doing and all of the ones that go to Bilderberg are behind and have been since World War II. This is the peaceful, utopian future world that they decided we all needed starting back then. This has been the plan for an awfully long time, and this is what Bilderberg has been working towards for an awfully long time. If you go back and look at some of the documents that have been released from different Bilderberg meetings, I mean, you can go back even into the 60s and see that they're talking about technology gap and how important technology is to their whole greater thing. And I didn't realize this at all until we started really looking into it, but this whole experiment that's happening in Estonia right now, I didn't realize this until we started looking into it, but that was built in from the ground up after the fall of the USSR is when they came in and decided we're going to build this place as this technological smart grid country from the ground up. And so at Bilderberg 2018 this year, along with Yuri Ratas from Estonia, is someone from his neighboring country, Latvia, as well, also unprecedented for the meeting. And it's a figure from the rail system. It's an exec- the CEO of the RB rail system, Baiba Rabusa, who's been in the news talking about how this infrastructure plan is in danger of failing, in part because of Brexit and an uncertainty about financing this huge, expensive project that they desperately need to get through because of all the important things happening in Estonia. 
there's a really interesting history to all that. Now, this is Estonia, the country that started Skype, which was originally going to be called Sky Peer-to-Peer. -peer. Going back to the 50s and 60s, the Soviets set up a very important center for the Institute of Cybernetics in Estonia. So that was located in Estonia after the fall of the Soviet Union. They linked up with uh, Helsinki and Finland, and they sparked a computer revolution that affected all of Europe and indeed the world, all based in little tiny Estonia. And this year just so happens to be the 100th year mark of their original independence back in 1918 for Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, all of them. And the United States is celebrating and making special statements for them. NATO is not only running these unprecedented exercises, but they in the European Union are having special ceremonies for Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. Trump has issued a statement about the great friends that we have there. And the King of Netherlands, who was in attendance at Bilderberg, at least until his sister-in-law committed suicide and he suddenly flew to Argentina for a funeral, uh, well, he's still continuing his state visit to Latvia, even though his wife is mourning the death of her sister. He's going on to this... Didn't she die during Bilderberg? She during, supposedly committed yeah. suicide. At age, at age 33. He's going on... To at his, age 33? He's moving on, in spite of the family tragedy, to his important state visit to Latvia and Estonia and Lithuania, all three of them, an important event. And they're also sending the Austrian president, Alexander Van Bellen, who's secretary general, is also in attendance at the Bilderberg meeting this year. And the Austrian president is going to speak at the special Tallinn Estonia Next Hundred Years Conference, along with General David Petraeus, who is also at Bilderberg. And so there's a big Bilderberg-NATO alliance special ceremony going on in Estonia and the neighboring countries right now because of this very deep history of technology and computing in Estonia and very much because of the digital new future they're testing out and actually have already implemented in Estonia. They're not only talking about what they would like to build in the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years right, go ahead, in these pull smart it. cities as they're doing in Neo. That's what I said to them. All right, go ahead and let's pull it. All right, so uh, you get the gist. That is like the event 201 for the Great Reset. They're like, let's have a little model. Let's have an open-air experiment. Let's hype it up. Uh, luckily, like when the Bilderberg people were like, uh, shaking hands, pressing the flesh with all those Baltic states, Lithuania, Estonia, I'm glad none of those places have anything to do with the NATO Ukraine situation going on today. Like you could tell they're buttering up the places that are like, Hey, we're going to have to get rough here soon. So party on, enjoy your time in the spotlight. Cause now, uh, there's major moves being taken over there. The other thing I thought of was. There was that woman from Ukraine. She was like in the government and she was talking about the new world order. MP. Uh, um, I forget her name, but we had her, her earlier on the show. Yeah. Is she on the side that uh, benefited from that coup in 2014? Because there was another dude who wrote about new world order who also performed a coup in Ukraine in 2014. His name is George Soros. Mm -hmm. He wrote this uh, toward a new world order, America or NATO and the future of Europe. So he had a plan for Europe. It had to do with a new world order. And then he's seen with Jeffrey Pyatt and a coup and the thing in Ukraine. And she's yes, talking about new world order. Front and he aided the Nazis right? when he was a kid. And he's aiding the Nazis kind of now. Yeah. 
Right. That's the, yeah, yeah, the 2014 coup essentially helped to establish. He's not supporting the, the Russians right, in Ukraine. The far He's supporting right the neo-Nazis in Ukraine. You got it. Yeah. Right. He's trying to recreate some of the best times of his life. I think that's what he's that's, trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> 60 minutes there. interview. Go watch it. I There's think it's a reason you can't look it up on YouTube think anymore. Of the irony it's not right anti-Semitic. Now. It's because the man said words that contradict with what everyone believes he's out there doing. So just saying. Think of the that. irony right now. Um, so the Russian, so the USSR uh, set up Estonia, which wasn't Estonia, obviously at, to- at the time it would be a, a sort of province of the USSR or region of the USSR to be a cybernetic tech center in the 1950s. So they dun, set dun, up this, the cybernetic vision of Europe and then there's the fall of the USSR and, and all of a sudden they're, they're subjected notches. to, yeah. you know, like the basic sort of, you know, crony capitalist model. So they get a lot of capital inflows and they can now develop what has been set up and start to be the, you know, as you said, the open air test market for it for the rest of Europe. And here it is. This is what, you know, the other thing, I mean, I, where's, I'm not going to pull up my credit card, obviously, and put it on. <laughs> but yeah, everything's a chip. Everything's about the chip now. You know, you go to a point of sale system and you have to, instead of slide your card, which is still available, usually put the, the chip in the, the machine now and it reads everything you need to. That's just financial data. Um, but how Estonia already has it tied into every aspect. But people of lose those cards, Tony. They lose or they can get mugged. Wouldn't it be better to have that chip inside you somehow? <laughs> and that's what they're going to. hundred percent. You know, know, these I people know. have aims on real estate inside your body. Yes. They want to own your body. It's Patrick Wood. When we talked about, when we interviewed him a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, it's transhumanism, cybernetics, uh, trilateral commission, the economic agenda. It's all tied together. All right. So let's give honorable mention to the future of censorship by Corbett. I haven't mm-hmm. seen that yet. But I want to cover the Corbett New World next week with yeah. uh, Pilato. That's really the only one we need to get to post intermission. Yeah. yeah, it's like a very important clip. And he's going his time capsule. Also, I got my Corbett Report shirt. I got all the DVDs. I basically went to that page and bought one of everything because I'm a fan. And I'm waiting for the other stuff that's not on DVD yet. So hopefully that helps to fund the store so they get more DVDs out of the other production. see them. They got the store out now, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to see World War One conspiracy on DVD. I don't think that was in the batch, but it's upcoming, I'm sure. Yeah, that'd be yeah. fantastic. That's one of his best works. Faux show. All right, do we have that LD? Yeah, I got that pulled up. Cool. It's coming from the Odyssey. Jump into the YouTube. <laughs> YouTube don't like these guys. That means they must be telling some truth on a consistent basis for YouTube to take notice of those guys. What do you what do you say, Aldi? For um, was there a specific, just a specific part of it? I wanted to cover yeah. the where he debunks those stories. It's like the seven <laughs> stories associated with uh, I forget what we were talking about. This um, let me bring it. Yeah, up. the uh, Ukraine. Yeah, the Ukraine. The, the seven situation. Yeah. Let me see if we can. Might be. Let me see. If that's the first one. Yeah, yeah, it's the first. Okay, so it's like the first segment, if you will. So play like the first five to ten minutes, and once those stories are over, and once they move into the next segment, you can just we'll come back. All right. So, since it's pretty late. Well. 
Welcome back to New World Next Week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And I'm James Evan Pilato from MediaMonarchy.com. We remain absolutely determined to secure a competitive future. We've got that story, plus Koof's dead. Long live the Koof world order. But first, man, James, that Nord pipeline between Russia and Germany that we mentioned two weeks ago sure got scuttled, as we said it might. And here we are now. Seven fake news stories coming out of Ukraine. Less than now two weeks. A lot happens when we take a week off, James. Less than two weeks into Russia's military operation in Ukraine, and the propaganda cogs are whirring as fast as lightning, churning out news opinion, and of course, just content grist for the media mill. Dozens of stories, images, narratives, and videos have circulated as being taken from the fighting in Ukraine, a huge percentage of which are fake. Some of it, of course, and this is why I think the sort of the fog of war, it's the perfect who knows what's going, which is why it's I think smart. I was talking about a friend with this. Maybe it's smart for folks like us to maybe not wade headlong into this when we know very next to nothing about what's actually going on. But, of course, some of it could be misunderstandings, mistaken identity, misattribution, but many are most likely deliberate deceptions designed to provoke a response. The real action is in the reaction, as they say. I'll briefly do the hit list, and James, you can kind of hone in on your favorite lowlights. Number one, the ghost of Kiev. It was reported that a single Ukrainian plane was patrolling the skies above Kiev. The English press called the unnamed pilot the ghost of Kiev and claimed he had downed six Russian jets in air-to-air-air-to-combat less than two days. No evidence any of this happened at all. Newsweek themselves, quote, there is zero evidence the ghost of Kiev exists. Number two, pretty similar, Russian planes flying over Kiev. A lot of people sharing a short video of Russian planes allegedly flying low over the city of Kiev. The Times used it as a still in their story. Will sanctions stop a Russian shell? The problem is it's not Kiev, it's Moscow. It's two years ago, and it's footage what is likely probably rehearsal for their 2020 victory parade flyovers. Number three, Zelensky visiting the troops. Possibly no politician in history has had a PR makeover quite as fast as Vladimir Zelensky. James, did he play Hava Nagila with his genitals on a show? Okay, just, just, just double-checking. Last week, just, just some guy. This week, he is a war hero. Twitter filled with people sharing photos of him in combat fatigues, but the problem is that photo is almost a year old when he actually did visit the troops last April 2021. Number four, Luhansk power station explosion. Early on, this video went viral. Major news networks used it, all claiming it shows a power station in Luhansk exploding after being hit with Russian missiles. It does not. It's a chemical plant exploding in China in 2015. Number five, video games again. More footage claiming to show Ukrainian ground forces downing Russian aircraft, even appearing on Spanish news it's from a video game called Arma 3. That's a pretty good one. Number priceless. six, Russian warship, go F yourself. Allegedly leaked audio has Ukrainian border guards communicating with a Russian warship being told to surrender. And the guards say, Russian warship, go F yourself. Western press reported, of course, all 13 immediately murdered. However, Russia reports they weren't murdered, they were taken alive, they were unharmed and sent back to the mainland, a story both the Ukrainian government and the press have had to admit is probably true. Number seven on the list, Syrian drone strikes footage, another video doing the rounds, and again shared by official Ukrainian accounts. 
drone footage supposedly showing the destruction of a column of Russian vehicles. It's footage of a Turkish drone strike in Syria from 2020. Sidebar, I learned this from our buddy, Last American Vagabond. Israel's using this, of course, as cover to bomb Syria while nobody's looking, of course, since Trump isn't around at the moment to bomb Syria for them. Meanwhile, other accounts sharing footage of combat from Libya or Israeli bombardments of Gaza under the hashtag StandWithUkraine. And it is a horrible, sick kind of irony that so many of the clips prompting outrage in Western liberals actually come from wars their government started. Oh, wait, that's Obama's Libyan slave markets you're sharing pictures of, not Ukraine. James, I like the picture of the flaming chaos and violence that says this is Russia bombing Ukraine. Just kidding. It's a peaceful protest in a Democrat city. James. Yes. Uh, what? Fake news stories coming out of an ongoing military situation? Why? I never. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a Tuesday. That's just what happens when it's not actually Tuesday. That's just an expression. Anyway, that's just what happens when we are uh, in the midst of an ongoing military operation. So the, rather than going through any of those particular lowlights, why don't I stress another side of this story? Because I will note that Pretty much anywhere you turn in the so-called quasi-independent alternative media, all you will ever see is, hey, look at these fake news stories coming out of Ukraine about what the Russians are doing to Ukraine, but it's fake, the Russians aren't doing that. And it's all this sort of anti-Ukrainian propaganda uh, against the Ukrainian propaganda. But there's Russian propaganda too. And I don't, I don't never see that being called out. Russia has propaganda that they do actually put out in times of warfare. And I've noticed that the latest trend in uh, alt media circles is to talk about this is all, uh, the whole thing is just an actual secret cover for some uh, super secret military operation to go in and get the bioweapons labs that are connected to Fauci or whatever. And what's your source on this? What is this based on? Unicorn dust and, and uh, rainbow farts or something like that. I mean, it's totally just making it up off the top of your head, but it sounds cool, so it's probably true. But even beyond that, the demonstrable, truly, really absolute fake news propaganda that's coming out from the Russian propaganda mill. Um, I'll point um, to antiempire.com, which has a couple of articles up about this that uh, uh, my recent guest Riley Wagman pointed to. There's one, FSB is failing the Russian army state and escalation big time. Uh, it says, imagine deploying a giant and killer military for war, but then your worthless and overpaid spooks can't conjure up a pretext worth a damn. They blew up a car of a police official in what was already a transparent false flag, but being extra cheap, they didn't even use his real car. And they have this tweet um, with the, uh, the picture evidence. I kid you not, not only did the separatists in uh, DPR uh, pre-record the evacuation videos, but they also didn't want to blow up the DNR militia head's expensive UAZ Patriot so badly, they put its number plate on a different old UAZ worth a thousand bucks and they have the pictures of that uh, that operation or there's another post so bad it's good the flood of F FSB fakery deserves an Oscar showing this FSB border post that was brutally attacked by the Ukrainians which is why part of the reason they have to go in and defend uh, the, the, this area and it's it's uh, it's an outhouse, essentially, in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> oh, my God, they've destroyed this super important border post, honest guys, or the literal hole in the middle of a field, some sort of shell hole in the middle of an empty field that they're saying was this brutal Ukrainian attack, and they've got the tape up around it. Oh, my God, we will rebuild. Uh, it's just total propaganda, nonsense, fake news on both sides. I trust zero 
absolutely nothing that is coming out of this ongoing military operation until it's quadruply verified by all parties. It's just all propaganda and nonsense. And the worst part is, is that this type of propaganda always plays into whichever partisan side of this conflict people tend to be on. Oh, look, look at all this Ukrainian propaganda or, hey, oh, look, look at all this Russian propaganda. They're the ones that are doing. No, all sides are lying to you because this is yet again one of these geopolitical conflicts in which the big boys are playing this game with the human chess pieces. The pawns on the board are the Ukrainians, are the Russians, are the people in the Donbass. Those are the pawns on the chessboard. They are happy to send into the meat grinder and grind you up for their purposes and get you to rally around and cheer as it's going on. You are a sucker if you think this is a good thing that is happening right now. It is not. And I will point in that direction to a Chris Hedges uh, uh, editorial. Russia was baited into war, but that does not absolve its criminal aggression. And he starts by saying preemptive war, whether in Iraq or Ukraine, is a war crime. It does not matter if the war is launched on the basis of lies and fabrications, as was the case in Iraq, or because of the breaking of a series of agreements with Russia, including the promise by Washington not to extend NATO beyond the borders of unified journey, Germany, not to deploy thousands of NATO troops in Eastern Europe, not to meddle in the internal affairs of nations on Russia's border, and the refusal to implement the Minsk II peace agreement. The invasion of Ukraine would, I expect, never have happened if these promises had been kept. Russia has every right to feel threatened, betrayed, and angry. But to understand is not to condone. The invasion of Ukraine under post-Nuremberg laws is a criminal war of aggression. I know the instrument of war. War is not politics by other means. It is demonic. And then he goes on for several paragraphs talking about his own experience in active war zones, seeing the death, the actual dead bodies, the destruction being held by um, various forces in Nicaragua and Iraq and Saudi secret police and other war zones that he's been in and the horrible things he has seen. And he uh, goes on to say, the primary lesson in war is that we as distinct individuals do not matter. We become numbers, fodder, objects, life. Once precious and sacred becomes meaningless, sacrificed to the insatiable appetite of Mars. No one in wartime is exempt. So anyone who is cheering on these events from any controlled opposition side of, yay, NATO's going in and getting those damn Ruskies, or yay, the, you know, mastermind Putin is sticking it to the globalists. No, they are using the pawns on the chessboard for their geopolitical machinations, and we all lose when we play this game. And the masses, what, have gone from clapping for nurses to clapping for Ukraine. Just the, you know, they call the tune and friends and family all start dancing. I'm sure, James, some of those Ukraine fake news bits might show up uh, in several months on your fake news awards for your 2022 dinos or things we haven't even seen yet that might make some of those stories we shared look, look childish. Uh, I actually played on the stream today one of your latest questions for Corbett episode where you take hey, pause off. it for a second. <clears throat> Pilato's right. Talking about who's calling the tune. I think this is, this yeah, might be the. It's like the Pied Piper. Who paid the Piper? Good guess. Good guess. No, the CIA and the culture of War. There's another one I have that's called uh, Who's Calling the Tune is the subtitle of the book on the CIA. So I'll find that in a second. But um, I agree. 
wholeheartedly with what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And the thing I want to point out from that Chris Hedges article, because he's like, you know, uh, what Putin did is a war crime and Mm -hmm. it's not right when the U.S. does it either. And then he's like, though Putin did have these reasons because NATO's encroaching, he went through that whole paragraph, right? And the thing I would agree with Hedges on about, but like make the the nuanced updated accuracy thing here uh, more more prominent mm-hmm. is that um, Ukraine didn't do those things to Putin. So yes, NATO did all those things to Putin and he's got a beef, but you don't take it out on Ukraine. You don't take it out on a country that doesn't ha- have the same capabilities as you do. You know, NATO equally compared NATO and Russia. Maybe you guys need to sit down and have a talk. Maybe Putin and Wesley Clark, the Rhodes Scholar General from the Supreme Command of NATO, need to duke it out or something. He's retired. He, I'm sure he's not fighting anymore. Okay. But, you know, Rhodes Scholar running NATO was the point of that. So instead of sending other people's kids to fight, instead of going in and wrecking up people's houses that had nothing to do with this conflict, maybe you guys should grow up and put your big nuclear weapons down and go fist to cuff it out ultimate uh, fighter championship UFC and get Joe Rogan to, to narrate it, you know, to call the fight and we'll all pay pay-per-view and you guys can make some money on that. But otherwise like, yeah, there's no excuse to go into a country that didn't fuck you over and fuck their shit up. Come on, man. Come on, man. Yeah. We covered that last week. I mean, it was, yeah. I mean, um, they had no real, Casas belly and unjustified cause to go to war. Um, and war is always evil, and they're using the citizen or the civilians, the innocent civilians, and the people that are duped to be a part of the military establishment, what whether it be Ukraine or Russia, or the ones that are, and of course, the civilians, as I mentioned, are going to suffer the most from this. We're just pawns on a geopolitical chessboard, is really all it is. Putin himself is a pawn as much as Zelensky, as much as Biden as much as you know, all the various prime ministers and presidents around the world that participate in this sort of nonsense. So it's uh, you look up, both sides are completely irrational in this capacity. Hugh Wilford's book, The Great Game, yeah. something like that. He also has a CIA book. He wrote two or three books on this topic. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure one of them, the subtitle is Calling a Tune. And it goes with the What's Francis the name Stoner. Of the, uh, well, Hugh Wilford, H-U-G-H-W-I-L-F-O-R-D. Because it goes with that Francis Stoner Connors book. Mm-hmm. She wrote another one too that I have over here. These people are fascinating. They're fascinating, there not in a conspiratorial way, like right. in a study of psychopathy type of way. America's great game. America's great game that they play with their older cousins. Uh, you, six. So here's. Oops. I just want to know if one of them was subtitled. Oh, uh, the CIA. Secret Arabis and Shaping of the Modern Middle East. Oh, that's very uh, important. Uh, America's Greatest. Yeah, that's. There's an archive.org. So this might be like a PDF of it, or at least a second. Yeah, it's a it. book I don't have um, down here. Yeah. So that's all right. We don't yeah. have to find it. He also did one on the CIA. It's probably on the cover oh, the of that. CIA There's a white okay. cover, I thought. Hold on. And if you guys haven't read Hugh Wilford, he goes with uh, Burton Hirsch and the old boys. Yeah. Huh. It's also a play to the, the mighty Learn the history of the people who defend the bankers. How the CIA. Yeah. Ma- the mighty world. Yeah. Is it calling the tune? Is there a subtitle How to that? How the CIA my... played America. Then I think his other book, 
there's a, he has another one that I'm going to have to find. Anyway, he's a good author. You should check him out. He's giving you part of the Anglo-American establishment picture without really knowing it. Now, this is one that comes up in the list, which I remember skimming through that book. And I, was like, I might even have a copy for all I know in my library. That's all right. I'll remember it like 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. There's the one called The Agency, A History Above the CIA by Hugh Wilford. That's a great course. That could be calling <laughs> one it of the too. great courses. That's hilarious. Uh, let's do, uh, can we do this America uncovered how the world economic forum controls the world Klaus Schwab and the great reset? Cause I think that goes in well with, uh, the intermission and all that stuff that was like 2018. They're like, something's going on and there's all this digital ID and people are getting together. And yeah, I think, yes. uh, Chris Chapel over at America uncovered just figured it out for himself. You might hear some of the stuff that we talked about a year or two ago, but they got it over there in New York this week. Let's let's see their production on it. Meet Klaus Schwab, head of one of the world's most powerful and influential NGOs. How much say does he have over your country? Welcome to America Uncovered, I'm Chris Chappell. So, the whole idea of a democracy is that the people have the power. Politicians are beholden to the voters. The reality can be a little different. There are a lot of different kinds of groups and organizations that can influence politics, but NGOs, non-governmental organizations, might be the most mysterious. They're not governments, they're not businesses. Some of them are charities, some of them aren't. They can be small little things or massive and widely influential. But in general, NGOs are private organizations that are privately funded and privately run with about as much transparency as a brick. I mean, would you trust this guy? This is Klaus Schwab, head of the World Economic Forum. It's one of the more influential and controversial NGOs. You might know the World Economic Forum as the organization responsible for the annual Davos Agenda Summit in Davos, Switzerland, where thousands of prominent business leaders, politicians, activists, and others meet to discuss how they can shape the future of the world. For example, the initiative they call the Great Reset. Here's a little video about it. The current global crisis has disrupted every aspect of our lives. Bertis has also presented us with an extraordinary opportunity, a chance to reset and accelerate efforts to improve the state of our world. Improve the state of our world? That sounds good to me, but how? In order to secure our future and to prosper, we need to evolve our economic model, putting people and planet at the heart of global value creation. Sounds like Putting Queen's people song. and planet first. Awesome. But what was that billions, about billions evolving our economic model? Here's how they explain it. You'll own nothing and be happy. So who would own everything in this scenario? Oh, so it'll be owned by Amazon. Got it. Did this mean we're just going to rent everything from Amazon instead of buying everything from Amazon? 
But the World Economic Forum is so much more than just the Davos Summit or the Great Reset. Mr. Star Wars cosplayer here also talks about how the World Economic Forum works with the best and the brightest to shape global, regional, and industry agendas. I really can't imagine why there are so many conspiracy theories about them. One of the ways the World Economic Forum shapes global agendas is through the Forum of Young Global Leaders. It's an educational organization that has some very notable alumni. I'll tell you who after the break. Welcome back. So one of the World Economic Forum's biggest goals is the Great Reset, a world where we own nothing and are happy. But the World Economic Forum is just an NGO. How can it guide individual countries to make these radical changes? One of the ways is through the Forum of Young Global Leaders, a sort of internship program to prepare the leaders of tomorrow. It was founded by Klaus Schwab in 2004. According to their website, its goal is to mold young leaders into people who will shape a more inclusive and sustainable future. Each year, a cohort of up-and-coming leaders between 28 and 38 years old are selected to spend five years in the program. The program has a large number of noteworthy alumni, including Governor of California Gavin Newsom, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg, former U.S. Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard, U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, and author and anti-racism activist Ibram X. Kendi. You've probably heard of them. And the prominent role these alumni play across society illustrates exactly what makes the World Economic Forum so influential. The Forum for Young Global Leaders was a spin-off of an earlier organization called the Global Leaders for Tomorrow that Klaus Schwab started in 1993. And it also had some noteworthy alumni, such as Tony Blair, Bill Gates, and Jeff Bezos. With so many high-profile alumni, the World Economic Forum seems to have potentially left its mark on every aspect of modern life, from politics to technology. So what exactly is the World Economic Forum teaching these people? We have no idea. No one seems to know exactly what kinds of things are presented to or discussed by the young global leaders. But one alumnus saw it as a place that did not exactly welcome dissenting voices. Richard Werner, who was part of the cohort of 2003, explained the situation. I and also several others in the cohort, we asked a lot of questions and they were usually critical questions. That didn't go down too well, I suspect, and may have been the reason why um, after the second year, um, we were told, everyone was told, oh, sorry, this Global Leader for Tomorrow program had to be abolished for I don't know what reason, sorry. But then a few months later, we noticed that, oh, they have a new program, which they didn't tell us about. It's called Young Global Leader, which is essentially the same. So they just got rid of this cohort by changing the program. So Werner is essentially saying he believes that he and others in the program got kicked out for asking critical questions. I guess asking too many questions is not part of shaping the future. So what happens when some of the World Economic Forum's leaders of the future become the leaders of today. More after the break. Welcome back. Klaus Schwab is very proud of some of the alumni of his young global leaders. Here he is bragging about just a few of them in 2017. When I mention our names like Mrs. Merkel, um, even uh, Vladimir Putin and so on, they all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. Oh wow, Putin, that didn't age well. But the list goes on. But um, 
What we are very proud of now, the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, Brazil, of uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau and I know that half of this cabinet or even more half of, uh, half of this cabinet are for our actually young global leaders of the world economy right. forum. Wait, Justin Trudeau was a young global leader along with half of his cabinet? Uh, how much influence does the World Economic Forum have? Well, the list of world leaders goes on. Schwab didn't mention New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, but she was in the program as well. So was French President Emmanuel Macron. That's a lot of world leaders. But let's go back to half of Trudeau's cabinet. Here are some examples. Chrystia Freeland, Canada's Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Finance. She's also on the World Economic Forum Board of Trustees, by the way. No conflict of interest there. Pause it. This is In that addition, lady right Scott here. Bryce. This is her book. She's the plutocrat lady, Christia Freeland. We talked about her earlier. I wanted to make sure that you remembered when you're listening to Chris Chapel that the plutocrat lady, whose <laughs> grandfather finance collaborated minister, yeah. with the Nazis, as did Prince Bernard, who created Bilderberg and World Economic Forum. He's in the Davos Manifesto. You should read it. All right. Continue with Chris Chapel, please who was president of the Treasury Board of Canada until 2019, and Melanie Jolie, the Minister of Canadian Heritage until 2018. So two former and one current Canadian official. That's not half of Justin Trudeau's cabinet. Could it be this guy is prone to just a little bit of exaggeration? But it's hard to say for sure because the Forum of Young Global Leaders Community website doesn't list all alumni, and old cohort rosters are difficult to find. In fact, Schwab might have been exaggerating other claims as well, since we couldn't find Putin or Trudeau listed on any of the cohort rosters either, although we did find this Facebook post where Trudeau mentions the young global leaders. Recently, some Canadians have expressed concern about the World Economic Forum's influence in Canadian politics. But when Member of Parliament Colin Carey asked about the Cabinet's connections to the World Economic Forum, the Parliament Speaker got a little touchy. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I listened to my colleague's speech. I had a constituent that wanted me to ask a question about outside interference to our democracy. Klaus Schwab is the head of the World Economic Forum, and he bragged how his subversive WWEF World Economic Forum has, quoted, infiltrated governments around the world. He said that his organization had penetrated... Hey, you can pull it for sake of time. We played this clip last week. America Uncovered. I'm glad they're covering it. I'm just saying we covered that clip specifically last week, and uh, it's almost 4 a.m. So like two weeks ago, but yeah. <laughs> two weeks and ago, last, and last week too. I mean, both weeks. I think. I'm glad he's figuring out who Klaus and the World Economic Forum is, and we're going to end tonight uh, at some point with with that JP video. Is Klaus Schwab the worst man in the world? I wrote no, but he works for those people. <laughs> he's he's not the worst guy. He's just a bad guy. Um, yeah, he's just like, oh, yeah, exactly. Was there any other clips that we have to get into this week's time capsule that's like super no. important? I think we we nailed everything, and I'm I'm running on fumes. So LD, who do we got to thank? Who can we dedicate this episode to tonight? Oh, 
all the subscribers. Thank you, subscribers yes. and subscribers of GrandTheftWorld.com. We'll get my presentation from yesterday and load it up so you guys can see that because yay freedom. And how do people become subscribers? Oh, do you want? Yeah, uh, GrandTheftWorld.com. Go to the top right corner, join the community, choose your level of support, and uh, get in. Get in there to the uh, Discord and the Kajabi platform. And um, yeah, thanks to especially to Nicholas, Thomas, Dylan, Tcan, Vervain, and Fabrizio over on the Rockfin. Appreciate it, and uh, everybody, everybody supporting us um, in the community. Yeah, it's fun to support each other. Look at LD sporting Media Monarchy gear. Oh yeah, we we'll have to. I have to get one of those shirts now. I'm, I, I probably just missed it in the store. I was so like excited to get a Corbett Report T-shirt after like listening to him for 15 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. I think they're sold yeah. out, but uh, oh, that was what he was sold out of that one. They are ordering. Oh, maybe they are available now. The dark ones are available. Oh, sorry. I was looking for his. The uh, yeah, um, it's late. The media monarch. Yeah, this is this is sold out in the white, but they just ordered some. <laughs> they just ordered them in black. I hear. So I'm looking for that myself. Looks like a slee stack from Land of the Lost back hmm. in the seventies, but maybe I'm showing Land my of the age. Lost. I, no, I, that was a good I'm show. Familiar, when I, was yeah. kid. Yeah. I enjoyed that. The old one. Not the Will Ferrell remake. That's no. a bunch of blah blah blah. Go back and watch the real deal with the slee stacks see what was There's going also on also this other like that when i was a kid it's like a 50s or 60s maybe 70s it's sort of like land of the lost theme but it would um anyways my yeah, that's too young i was like going on when i was five years old i'd go to my great aunt and uncle's house and they'd always show us all those old films or go watch johnny quest with former johnny vice quest president mike there, pence yeah. mall playing Good race man. bannon all right so uh, uh last yeah. shout out to um i guess your autonomy uh course or lecture series is coming up soon for those that are interested and i have uh a logic course coming up march 17th um if you join the gtw community or sign up for the autonomy course which is a whole extensive community um and course teaching you life skills and uh, uh sales techniques and how to be your own entrepreneur and overcome sort of the resistance to your own self-growth um, that's available to either whichever community you join, you have access to join my free course, uh, which starts March 17th on the basics of logic going over uh, informal fallacies and essential definition. So, yeah, and essentially, uh, you know, sales, that's an ominous term these days, but I, I teach people how to observe and solve problems. And then if you know how to communicate, you can solve problems and get paid. That's a gist. It's a very useful skill set in the world. And uh, yeah, you can check it out. You can find links somewhere, but not right now. Right now, it's time to shut this show down. And uh, thank you guys for riding shotgun. I think we got a lot of good clips on the record. I don't see anything that was like something we needed to put in a time capsule this week and no, didn't get we, in there. We got everything. Yeah. So good for us. Next week, we're going to have, uh, we'll have a special guest. So uh, we'll have a little interview action. And in between now, I'm sure they're going to do crazy shit that we haven't even uh, conceived of yet. And then we'll talk about that a week from today. So for all of you hanging in there, thank you for tuning in and not dropping out. And uh, here's JP Sears talking about Klaus Schwab to play us out.
Yeah, thank you, everyone. And I don't have that on the show card, but I'll do. I'm sure you can. Yeah, I got it. Have a good night, everyone. Colin Audible's on the last play. One of the features of this fourth industrial revolution is that it doesn't change what we are doing, but it changes us. That's the DNA. This is first uh, industrial revolution is it doesn't change what you are doing. It changes you. If you take a genetic editing, right. uh, just as an example, it's you who exactly. are changed. Yeah. And of yeah. course, this has a big impact yeah. on your identity. Yeah. Editing your genes? Cool. I'll explain that later. But first, why do so many people consider this guy, Klaus Schwab, to be the most dangerous man in the world? Well, there's some reasons. A lot of them. You might remember Klaus Schwab as the puddle of liquefied feces who said, by 2030, you'll own nothing and be happy about it. Translated, that probably means by 2030, he'll own everything and he'll be happy about it. But how does he expect you to own nothing and be happy about it? Oh, he's got a plan. Now, I'll tell you about it in a minute. But before I do, a little bit about Klaus Schwab. He's the author of COVID-19, The Great Reset. What a grand opportunity indeed. Oh, and his book was published on July 9th, 2020. <laughs> Wonder how he got it written and published that fast. It's almost like maybe he pre-wrote it before he started the pandemic. I mean, before the pandemic started. Old Klaus is also the founder and chairman of the World Economic Forum, an organization that faces the public with very noble sounding goals of creating a better world. Fear mongering about climate change and disease are big goals of theirs. Welcome to Davos. Just park your private jet over there and then go inside and pretend to be concerned about climate change. Klaus and the World Economic Forum want a worldwide digital ID system that determines your access to goods and services. It would monitor your online behavior, purchases, and biometrics. It kind of seems like he just wants to do away with the whole democratic process and give all the power to the state and whoever runs the state, the deep state. But that's based on both his words and actions, so it's probably an inaccurate observation. Was Dr. Evil's character based on this reptile? Mr. Schwab writes the following. One of the greatest lessons of the past five centuries in Europe and America is this. Acute crisis contribute to boosting the power of the state. It's always been the case, and there is no reason why it should be different with a <laughs> pandemic. Nobody ever elected Klaus Schwab to anything. This all just sounds like conspiracy, doesn't it? The World Economic Forum are good guys. Haven't you seen the headlines they pay for? Go green, right? Right? That's probably right. They truly are good guys. Accordingly, you'll be excited to hear that the lineup of World Economic Forum speakers at their annual gathering of elites in Davos included such benevolent humanitarians like Xi Jinping, the leader of the Chinese Communist Party, who's currently committing genocide, Anthony Fauci, who's arguably currently involved in crimes against humanity, and Bill Gates, who's arguably currently involved in crimes against humanity, and Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison, who's arguably currently involved in crimes against humanity. What a great lineup! But my favorite economic forum speaker of all time is this reptile, Klaus Schwab's top advisor, Dr. Yuval Noah Harari. Let's see what he has to say. Data might enable human elites to do something even more radical than just build 
digital dictatorships. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, you can usually also engineer it. Elites hacking organisms and re-engineering life itself? Well, he's not talking about doing that to people, is he? Now, in the past, many tyrants and governments wanted to do it, but nobody understood biology well enough, and nobody had enough computing power and data to hack millions of people. Neither the Gestapo nor the KGB could do it. But soon, at least some corporations and governments will be able to systematically hack all the people. Well, I guess he was talking about doing that to people. All people, to be specific. And if indeed we succeed in hacking and engineering life, this will be not just the greatest revolution in the history of humanity. This will be the greatest revolution in biology since the very beginning of life four billion years ago. For four billion years, nothing fundamental changed. Not playing God, are you? Because that usually works out super well. Science is replacing evolution by natural selection with evolution by intelligent design. Not the intelligent design of some God above the clouds. Oh, you are playing God. Say more. Evolution by natural selection with evolution by intelligent design. Not the intelligent design of some god above the clouds. But our intelligent design and the intelligent design of our clouds, the IBM cloud, the Microsoft cloud, these are the new driving forces of evolution. Gosh, you wouldn't by chance have a plan in place on how to control people with your cloud technology, would you? And that plan isn't by chance already being implemented, is it? Today, we have the technology to hack human beings on a massive scale. Oh, so you could implement it. In this time of crisis, you have to follow science. It's often said that you should never allow a good crisis to go to waste. Sounds familiar. And I guess you are implementing it already. Didn't anyone bother telling this guy not to say any of this out loud on camera? It's, it's just, it's a lot of evidence. Surveillance, people could look back in a hundred years and identify the coronavirus epidemic as the moment when a new regime of surveillance took over, especially surveillance under the skin. My brain, my body, my life, does it belong to me or to some corporation or to the government or perhaps to the human collective? This guy's revealing the whole plan. He's going to ruin it. The World Economic Forum, out for the good of humanity. You'll own nothing. Not even your own DNA, if we have our way. Now for some additional fun facts about Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. They've got a Young Leaders Program, which is a five-year indoctrination program into their principles. The goal of the program is to create world leaders who don't answer to their people because they don't care about them. They answer to their bosses at the World Economic Forum. Graduates of the program include admirable world leaders that are suspicious Preciously in lockstep with a great reset, such as Justin Trudeau, Francis Macron, and Mark Zuckerberg. Sponsoring partners of the World Economic Forum's Young Global Leaders Program have been the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Google. I wonder why Google censors and shapes information to be in exact support of the World Economic Forum's narrative. 
Hmm. Oh, another fun fact. The World Economic Forum is predicting a worldwide cyber attack. I'm pretty much a wizard at predicting the things I'm going to do, too. The very concerned Schwab believes the cyber attack could bring a complete halt to our power grid, transportation, hospital services, and to our society as a whole. The World Economic Forum then simulated the cyber attack. Simulated or planned? I'm not sure, but they said it was a simulation, so it's probably best to just believe them. Oh, also the World Economic Forum, along with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, hosted Event 201, which oddly enough played out exactly as they planned, or simulated, or whatever. Let's move on. And here's a picture of Klaus Schwab sitting in front of his statue of Vladimir Lenin. I wonder why he's got a statue of one of the most murderous world leaders in history. Lenin killed an estimated 5 million people. And finally, remember Schwab's whole thing about you'll own nothing and be happy about it? What's the World Economic Forum's plan to make that happen? Well, it's probably nothing, but consider this. BlackRock is an investment firm with $9 trillion under management, which is a higher GDP than every country on Earth, aside from the US and China. Therefore, it turns out BlackRock has more political and financial influence than the Federal Reserve and most governments. Sounds cool, but what's the connection with a World Economic Forum? <laughs> well, again, and it's probably nothing, but BlackRock CEO Larry Fink is also just a board member of the World Economic Forum. Well, that's super convenient, and probably just a coincidence. Is the World Economic Forum and BlackRock colluding in corporatism, where an unelected corporate elite dictates top-down to the population? Well, they couldn't be doing that because they'd have to infiltrate the government, which they haven't done. Except for, in one of Joe Biden's first appointees once he took office, he named Brian Deese to be the director of National Economic Council. Brian Deese came from BlackRock, where he was a global head of sustainable investing, and now he's Biden's main advisor for economic policy. But Biden's making the policy decisions, not the unelected corporate elites at BlackRock and the World Economic Forum. Of course Biden's making all the decisions. Let's not be silly. Oh look, there's a picture of Biden in the audience at the World Economic Forum. Oh, and also Kamala Harris's chief economic advisor is Michael Pyle. He came from BlackRock, where he was a global chief economic strategist, overseeing the strategy for investing $9 trillion. Well, it looks like corporatism, but it's probably not. But if it was, it would actually be a viable strategy for BlackRock and the World Economic Forum to own everything and for you to own nothing. Oh, fun fact, BlackRock is buying up single family homes at an alarming rate, oftentimes paying 20 to 50% above asking price. So normal people like you and I can't own the homes. Now, there is an interesting pattern to all this. You know how you hear about ancient tyrannical rulers who would rule over their dumb people by saying things like, yeah, if you don't do all of this slave labor and let me sleep with your wives, then God's going to make you all perish in a deadly storm. Well, God told me, and because I'm elite, I have access to this knowledge and you don't. So you better do as I say, or you're going to die. Well, us peasants can't perceive what the king can, so we better do as he says. Go ahead and bang my wife. And thank you for doing it for my protection, King. Good old fear-mongering. A predictable pattern as old as time itself. But with Klaus and the World Economic Forum, it's climate change is going to kill you, disease is going to kill you, and a cyber attack's going to get you. So you better do as we say, or you're going to die. I don't know. The weather looks pretty good to me. 
Why don't you ever smile, Klaus? You look like a sociopath. No, you don't understand. We elites have access to knowledge that you don't. So you better listen to us or you're going to die. Same old fun pattern of fear-mongering. They know of the scary problems and only they have the solutions. So listen up or you're going to (laughs) die. Gotcha, Klaus. Nothing new here. We see you. In conclusion to the question... Is Klaus Schwab the most dangerous man in the world? Here's his top guy again. Humans are now hackable animals. You know, the the whole idea that humans have, you know, this, they they have this soul or spirit and they have free will and nobody knows what's happening inside me. So whatever I choose, whether in the election or whether in the supermarket, this is my free will, that's over. Free will, that's over. It will indeed be over. If you outsource your thinking to outside influences and take the easy way out by choosing obedience over bravery, doing so makes you very susceptible to being manipulated by fear. And if this happens, you will fail at remaining a free, sovereign individual. But here's how Schwab and his friends, who sociopathically never smile, fail at their great reset and you succeed at remaining a free sovereign individual. Be guided by your own critical thinking and what your heart and soul knows is right and choose bravery over obedience. Obedience or bravery? Outsource your perspectives or do your own critical thinking? We are in the process of either the great reset or the great awakening and the choice isn't Klaus Schwab's. The choice is yours. Conspiracy is the story of history. It's the story of plunderers taking care of people who produce. They claim to take care of them through government, which doesn't give you anything. It doesn't take away first. So it's not creating something out of nothing. It's very real what they're doing. They're taking your rights or taking some people's rights and adding more to someone else's rights. If you haven't heard about our Grand Theft World community membership, here are a few of the things you've been missing. A mobile app where you can access replays of the Grand Theft World podcast and show notes. Access to the Grand Theft World community on Discord, where we crowdsource news and resources, and you can contribute to the show. The opportunity to participate in the Grand Theft World bi-weekly town hall. Exclusive content from Richard Grove, including behind-the-scenes footage and future access to unpublished material. 93 episodes of the Peace Revolution podcast, and the Grand Theft World newsletter delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you want to stay ahead of the great game, visit us at grandtheftworld.com, click or tap the button in the top right-hand corner, and join a vibrant community of researchers blazing a new path to truth. We'll see you there.